Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the 605 Super Podcast, this being Holiday Star Wars. Not quite Independence Day Star Wars. There's a story to that. We'll explain it in a second here. On the line with me right now to start the proceedings, and we don't know how long they'll go, how crazy they'll go, or how dull they'll go. You never really know. But on the line with me, first, from Wrestling Observer Live, Mike Sempervivi. Mike, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. I'm hoping to, to bring everything down and we can get this thing wrapped up in at least five, ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. Well, also on the line is the host of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam and Sean Goodwin, featured right here on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. None other than John McAdam. John, welcome back to the Super Podcast. Thank you for having me, sir, and not to let the cat out of the bag, but what happened is that the rain knocked out the teleprompter and everything got screwed up. Everything uh. got screwed up. Just like right before we started recording, us trying to figure out your mic situation. Everything was screwed up. Everything was screwed up. <laughs> well, listen, I, I kind of made mention to it. We, we, I promised a uh, Independence Day Star Wars. It's an annual tradition here at the Super Podcast, and we did one. And I hated the way it came out. I, I felt like I was sleepwalking through it. I was so tired. I think a few other people were tired. There wasn't much material. Howard Baum kicked ass. Kurt Brown kicked ass. But a bunch of us, me specifically, just did not have it. So I said, you know what? I can't release this as is. It would be a punishment to the listeners as opposed to what Holiday Star Wars is supposed to be, a, a gift to the wonderful listeners of the Super Podcast. And that's why we're recording something new here tonight. And uh, hopefully you guys can help me do better than the recording from the other night. That was the original Independence Day Star Wars. Let's say, what the hell? Did you run out of charcoal briquettes to give people as gifts? You decided to drag in me and McAdam to think we're going to save today after, like, you know, Howard. Bo I've, like, with Howard, I've been working on impressions because I know Howard is so popular. But the problem is they all, like, happen to be they're either unfortunate or they happen to be like, you know, insidious, like insidious Ernie Ladd or like, you know, unfortunate, you know, Argentina Rocca, you know, <laughs> those, those types of, of things where it's just like, you know, and I'm working on them, but I don't think they're going to end up turning out too good. So, I, you know, I, maybe as, as it goes on, I'll break some of them out, you know, like Brian Last, Ernie Ladd here, six foot ten, my, my feet's cover the ground I walk. Did you see that girl? She's tall. Look at her. She got the unfortunate from impressionist. Toe. The unfortunate impressionist is my band's new name. I love that expression. <laughs> what was the other? What did you say? The <laughs> you had the Ernie Ladd one. What was the other one? The insidious Antonio Rocca. No, I think That's it was. So I think actually originally you said it was insidious Ernie Ladd and the unfortunate or the unfortunate Argentina Rocca. Which <laughs> I mean, just like, if you listen to the all-star wrestlings with him, I just, to me, it's, he's, he's ripe to be, uh, mocked or to be presented in some sort of comedic form. It's just, I think about Rocka and it's like, what do you think about, you know, you think about him, you know, the, the half a cup or the full cup of olive oil he would drink every day. Uh, the, 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 the amazing skills that he would have in the ring, jumping around, you know, barefooted and being so popular and apparently the fact he had a massive schlong that he would just lay back on the bench with in the locker room. And I guess he could, I guess, you know, lay it on my chest and look at it. I can make a jump. You know, so I, I'm sure I'm going to be working on these. And hopefully once I have it down, I will be able to, to make it to a point where Howard Baum is at in the society that is the Arcadian Vanguard. Wow. 
These are uh, some aspirations you've really set out to <laughs> obtain. We would That's watch All Star Wrestling when I was ten, and we would make fun of Antonino Rocca. He was that bad. <laughs> he was really. I mean, like Bruno wasn't really good, but Bruno at least you could listen to. Rocco was just like, like he just like <laughs> screamed and didn't sound like he truly got English. Well, that seemed to be a thing, and like, this is nothing against anybody with an accent. All of our, our ancestors that came, they all had accents of some kind. But, like, if you think about how television has changed and how Vince is, like, maybe, like, Vince went crazy having to, to, to team with Rocca and Pat Patterson and Bruno. These are not exactly, like... You know, people with TED Talks, you know, would be my, my, my first lineup for, for, for great orators in history. So maybe that's what just sent him over the edge. And, and that's why he became, you know, what he did with when it came to announcing, because they did make some odd choices, obviously some very popular ones. But, uh, yeah, not exactly the, uh, the, the clearest speakers. That's why he liked working with Jesse so much, because Jesse would give it to him a little bit. And Jesse was younger and kind of ready to go back and forth. Not just buy the book, <laughs> you know, like all those other guys were. And the thing was, Bruno and Rocca, I mean, they were legends up here. Patterson, as much as, you know, we liked him, we respect him as a worker. I mean, he was no, he was no big deal compared to those guys. When Patterson had the matches with Backlund, what did you think of that at the time? Um, I thought it was incredibly weird at the time that he got four matches against Bob Backlund at Madison Square Garden. Like that, that was unprecedented. It never happened again. Um, so yeah, I mean, we all heard the story that, you know, the reason Sweet Hansen had an MSG title shot and Pat Patterson got four title shots is because Roddy Piper was supposed to come in for two and that did not happen. That's right. Now, would that have been the, the situation with Piper, the whole deal with the bagpipe saying they got stuffed and everything, too? I know, I remember on your show, you were talking about, you know, he just, I could, and I could see this, absolutely, that Vince Sr. took one look at Piper and went, no, he's just not big enough. I could absolutely see that, but does that match up time-wise with when Piper was saying he was, was ribbed so badly and had the, uh, the, the paper shoved in the, uh, the toilet paper shoved in his bagpipes at the garden? I'm going to say something a lot of people aren't going to like. I read Piper's book uh, maybe 15 years ago, probably more like 16, 17, and Piper was so full of shit. I, I just don't even believe that story just because I don't believe anything Piper said. The bagpipe thing, the other thing is, I don't know about the garden show, but I believe his appearance on, I think it, I think it would have been championship wrestling. It could have been all-star wrestling, but his appearance on championship wrestling didn't he have that problem with the bagpipes there? Yes, he did. So you mean he, to tell me they got him twice? They got him at the Garden, too? No way. And on top of everything, and I saw this recently, like maybe six or eight months ago, he was on TV wrestling as a babyface, and he went to a draw with Jose Estrada, who literally lost every match I've ever seen him on TV except that one. So I, I they must have you know, just said, okay, we're not pushing this guy. We're going to put him on TV and send him home. But, yeah, it, so, yeah, like you said, either they got him twice or something just went wrong. I remember seeing that footage too, the championship wrestling, because they do they do one of the promos over it as it's you know going on, so you don't actually hear him. You see him get all frustrated and everything, but they ran a localized spot over it, I think, if if I'm not mistaken. I believe you are correct. How many guys came in, got a taping, and then they said, "Wait a minute." I mean, is Ox Baker, Mighty Joe Thunder got two? <laughs> he got. I think he got two. Yeah, he got two tapings. 
Ox Baker just got what? He got championship wrestling, and then they're like, don't come back. We'll call you. (laughs) (laughs) Ox Baker, and we we talked about this on Stick to Wrestling. I don't know what happened there. Um, Everyone everyone suspected that he was so bad they just sent him home. Who does the WWF send home for being bad? I mean, it just doesn't happen. My guess is... I've been around Ox Baker, and I'm, a saying, I'm not saying he was a bad guy, but if Ox Baker was in the room, you knew Ox Baker was in the room. <laughs> yeah. And I think he just pissed off enough people, and they're like, you know what, cut bait with this guy. Yeah, I mean, they're all regulars. Everyone knows each other. Everyone's around each other for years. You know, back, uh, back on Blassie, Albano, The Wizard, they're at every television taping for a decade, more than a decade. All of a sudden, this one guy comes in the room, and he's the loudest guy, and hey, everybody, like, just making noise, like, oh, when do we get rid of this guy? This you sounded way. just like Ox Baker right there. <laughs> I said I said a sound. I didn't even say a word. It's right, like I said. The reason they never picked up the phone for Bobby Jaggers. Well, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Were you watching when the Moondogs debuted, John? Or oh, my well, God. Well, Moondog Hawkins? debuted the original moondog when he came in i told i was totally watching i remember he came in as this like regular dude ripper hawkins uh in a like kind of a brown and gold jacket and he was wearing the tarzan trunks and three weeks later he's crawling around dressed in these weird jeans with this other guy acting like dogs it's great stuff (laughs) i like that albano became one of them yes (laughs) one of the litter I don't think Albano gets it. I certainly never gave him enough credit for it. You know, when I first was was initiated to Captain Lou, it was you know during the the Wendy Richter era and the you know that that era of WrestleMania. So it's like I never I caught him at the end and I didn't give him enough credit as I probably should have. But you go back and watch it. It's like him and Morocco or him and the Moon Dogs or him and whoever, where he just kind of just takes on the, the persona of whoever he's teaming with or whoever he's managing or vice versa in Morocco's case, you know, becoming a fat slob like Lou learning all of Lou's secrets. Like, you know, it's just how Lou would end up like wearing the, the, the shoes with, <laughs> with Fuji and Saito and stuff like that. I never gave him enough credit for how ridiculously great he was. Neither did I at the time because I was so used to him. I saw him every week and it didn't, you know, I was numb to it, but I see it now and I'm like, this guy's, he's, he's diabolically brilliant. I wish there were more of those local promos. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. Uh, Cause that's when I, you get to see him torture Vince and you get to see him just do his, you know, well, we've all seen the same ones over and over. He starts talking Japanese. And <laughs> yep. Where he talks about stealing the Samoans' money because they're stupid. Just all the different ones. <laughs> Just all the promos we didn't get to see or, or don't exist. That's, I wonder if they kept the local promos. We still don't even know that, do we? I have to doubt it. I have to doubt that they kept those. If they, if they have the Boston ones laying around, please, God, we need those. Oh man, yeah, I'll, say, I'll take the same thing for Baltimore and Washington both. So, yeah, I mean that that's like it's it's the lost it's a lost thing now, and and we will have that. We were the last era that they got localized promos in the way that we did, and, and why they were important, and how they hammered things home, and how 
awesome that they were. I mean, I just think about all the ones for Jim Cornette. I can think of all the, you know, I, I can still think of them, you know, to this day, him, you know, talking about coming to the Eastern Shore, you know, Wicomoco, you know, Wicomoco, the Wicomoco Youth and Civic Center, you know, in, in Salisbury, Maryland. We're coming to Wicomoco, and boom, and he's up, and he's he's making fun of, you know, anybody that looks like the Briscoes <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. It's like, you know, on 10, and then you'd watch him the Baltimore promos, and it just, it, it they were just awesome. And it's how these guys learn how to do what they do and how how they learn time. You got a minute, let's go. You know, and it just, I wish in some ways they would go back to that. I understand why most places, why they can't, why TV is a big business and all that sort of stuff. But like, there's still a place for the localized promo somewhere. And especially for somebody like a Ring of Honor or some of these other places, it's like, you know, utilize those things more, send them out and, and really drive those home. And they, Ring of Honor doesn't do it and they have the best chance to do it. And it's too bad because that's one of those things that as a wrestling fan, I mean, that's, one of the reasons we're still here. I mean, we talk about those localized promos. Those things will live forever. And it's unfortunate that, you know, we're the last of the generation to get some. And I mean, again, they were just part of why I'm a wrestling fan still today. Hey, Mike, check this out. You're on a podcast with a guy who has a bunch of the Washington, Baltimore, uh, Washington, Baltimore promos. We'll need to talk. We will. From <laughs> what years? What years do you have? Uh, like 80, 81, a little, I think a oh. little 79. That's wow. awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and that's, man, WBFF in Baltimore, Channel 45, 4 o'clock on Saturday, you know, for years. Same thing, Channel 5 in D.C. at, at noon, you know, it's just like clockwork, you know, those WWF shows. And, and the Channel 11 in Baltimore, too, and it's I miss that stuff. And we were lucky, too. We got Spotlight, you know. We got we started getting all the sea shows from everybody, too, because being in a battle area. So, like, to, to have all those shows, and I know nobody likes Spotlight, and for the most part it was a a, a recap show of a lot of stuff that you already saw on Superstars and, and stuff like that. But I hope sometime those make it to the WWE Network, too, down the line, because I really enjoyed those, especially, like, the banter sometimes with Mooney and with Sensational Sherry and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of those, that was some really fun stuff, too, and I know there's gems hidden inside there, too. You know, Mike, you mentioned it was on 4 o'clock on, sat on Saturdays in Baltimore, and it brings me back to something we talked about on a Star Wars maybe two, two and a half years ago, like how pro wrestling kind of messed with your personal life. Having a wrestling show on smack in the middle of the day, like, wow, that's a tough one. Dude, it was a bitch for me because I played football growing up. So like, and I would make my mother do this. And there's still, I still have papers to this day of like this mom, this is how you format, this is how you write out. Cause you got to write the names of the matches. Like, <laughs> you know, one slash 10 right next to that and that column over there with a, and then you move it over. And so you got to write it like, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated does. Put the name, put the weight underneath, wherever they were from. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, that would drive me nuts during football season. As much as I love football, it's like, I'd be at practice. It's like, Man, NWOA Pro comes on at 9, and UWF comes on at 10, and this comes on at 11, and it's like, I would set my day. I did that really up until, like, middle school, like, late in middle school and into high school, and, when, like, when girls became far more of a priority and, and doing that sort of stuff. I mean, it took that long. I would live, you know, really, I would schedule almost everything around wrestling, and I would make sure I tried not to miss it, and if we went anywhere, I would try to manipulate, you know, when or where we were going, so I would have access to seeing something on cable that I hadn't seen before. If somebody had FNN score, you know, okay, hey, can we go over to their house for dinner on Saturday night and just <laughs> hang out for a while? You guys play dominoes or something? <laughs> and like doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I would set everything around wrestling. 
Yeah, I mean, same here. I mean, I, I talked about this on the other show starting October 3rd, 1981. You know, me and whoever, you know, my friends, my our girlfriends, whatever, we weren't leaving the house until 8.05 on Saturdays. And then there was the morning one, too. That was the other thing in the morning. I remember that was uh, when uh, the, at 8.05 and, and were, yeah, I think it was at 8.05 in the morning the, the, after the Georgia show died and it became, you know, the, the, the Saturday morning show. That was another one. Like, I hated missing that one. That became the way to start the day, uh-huh. uh, you know, at 8, 8 o'clock in the morning because that was always, that was going to be, or at 7. I think sometimes it came out at 7. And then that was, of course, the earliest show, which would lead into all of those other shows that, you know, in the 80s with the, the boom of cable and all the, the UHF syndication. And I was really lucky because I, where I lived between Baltimore and Washington, we got all of those stations in addition to, you know, in Pennsylvania and Salisbury and, and Harrisburg and, and all the, you know, on, on good days, you'd be able to make, I get in Philadelphia stations, Channel 57 out of Philadelphia uh, that would have the NWA on there. Like we would get that, you know, if the, if the weather was clear. So we were really lucky. And that's another thing that, you know, that, that unfortunately kids today, you know, it's hard. It's, it's everything, you know, there's new challenges as new generations, you know, begin, but, you know, losing, I don't know how you're going to make a wrestling fan in the same way that we were wrestling fans, you know, how you could even possibly do that anymore with so many things that have changed and so much that made us the way we are that these guys just aren't, unfortunately don't have the, the opportunity to see and to hear. Yeah. And to think now I have this thing that's the size, I'll steal a word out of your mouth, about the size of a domino. And I plug it into my TV. I put on WWE network and I have, thousands and thousands of hours of stuff to choose from. I mean, if I had seen this coming when I was a kid, man, I would have taken better care of myself. <laughs> That's, yeah, I mean, it's – and it's just, you know, it's just different. It, and it's, you know, that, that, that obviously theme music, things like that. You know, there's always going to be a need to try to keep history alive with some of that stuff and because there's things that are going to be lost to time, the context of a lot of stuff that happens. And that was a big disappointment with me with Tommy Rich and the Buzz Sawyer when that got dropped on the network. It's like – Oh boy, here's this great thing that everybody was talking about. That's all it is. It's like, damn, you know, I was talking with Carl Stern about this. It's like, it's the context of what led to that match. Like without all of that, without that two year buildup, without all of this stuff and, you know, Tommy Rich, how it affected his career and all that stuff that came after it. Like without that, it was just a match. You know, that was filmed from afar. And that's unfortunately, you know, it's it's I don't want to say it's our jobs to be diligent. But as things go along, you know, hopefully there's going to be people there that are able to give those types of things context, because, those, those you know, unfortunately, it's going to be lost to time. And when WWE just throws stuff up, there's awesome as it is to see some of this stuff. And I'm like, Brian, like I'm dying to know. I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface of what they have, you know, from Bridgeport TVs down to, you know, those localized promos from the early 90s and things like that. I mean, who knows what they have, but, you know, if it goes up there without context, that's, you know, that's where I hopefully, you know, people are still going to stay interested in the history of wrestling and try to keep that stuff alive and try to teach people and tell them why this stuff was important and how it affected them now and how, you know, it ran down the line to affect them now, whether they know it or not. Saturday night, June 6, All-Star Wrestling will return to Baltimore at the Baltimore Civic Center on Saturday night, June the 6th. Scheduled to compete in the six-man tag team matchup will be popular SD Special Delivery Jones teaming up with Tony Gurria and Rick Martell, their opposition. The threesome of Captain Louis Albano actually donning the tights on this occasion, joining and teaming up with his tag team championship combination of the Moondogs, Rex and King. 
Notwithstanding the return intercontinental title match, Pedro Morales set to take on Killer Khan once again in Baltimore. And on Saturday, June 6, Pat Patterson donning the tights against King Kong Mosca. And then from there, the World Rusting Federation title will undoubtedly be up for grabs perhaps as never before. Bob Backlund, the champion, meeting the individual appropriately known as the animal, the animal George Steele. At this moment, our guest now will be Captain Louis Albano. Mr. Albano. Well, first of all, it's going to be a double celebration for the captain. I got my main man, King Kong Moscow, 317 pounds of him, up against <laughs> Pat Patterson. So let's forget about that. Now talk about the captain putting on the tights. There's been some question in the minds of the people about the condition of the captain. Well, I'm in the finest condition. What are you looking at, punk? You just a paid announcer. Don't be looking. Don't let eyes roll up and down. I'm just in the finest condition of my life. I'm 300 pounds of speed of Johnny Dynamite go behind intestinal fortitude. I've been known to suplex from my knees. I can chicken wing, step over toehold. I possess wrestling, balance, and leverage. You don't know nothing about that because you're not an athlete. I can do a mile in four minutes flat. I've been clocked 100 yards in less than 10 seconds. Have you got that? I can bench press 520 pounds. Look at his body. Is there any question in your mind what the captain can do? Is there? Now, I'm merely in that ring as a, as a technical advisor. I film all my matches. No, I'm not spitting on you, punk. I'm merely, I film all my matches in entirety so I know what's going on. The moon dogs can handle any two, three, four, five men in the world today. So I'll merely be there to move in for the hurt, to pounce, <laughs> to hurt and to maim, and then back in the corner. Like a poet, baby. I'm right over there. Thank you for your time, Mr. Albano. Shut up, punk. I'm not through yet. When I'm done, I'll tell you your time. I'll be there. I'll be moving, brother, moving and grooving. Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> well, there's some of the captain right there. Vince loved the phrase notwithstanding in these interviews, didn't he? Oh, yes. Notwithstanding what will... You hear what he said? He's like, what will undoubtedly be a title Perhaps defense... Indeed. A title defense like never before. Really? Why? <laughs> He's just going against George Steele. <laughs> Can you, you know, these, these guys, they came to Allentown. I think it was Allentown by this point, And they did this all day. Can you imagine doing that all day with Captain Lou Albano? That's what, what Brian said. If there's a tape laying around, I would hope it's from the beginning of the day to the end. Because by, like, the fifth bottle of vodka, like... <laughs> Like, I can imagine what these guys, with, with Lou just being completely out of his gourd. Look at Vinny Jr. thinks he's going to run this thing one day. Get that to your moron. And you can't look at him. You can't even see him in that canary sports coat. <laughs> with the shoulder pads. God bless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like this version of Vince. This is my favorite version of Vince. Because he doesn't have any power? No, well, well, maybe, but I like this version of commentator Vince. I actually think he's really serviceable as, like, the bland, roots-for-the-baby-faces commentator. No, I agree. He he played that role extremely well as the straight man for guys like Albano and Slaughter. Rolling the eyes and making the faces, yeah. I mean, that's you know, his as a commentator, 
Like, I love the revisionist history, and I know a lot of it comes from my own website when people listen to Brian and Vinny reviews and hear Brian, like, when he discovers Paul Jones, and, you know, because he never saw him back in the day, and he sees the charisma of him and David Crockett, and it's like, man, these guys are great. And it's like, no, they weren't, because we lived through it, and there was other great things. And, yes, by today's standards, they're great and exciting and charismatic, but, like, no. <laughs> they, they really weren't. But, you know, it's like with Vince, like commentary wise, I mean, he did have moments, but like people like, man, Vince was a great commentator. It's like, man, I don't, I never thought so. I never, ever thought so. I always thought he was too over the top. And like it, I, in his world for what he was trying to do and what he was trying to prove, I guess it worked. And it worked perfectly, I guess, for him. But I never, you know, I always liked give me Lance or Bob Cottle or, you know, Gordon. So give me more of the wrestling guy than than the promoter out there hawking stuff. You know, I always liked the, the, the sport approach more than the, oh, my God, he's ripping his arm off. Remember that with, like, Doink at WrestleMania and, like, Crush? It's like, he ripped out his arm. It's like, it's a cast. Like, <laughs> you know, well, but Vince you see, was always on cast. Vince, though, but earlier on. When he was doing before 1984, yeah, he was like just he was trying to be Cosell. He was trying to be like a young Cosell with hair. That's yeah, I guess. I guess it was always you know I I guess he was like Cosell. I guess maybe that was that was the thing. I guess with him and Cosell, I guess when he spurned him, then like I guess all that started going out the window. <laughs> yeah, no, he was Cosell before that. Uh, he approached Cosell in like 84, 85, according to Cosell, and Cosell wouldn't even consider it. But, I mean, he was trying to, like, be Howard Cosell before they even made the offer. Because mm. think about it. He shows up to TV one day, and his dad's like, all right, Junior, you're going to be the commentator now. He's like, what, what do you mean? He goes, you're going to do it. I don't know how to do it. Well, you're going to do it or you're gone. <laughs> all right. Uh, hey, who do I know who's a commentator? Uh, I will stand here and talk like that. Like he turned into Cosell. Uh, yeah. Cause he doesn't know any better. <laughs> that's yeah, I guess that's true. And it, you know, I, that, that's true. I, you know, again, and I, I, again, he was there, but like, even, you know, I, I even liked Gorilla and I know Gorilla gets, you know, waylaid, but like the Gorilla Heenan team, you know, I even like Gorilla more than Vince as an announcer, but like, you know, you know, Landrum and those other guys, I just, I always preferred, I'd always prefer almost anybody else other than Vince. And it's got nothing to do with him. I just, I never liked him as an announcer. You know, it's it's funny, Vince. I mean, I personally witnessed Vince changing as an announcer after 1984, and like by '85, especially on Saturday night's main event, when you know he's out there screaming into the microphone, "Get down with the dog!" And it was like, "What's happened yeah. to this guy?" <laughs> Saturday night's main event really is the beginning of that version of Vince, hmm. and then they took championship wrestling and made it superstars of wrestling and then it was that version of vince on display going forward and on and in some ways too i mean they took you know jack reynolds they had a bunch of guys where it's like you know if you're gonna lead by example <laughs> you know and you you brought over like i mean granted it was your fault that you decided to hire roger kent but like if you know if you don't think they're they're bringing up the uh you know the enthusiasm they're you know hyping your product enough i mean i guess you got to lead by example and there's nobody else who could hype it up like Vince did. It's, it's amazing some of the announcers they had under contract and that you know went through that place even for a cup of coffee for a minute. That just it just it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Like Ken Resnick, it's amazing that Ken Resnick 
like of all the names like you would have picked out of a hat that like kind of went through there and it's like who had a pretty good run there i wouldn't have bet ken resnick like you know from the awa gaze and he probably had one of the longer tenures you know, quick anecdote. I remember, I think it was November 1984 when, uh, what was that AWA show? Pro Wrestling USA debuted on WPIX and Jack Reynolds, who I'd never seen before, was the announcer. And then the next week, the, I think it was the very next week he was on WWF TV. And yes. it, at the time it cracked me up. Like yes. I obviously I knew what was going on, but it was so funny. Yeah, because they had taped that like was it like a month ahead of time or something. It was you know I think like two weeks out or something like that. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, and it was Jack Reynolds. I think that the, uh, was the original host of Primetime Wrestling. That was one of the things that Bones they threw him. It was him and Jesse. I think that actually started Primetime together. I believe you are correct. Yeah. See, I like Jesse and Gorilla better than Heenan and Gorilla on commentary, but I like Heenan and Gorilla on the set of Primetime. I agree, actually, and, and is is good. And I like Jesse Bruno. I mean, of the teams, like I think they did a good job with like the Jesse Bruno Vince team and having you know Heenan and, and Gorilla together. You know, it worked. But like like that first Garden Show and everything, yeah, he, calling matches. I thought they were great together. He or uh, uh, Ventura and, and Gorilla, they they really were a perfect partnership, bouncing off each other. But yeah, I mean Heenan in any situation, in any situation, you know, much less one where he can. You know, have free reign sitting there just bantering about what Gorilla was. It's just still, it's still awe-inspiring. And still, it, it does not get old. It never gets old. Someone sent me, I think I may have said this on 605 a little while back. It was, I think, a Thanksgiving episode where they had Salvatore Belomo in the studio to say Happy Thanksgiving. And Heenan just completely loses it. Have you guys seen this? I don't remember seeing it. This is on primetime in like 84? Uh, prime time in like eighty seven, I would I would guess. Oh, okay. Or eight, maybe eighty six, maybe eighty Thanksgiving eighty six. I'm gonna see if I can find it. You guys talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Let me see if I can find this. <laughs> well, gee, Mike, what should we speak about? Well, I'm sure there's plenty of things, plenty of things we could speak about. Hmm. Who is it? Who is the pro wrestler you hated the most? Oh man, there are a bunch of, and you know what? And I hate to say this. And because my father always liked him and, and, and I've grown a, to have a great appreciation for him growing up. I always I always felt weird about Jimmy Valiant. That was one like boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant, because that was the only way I'd known, you know, Jimmy Valiant was was that way uh, before. You know, I, I didn't really know him as luscious or, or any of that sort of stuff. Just just boogie from the, uh, the the Crockett years. You know, for some reason, him, Bugsy McGraw was another one and in avalanche buzz tyler i hated all three of those guys buzz tyler i hated for like all the like he used like footloose as his theme music and like oh, that yeah. just pissed me off because i looked at him and i looked and i heard the song and it's like this is just stupid and i don't like you anyway and <laughs> fuck you where's wahoo like you know like i couldn't stand him but like i don't know what it was with like jimmy valiant bugsy mcgraw like i was so into because i played football and i wrestled a little bit and and, and tried to box and and do that sort of stuff when I was little. It was like, it's a sport. It's simulated sport. And I think there were guys like that that would deviate from that and, and you know, walk around and try to throw the thumb. And, like, Jimmy Valiant, it's like, this isn't wrestling. <laughs> I could never understand why people loved him so much. He just looked like a big, dirty guy. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, for some reason, he always stuck in my crawl, even though everybody was supposed to like him. I know he was, my dad liked him because he grew up, you know, watching, you know, 
know, New York and then, you know, moved in. So he saw him in, in Illinois and Chicago and stuff like that, as well as seeing him uh, when he lived in New York and New Jersey and stuff like that. So it's like he was one of his favorites. But for some reason, he was one of those guys that just always drove me nuts for some reason until a lot later on. I can definitely see that. I mean, Valiant, I'm, I was actually a big Bugsy McGraw fan at one point because when he was in Florida in like 80, 81, they had just turned him babyface, and he did a very unique kind of babyface interview where he would like get all philosophical and start talking about things outside of wrestling and then kind of tying them into wrestling. It was weird, and he he definitely didn't look good, and he wasn't good when he was in Crockett, but I liked him in Florida. My guy, and this is before like any of the news about him came out. I remember watching World Class in 1984, and Buck Rock and Roll Zumhoff came oh. out. And I absolutely wanted Skandor Akbar and the Super Destroyers to murder this guy. I wanted them. I wanted them to make him eat that radio. Like I look at this guy. Oh, Mr. Rock and Roll here. He he just came up across as such a clown. And then of course the story started coming out about ten fifteen years ago. So I can feel good about that choice. Oh, that's yeah. That's, I got one for you. Just because all the 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 Crockett went up from like eighty five and eighty six up on to the network. And at that time growing up, I was a big fan of, it just kind of happened to be that way, the national title. You know, they had Wahoo McDaniel and Jimmy and, and Ronnie Garvin and Tully Blanchard and all that, you know, all that going on at the time. What uh, There's a lot of maligned titles, and I know the national title was one of those titles that was heavily maligned for, you know, after the, the Georgia years. And, you know, outside of, you know, people don't even think about it anymore. You know, think about, you know, they'll think about, like, what was that title they were fighting over? The People will probably say it was a TV title. It's like, you know, that was – but that national title, you know, with Buddy Landell and Terry Taylor, it's like it, there was a run there with that title that I thought was actually really great for a while until, obviously, Wahoo won it and they ended up merging it with Nikita with the U.S. title and everything because they did have way too many damn titles. But, like, what was a title that you liked, at least for a little bit of time, even if it didn't last for too long, that, like, you know, for the most part, people kind of either ignore or, or weren't big fans of that you actually liked? Um. Back when I first started wrestling, watching wrestling, Bobo Brazil was billed as the United States champion. And, you know, this is when wrestling had first started capturing my imagination. And I was I was really disappointed when Brazil left the WWF and the title left with it with him. Like, I always thought it would it was a good idea to have a secondary title. And I was very excited when Ted DiBiase came in first as North American champion. And then, you know, Patterson won. It became the Intercontinental champion. And they established that secondary title. Like, I know it, it's not. You know, it, it, it was, the title was a big deal. Um, it was certainly wasn't a benign title, but I mean, I, I really love the Intercontinental title growing up. That's how I always love those all those titles. I love titles and I love tournaments, and I know I'm an, an outlier for those two because I know there's a lot of people who hate tournaments, but I was always the biggest mark for tournaments you know like the crockett cup and things like that if i would have came along a little bit earlier too like i would have loved the cadillac cups and things like that oh, yeah. i loved all that i really love tournaments again i guess maybe it's just because you know with college basketball or whatever it is being a sports fan too you know it's just one of those things it just always felt natural to me in wrestling we had a tournament to, to you know so why would pro wrestling not have tournaments too and i know they drive a lot of people nuts but i love those things especially like one night tournaments and things like that i was always a big fan of those 
I was always a big fan of tournaments. The one tournament I was not a fan of, and please let me explain, is when a title was vacant and they had a tournament for it. And this, this is you and I, I think, are a little bit alike because we're sports fans and we're wrestling fans. How is it that one, let's say a tag team, tag team titles are vacant. They wrestle in a 16-man tournament. They have to win four times, and they win the titles. But then the next night, they can lose it to one team that only had to win one match. Does that make any sense? But I always felt that way. Oh, yeah. Well, that was always like – and granted, it was always because of, you know, usually heat purposes or something like that. But it's like the heel team – like, you know, somebody would go to a double DQ and, like, the heel team would – like, that just always happened with, like, Ricky Steamboat. Dude, the Ricky Steamboat, the U.S. title tournament with Sergeant Slaughter, where it's like, you know, Slaughter cruises in and, like, Steamboat's got to get – you know, goes through hell and back against a bunch of guys and, like, Slaughter slides in. It's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> you know, how does this actually make any legitimate sense? And they never really explained it away. It was other than, like, you know, you still hate the bad guy because he was able to work through these loopholes and get it in. But it was like, this doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> If you think about it, we had an even crazier one in the WWF in, in, I think early 77, the executioners were stripped of the tag team titles and they had a tournament on TV to determine the new champions. Somehow the executioners were allowed to be in this tournament, but let's not even go down that road. About a month and a half into it, the executioners or uh, someone are wrestling a jobber tag team and Vince McMahon's, you know, on commentary says, "Oh yeah, and this is a a late entry into this tournament." And I'm like, "Okay, that makes no sense." This is right up your alley because it was, you know, at that, you know, at that time, uh, around that time, like, <laughs> was that the worst era in tag team wrestling? For I mean, the WWF at one point there was like there was. I, I, there was like, it was Gurria and Zabisco. And I'm trying to think of who the champions would have been then. And it's like, you that was it. The, was it the Lumberjacks? It's like, that was it. Like, there were no other regular tag teams. Like, they would plop some people together, like, to, you know, to face off. But like, was that the, the least amount of tag teams or, uh, in, in W, in wrestling history? It seemed like they had two of them for a, a territory that was like not small sized. No, and the idea was they would put together an occasional tag team um, on TV, and then they would match them up in the arenas. And you'd actually have a, a, a – actually, I grew, quickly grew to know better, but you would go to the arena and think that maybe that uh, – tag team they put together of like Ivan Putski and Kevin Sullivan or Bobo Brazil and SD Jones would somehow come out with the tag team titles but like I said the the most predi- I can't think of anything in pro wrestling that is comparable and more predictable than the WWF tag team scene during the the Backland and the Bruno eras it's absolutely amazing and for me it was like because like growing up with the Coliseum video, I love that tag because I love tag teams. So I love that tag team championship video that they put out there. And of course, you know, not really realizing in the the moment I was watching it as a little kid, like you know, they were skipping over some things and moving some things out of order and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But it was like you know, it made it seem like you know, it was like it's so great. And then you go back and look, and it's like I was a big 
mark for for young blood and steamboat you know young blood steamboat and flair you know the 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 things that got me truly away from the wwf when i moved to washington dc was was finding that show and following that stuff in the magazines and everything and it was quite liberating but it's like you go back and look at the that scene and it's just like Wow, where is everybody? <laughs> like that's it. And like I know the the part of that whole story was because they wanted you know Zabisco and Greer were finally going to do it. And they were finally going to conquer them, and they did. You know, and they they finally won them. But it's just like man, there's like they're facing off against each other a zillion times. And like yeah, there was a makeshift tag team here or there that they would put together, but nothing would ever stick around. No, and it got to the point of self-parody, like Lou Albano would be managing the tag team champions, but whoa, he's bringing in a new heel team, and it's like, okay, you're introducing us to the, not the next set of champions, but the one after, before these guys even lose the belts. It was crazy. Hmm. And I remember the... Um, mid-79, like right around fall 79, they put together Ivan Putski and Tito Santana on TV, and I'm 13, 14 years old, and I immediately knew they were winning the belts. I mean, they just, <laughs> it was that predictable. Well, Brian, Brian, honey, are you still there? You lost him. Did you, you ever find him? it? I am here. I have found the episode. I'm trying to isolate the clip. <laughs> uh, I have a rough version of it, which may not sound good. Let me see if this comes across. This is Sal Belomo on the set of Primetime Wrestling, Thanksgiving 2000, 2000, 1986. I'm going to introduce to you one of the most outstanding wrestlers that come to the World Wrestling Federation in quite some time, the very exciting Salvatore Belomo. Sal, welcome hey, to Primetime Wrestling. You? Of course, you know Mr. Pilgrim. Uh, what a poor substitution for a pilgrim I've ever seen in my life. Sal, uh, why don't you enlighten us as to... How Thanksgiving is handled in Italy, for example? Well, Italy, we don't have any Thanksgiving. But I have to say one thing, since I'm in America myself, and I think one of the first Thanksgiving I have in America was your invitation. Well, yes, that's ago. true. But, but I mean, Sal, the, the, the Italians that immigrated to America, now that they're here, how do they celebrate? Well, we just uh, <coughs> buy a big turkey. Well, a I big turkey. American tradition. You got a big turkey and right here. We so got our one nice, right? Okay. And uh, I think this tradition is beautiful. and. Uh, I think American people, American people have a nice way to celebrate family way, uh, like Thanksgiving. I didn't know what it was, but I think it's beautiful. Thank you, Sal. Let's go to the match right now. Salvatore Balomo and Hercules. <laughs> he just stops him. Thank you. He's staring right at the camera. Thank you, Sal. But the best is when he says, how do you celebrate Thanksgiving in Italy? Heenan just covers his face because he starts losing it, and then it just keeps getting worse. So as this is going on, Heenan's losing it during the whole entire segment. I like how Monsoon says, oh, this guy has come to the World Wrestling Federation. Belomo had been there over four years by Thanksgiving <laughs> 1986. I was going to say they love hyping him up in Philadelphia. It's like it's the Italian Sal comes home. <laughs> I didn't even realize he was He's about to get killed way. by Hercules. <laughs> this great wrestler. But Beloma, you know, his whole time there was worth it just for the the local promo that for the uh, the ten man tag in Philadelphia, where it was it was Mr. Fuji and Morocco and Buddy Rose and Race. Remember that thing? But it's like it's the Wonder Team. It's like there's Snuka, there's Pedro, there's Andre, <laughs> Rocky Johnson, and Salvatore Beloma. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the promo that the heels cut for that, where it's just, they all, it's like, they all, of course, led by Morocco, just all bust out laughing over Belomo being the match. And it was like, it was great too, because I think if I'm not mistaken, Belomo took the final fall <laughs> as well. He should have. <laughs> I mean, even in 82, we all knew that, you know, this new guy, Salvatore Belomo was not a star. He was you know, Rick McGraw, Steve Travis level. Uh, former rookie of the year, Steve Travis. <laughs> he, when they first brought him in, I don't know what happened, but he was over like crazy. And I don't know why they pulled the plug on his push as abruptly as they did, but I'm not sure what date it is, but on the All-Star Wrestling on, on the WWE Network, I think it was like January or February, uh, 1979, Steve Travis carries, get ready for it, Baron Mikel Cicluna to what had to be the best match in Cicluna's career. It was a really good match. I, I can't even make that up. I'll be damned. Like, how did, did, how long was Travis there for? Because he, he left and came back and had the team with, um, what was it? The Carolina connection or whatever it was. Rick McGraw. Yeah, with McGraw. Like, where did he go? Because it's like, he's one of those names. It's like, I, I could not, other than being like, because I think he was rookie of the year, not only the WWF. Didn't they pull that gimmick somewhere else too, where he was the rookie of the year? And then he just seemed, he just seemed to like kind of fizzle out. He came in, let me see, he was in in 79, he got that big push, and then they pulled the plug. I know by the end of 79, he was in Southeastern, like the Knoxville promotion. Um, he was in Georgia for a little bit after that. I think he was in Mid-Atlantic as Steve Muslin after that, and then he came back to the WWF like late 81, early 82. You know what? He was definitely Muslin in 82, like around 82 in, in, in Mid-Atlantic. I'll be damned. That's right. I, I for completely forgot forgot about that okay yeah i mean he huh. he was way over he was more over than his push in the wwf why did why do you think he never latched on anywhere or as far as just was it was it drive was it what, what was it or because i i have no clue I, I don't know. Um, I know that Steve had a major reputation as a, like you know an out of control partier, so that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, even for the wrestling business. I mean, you look at him and McGraw in like 1982. I mean, both of them were huge. I mean, McGraw obviously wasn't tall, but they both looked like the Michelin Man. He was like comedically like puffy. <laughs> he really was. All oh, those guys. I mean, like I said, they had reputations for just putting anything in their bodies. And yeah, mm -hmm. poor Steve got into that car accident. I think it was in '83 or '84 that he he could never walk without a cane again. Uh, I mean, a lot of people said he was a really nice guy, just you know, a little too little too hard and partying a little too hard all the time. I didn't even realize that about the accident and being so you know so early into his career too. So. Wow, I didn't even realize that. No, I didn't realize it either until I started getting the Observer. Um, and even then, not right away, we're talking, you know, mid-87, I, I read about the accident. Like, it wasn't publicized in the After magazines or the Kiter magazines, as far as I know. I always feel like such a bastard child. And, you know, I'm very Groucho March with the works, with the, uh, the the clubs that I join anyway. And that, you know, you know, why why would you have me as a member for Christ's sakes? But, like, 
you know, I was never growing up at that era and I would listen to radio shows like it's so great here in Arezzi, you know, listening to those because I didn't have a chance to hear his living where I did. But I was able to hear Rich Mancuso overnight with Jody McDonald. And before that was on, there was one in WIP in Philadelphia had a, a show and that show came on after one uh, WCBM in Baltimore that Larry Katz had. And like Wade would be on, Dave would be on, they'd have people on to talk. And I remember I still have somewhere the, you know, a small a sample edition of the Pro Wrestling Torch uh, that I got because you got a free copy if you, you, you know, you, you signed up and you wanted to give it a sample through WCBM and the wrestling ring, which used to be a, a shop in Baltimore that had action figures and all that sort of stuff. They advertised for years, I know, in the, the after magazines and Pro Wrestling Illustrated and everything. But like. I never, I just for some reason, other than calling the 900 line for Steve Beverly and Matt Watch, I never got into newsletters or tape trading or any of that stuff. And I, you know, it's amazing with the way things have gone. I can't believe that I didn't, you know, and then granted, I wouldn't have money. My family didn't have the money to do it anyway. But I always feel like I'm so out of it. I mean, with, you know, listening to most of you guys, I mean, you guys were kind of there early with it. Am I that big of an outlier when it comes to like people who love history and stuff like that? Because you know, I listen to everybody talk. It's like, man, I was, I never messed with any of the newsletters at all. If it wasn't one of the slick looking Weston magazines and, and maybe some of the Napolitano ones, I, I for some reason I just never had that interest there. You know, Yokiashi Yatsu. You know, Dave was just talking about him because his leg was amputated. And I remember the Baltimore Sun used to have these. They used to have wrestling ratings in the back of the sports section every once in a while. Uh, like on Wednesdays, it would be there. And it was, I guess, a wire that sometimes would be, I guess they would be Dave's ratings. But it was like, you know, Yatsu would be in like the top 10 for wrestlers. It's like, what the hell is this stuff? I don't have time. Where's Randy Savage or, you know, whoever it was, that was you know, where's Ron Anderson? I had the exact same experience. The New York Daily News would have them and there were Dave's ratings. And I'd be like, you know, okay, Ric Flair's there. Where's Hulk Hogan? Who is this guy? Dan Cheer, what the hell is this? <laughs> You know, that, but that was the only eyes I could – I looked at wrestling through until – and I, I told the story on the 605. One night, I'm getting home from a Christmas party, literally like, I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and there's this pile of three Wrestling Observer newsletters that Dave had sent to me as a sample after I wrote to him asking if he wanted to trade tapes. And I was up well until after the sun was up reading these things, thinking I'd found the Holy Grail. And maybe I just because I never I guess I never had an observer and that probably would have been the thing that turned me on. I just I always feel like, man, I, I it wasn't really until, you know, the, the 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 boom of the Internet. And it wasn't even that I was late to the game, too, I guess, just because of other things I was doing at the time and other interests I had where it was like, you know, it wasn't until like WCW Live was on stuff like that where I really started getting the Internet and where the Monday Night Wars became a a thing. And obviously Dave keeping up with that and they were playing to the sheets and everything. But it was like I I there was so much of that time that I just I amazed. I, I go back and I get newsletters now and I try to get as many observers as I can. It's like, damn, was I the last truly the last one to this or what? It, it's just it's absolutely amazing. And like uh, the tape trading, too. I mean, you. You know, you're, I would see what you would have for, you know, uh, to borrow, you know, not for sale, obviously, but things right. to borrow and things like that, obviously, that it just, it always, it always blew my mind. It's like, how did you ever get into that? Was it through Dave? Was it through the newsletters that you got into all this stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, after 
I had come up with the idea. I, again, I told this story on the 605 maybe four years ago. I came, I came up with the idea of writing to people who had their addresses published in like Wrestling Eye or whatever, and I, I would hand write them letters and say, hey, these are the wrestling shows I get on TV. You obviously live in Arkansas. You can get Mid-South Wrestling. Would you like to make a trade? And that's how it all started because Dave was one of the people I wrote to. His address was out there. Hand wrote him a letter, and instead of, you know, yeah, let's trade tapes, he sent me um, uh, sample issues of The Observer, and that's where it all got started. And that's, you know, the only is inside as I was coming. It's amazing, too, because like the 1-900-909-9900, and Steve Beverly was always on Wednesdays with the Matt Watch stuff. And, like, for some reason, like, for, I would gravitate towards that, and I, you know, that's also the reason that the 900 block was put on my, my phone at, at home. And <laughs> I remember the bill coming, and I remember my mother blowing up at me, like, you calling these sex lines and all this stuff. <laughs> no and then – well, and then I told her, and then she didn't believe it. And then because it's me, she believed it, and I think she was a little sad. <laughs> I got that impression, but yes, that was <laughs> – You know, Mike, you talked about be, being on the radio or listening to radio shows. I was on the radio four times, I think, on a local station in Nashville right before, like, WrestleMania 4, 5, 6, 7 – yeah, there was those four. And, yeah, they had me on once a year, and they said, well, it's a good show. A lot of people are listening. Um, and for some reason, I never – I had them recorded on, on cassette, and I either lost them or recorded over them. I don't know what possesses me sometimes, but every year, I would be on for – I think they had me on for an hour. And every year, they told me not to do it, and I did it. Someone would call and say, is wrestling fake? And I, I just say, do you need me to tell you that wrestling is fake? And they're like, no, don't jump down people's throats. And I'm like, I'm doing it. I don't care because you need me to tell you that. You don't want to know about like, you know, what WrestleMania is going to be like or anything, what's going on in the business. It just always would amaze me that people would ask that question. And of course, as a wrestling fan too, I mean, you get it. Like you get what this is. At some point, the, the light bulb, like, goes on and it's like yeah and like you just assume that like these people that think they're that that much better and smarter than you where it's like you know that's fake right it's like you know you're a fucking idiot right like you know they, why do you feel like it's like do you do this with other things like do you walk into taco bell and go this is an authentic mexican like <laughs> of course not motherfucker i just like you know i don't know i just those people always got me and it like to the point where it just it blew my mind when Jerry Lawler, that whole thing when Man on the Moon was being filmed and it's like the AP dropped that story. It's like, you know, that deal with Andy Kaufman, you know, they were working together. Right. And it's like, what? What year is this? This is like 2001 or when the hell that movie came out. It's like, are you serious? Yeah, <laughs> they were the serious. Guy the guy said to one of the is this fake guys was like and I, i'm like you need me to tell you he's like well i don't think this should be on a sports show and one of the guys said what do you want us to talk about he says well my daughter does archery and we all just laughed laughed in his face through the microphones it's like we're not going to talk about archery dude let's add someone to this call there's nothing to do with archery. There's no transition there whatsoever <laughs> uh dial pad adding this person Dialing him now, we are calling a phone number, not a Skype or a 
landline. This is a new, oh, that gives it away. I knew who's coming. A brand right. new cell phone. I don't think you know. Amy, for a bullseye of a guest. Hello, Dan Farron. Welcome to not quite Independent Day Star Wars. <laughs> well, it's always it's always a pleasure to be welcomed anywhere. So. And I should have said Independence Day, not Independent Day, but this whole thing's a train wreck. Welcome to the show on the okay. line. Said, I, I, I've been through fireworks and earthquakes, so I'm, I'm fine with that. Don't worry. I got to ask you about that. On the line right now is Mike Sempervivi and, for only a short time longer, John McAdam. So say hello, Dan. Oh, great. Hi, hi, John. Hi, Mike. Good to, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, Mike. Dan. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's been a long time. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> And it's been a, a first time with me, sir. So I will I will transition here to Brian because I know you wanted to ask you a question right there. Well, yeah. How are oh, you doing? Yeah. Obviously, there was that earthquake in Southern California today, and you live in Southern California. What's going on? Well, actually, I never felt it. I was doing errands and walking around, and uh, it it happened, and then every, all of a sudden, my phone lit up, and everybody started calling me uh, everywhere from Las Vegas uh, to San Bernardino, and uh, evidently, it was, it was it was pretty. It was a pretty big shaker. My wife felt it, but uh, again, you know, I was wandering around, so I I didn't run into it at all. But I've seen pictures. My friends sent me pictures of, of giant cracks in the road and all kinds of stuff like that. And you know, I've lived out here since 1974, so I get kind of used to it, uh, and which is a, not really a good thing because you know it starts rocking and rolling, and you you sit there and you go, ah, eh, you know, I'll wait a few more seconds to see if it really is bad, because uh, I was out here. Uh, Right about a mile from the epicenter for the uh, the, the 1991 earthquake, and uh, that that was pretty bad. And uh, and after that, it's it's kind of hard for anything to live up to that. Man, as 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 heavy East Coast and especially as Mid Atlantic as I am, I how long did it take you before you kind of went eh, when it came to earthquakes? Like, how many do you have to go through? How long did it take you before you kind of got into that? You know, your your first thought is like. Well, maybe this one will pass okay, because <laughs> like, well, it just well, that blows my mind. Well, it had to be the 1991 one because that one um, was was. I mean, I thought that was the big one. I mean, it was it's late, you know, early in the morning, and uh, all I remember is that the when it hit, I thought it was an explosion. Uh, I thought like a plane had hit the house or something, but it was actually the transformers out front blowing. And all I know is all of a sudden. The, the closet door flew off and, and the luggage flew across the room and hit the wall. Uh, I mean, it really did that, you know, something like that. When, when it shakes so hard that all the water in the toilet flows, overflows, you know, shakes mm -hmm. out. Uh, that's, you know, after something like that, it's kind of hard to, uh, to take anything, uh, as being as serious. But there are moments, it's, it's a weird thing because you'll be, It'll start to roll, and you know, at, at first you're like, "Ah, eh, it's not a big deal," and then all of a sudden it keeps going, and you go, "Okay, wait a second. Oh, no, it's gone. All right, it's fine." You know, uh, but it's just one of those things. If you're gonna live out here, you know, I, I lived in Indiana for a while, and I remember running downstairs to the uh, to the cellar of my parents when I was a small kid because of uh, tornadoes and stuff. So you're gonna hit something everywhere. I mean, I would die in a panic attack if we had the littlest earthquake out here. That's like the one nice thing, uh, I don't know, weather-wise about living out here. We don't get anything crazy. Yeah, we get a lot of snow and it's cold, but no mm -hmm. tornadoes, no hurricanes, nothing, no earthquakes, nothing like that. 
it really is weird, and, and it, it really isn't natural to uh, to be that relaxed over the earth actually moving beneath your feet. Uh, it, it really isn't. But, I mean, it's one of those things, if you're going to live out here, you just have to kind of go with it. That's part of the whole scene. Speaking of go with it, I think Mr. McAdam may have to go with it pretty soon. Am I correct? Uh, I, uh, sadly, you are, sir, but thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. No, we appreciate you being here, John, and of course... You can hear John each and every week along with Sean Goodwin on Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam and Sean Goodwin. Available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast, McAdamPod.com, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever it may be. Check it out. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, just really quickly, if you enjoyed hearing me on this fine podcast, I'm going to ask you for a small favor. Listen to Stick to Wrestling once. See if you like it. Well, there you go. That's a fair trade, I think. I think so, too. And don't worry, everybody. The bantering with me is is much better when it's Sean Goodwin doing it with John, so don't worry. Uh. (laughs) John, have a great weekend. Thank you for being a part of this today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Nice talking to you guys. There he goes, New England's finest, by way of Queens, John McAdam. (laughs) Leaving this episode of Holiday Star Wars. I think he's supposed to. He shows that he's still here. Let me see. Can I hang up on him? Bye-bye, Johnny. Johnny. Okay, good, because I hate all the sports teams. I can say that now. <laughs> so now I'm overwhelmed used- by Baltimore here on the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, you know, I used to, I used to, uh, to uh, trade tapes and stuff with John a long time ago, and oh, it was always very funny. Uh, I would always get a note back from him, and if any any Los Angeles teams had just lost whatever, there was always a side little remark. And I used to say, John, you know, I, I grew up in Baltimore. Uh, you know, I'm not really married to Los Angeles teams that much. You can't really get me upset over that. Yeah. Actually, it did now does does last ever piss you off by bringing up 1969? Because everybody always talks about the Orioles and the oh. Mets, but it's like there's the Bullets and the Knicks. Yeah. I mean, there was a oh, lot that, that, that went a- south. That was a rough year. I, I cried a lot the, <laughs> in 1969. You know, it, it uh, you know it was it was really really tough. That's that's the one thing I always remember about baseball because when I first moved uh, to Maryland, it was 1966, which was a great time, a great year, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> to be there. And uh, I remember the, the next year. Uh, the Orioles, you know, just kind of tanked. And I remember going to a game with my father and. Uh, and and they were losing and the uh, the fans were because the Orioles it was too far along they were they were going to be eliminated and they were I think it was I think it was the Tigers that year um and uh they were the, the fans were cheering for the Tigers and I started to cry and my dad said oh they want I said but you know it's that thing you have as a kid you know oh but but dad you know they could they could win like 60 games real quick in a row or something they could come back i know they could you know <laughs> but uh it's always uh yeah that that uh yeah that's I still follow I follow the Baltimore teams I don't follow um uh the Ravens because I'm still bitter over the Colts leaving in the middle of the night uh and oh, I I basically it. dropped I dropped football uh, the minute that happened I I I have never watched a game since then I was so crushed by that I, it's, I'm, that's the reason I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. Actually, it is because of the Colts. I have. A, I'm looking at a uh, the, the Colts, uh, an old chair I have from Memorial Stadium uh, right now. Oh. It is that 
I I came from my whole family was from Jersey and lived in, in almost like oh, to a T on both sides of the family. They were all from Jersey. And so my father was a big New York Giants fan. So we had moved to Washington. It was whatever it was in 82, early 82. And I just couldn't become a, a Redskin fan. I became a Hoyas. I was a fan of the Georgetown Hoyas. Uh, I watched the Terps and, and, and all that stuff. But I just, because my dad, I could not become a Redskin fan. I could tell you all about 82 and, and those teams and everything, but I just could never really root for them because of him. So I became a, a Colts fan because they were there. There's Joe Washington and they weren't particularly yeah. good, but they were there. And the Memorial Stadium was, it was a great, it was, you know, it was a tinderbox in hindsight, you know, for as fast as thing got demolished, it should have been taken down. But it was, man, it was our dump, the world's largest outdoor insane asylum. It was a, it was a hell of a place oh, to see anything. So it, it when was, they, I, when they left, I just, I picked the team. I didn't know what to do. And I just picked the team at the top of the alphabet at the time. And since Arizona was still in St. Louis, I just, that's how I ended up with the friggin' Falcons, which, you know, there's been a lot of pros yeah. and cons of that, more pros in the last couple of years, but still, yeah, it was it was the Colts leaving, and I just, and I hated, you know, if they would have gotten an expansion team in 94, you know, I hated taking the Browns, but you know what, with how Baltimore was treated as a city and how they were looked at by the NFL and Tagliabue, it's like, yeah. well, one, one turn deserves another. <laughs> yeah, I love Memorial Stadium. Memorial Stadium is great. Uh, I, in fact, I I, uh, I came, I was at the, the final game of the World Series when the Orioles beat the Reds the following year and set about eight rows back from Casey Stengel. And there was, you know, I, I, I've been to a lot of big sporting events, but it was really something to be in a stadium where your team, you know, wins the world championship to be there just to feel the, the energy of it. It really is, uh, it really is something special. That's I never had a chance to, you know, had a chance to go to the Nationals and one of their playoff games, but I never have had a chance to, you know, anything other than that. You know, playoff games with Baltimore too, but it's like it was it wasn't the same. You know, you, you know, you always heard how things you know weren't exactly the same. And Camden Yards is great, it's a wonderful place, but like you yeah. know, growing up with Memorial Stadium, my my father oh God, he was Barry Gossett, who I didn't realize at the time, now apparently the, the University of Maryland's Athletic Center is named after him. I guess he donated that much money, but he was a plug, uh, for my father to get these, you know, these box seats at Memorial Stadium. He was also the way that's how we got wrestling tickets was it was just however, whoever hookup he had at like the Civic Center and everything. That's why we would get these tickets where we would always be up towards the front, like two or three rows back, but always on the rail for, for the entrances. Yeah. But, he got us, you know, he had third base, you know, box tickets for the Orioles and it was, it was something. And Memorial Stadium, it's just one of those stadiums that unfortunately, because of Yankee Stadium, there's a zillion other stadiums with a lot more panache and memories and, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But Memorial Stadium was really a special stadium and a good place to watch games. It was really weren't any bad seats and it was a very homey, cool stadium. Yeah. And you could get a crab cake sandwich there. You absolutely could have Boog's barbecue too, you know, later on, but yeah, like okay. yeah, the guy outside selling peanuts and all that stuff. I mean, that stuff lasted in some of those traditions, you know, and obviously not all of them, but you know, a lot of those traditions lasted right in and came right into Camden Yards, which was a, which was a really nice touch until Peter Angelos came and burned the whole house down. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, to st uh, steer us back towards wrestling a little bit here. Sorry. Dan. <laughs> I uh, explained earlier, this is a Star Wars because I recorded one the other day and I just think it was substandard, so I'm scrapping it. I think I'm scrapping it. I don't okay. know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know if I'm going to throw it on at the end of this or throw it on Patreon or 
something, but the there lost is, episode. <laughs> it, it almost is, but there's good stuff on there that probably needs to be heard. Specifically, it was Kurt talking about Pero Aguayo because we had just heard the news yes. that Pero Aguayo had passed away as we were recording. We also heard the sad news that Mad Magazine was being uh, shuttered yes. as we were recording. But do you have any memories of Pero? Did you get to see him at all on any Southern California shows? Yeah, I didn't see him on any of the Southern California shows. I did go to a lot of the AAA shows when they first came out to the sports arena. And uh, some of those shows, again, that they, I would, the first thing that crossed my mind with Pero was uh, what everybody's talked about is the charisma, the heat in the in, in the building whenever he was there. Um, you know, he, and, and this time it was later in his career, and you know, like I said, his, his head was all carved up, and he was moving slow. And uh, but he didn't. He could. He had. He just did so little, and could get the the fans behind him. You know, Lucha fans are are very are very, very um, uh, loyal fans. And, uh, you know, when I would work with people sometimes and, and they would, we would get around to, you know, Lucha Libre, they would they'd go, oh, okay, fine, yeah. But the minute I mentioned Pero Aguayo, even somebody who had a had, had a slight passing knowledge of, of Lucha knew who Pero Aguayo was. And uh, some of those early uh, shows with Conan and the uh, the cage matches they had there, and always what they used to do at the sports arena all the time was they always oversold it. Uh, and some of those AAA shows, um, it, they were dangerous. I mean, they had they had people sitting in the aisles and standing. It, it had been really, really oversold. And uh, I was at one, uh, and Mike Tanay was there. And I looked over at Mike Tanay, and he had this look of concern on his face. And I thought, Mike Tanay has been through so many riots at the Olympic Auditorium. If he has a look of concern on his face, this place is, is could go up at any second, you know. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen Caro in his earlier days when, when you know, uh, when he did all the stuff he did. But um, he he really and truly, um, he is like on the Mount Rushmore of, of Lucha. Though it would be kind of weird that, in Mexico, they would have a Mount Rushmore, but um, yeah, but I mean, he was he was he was really really something, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's it's a, it's a shame. But uh, I imagine also the death of his son didn't help, and and between the dementia from all the the, the hits he took and and all that kind of stuff, um, he was he was one of the greats, and I think something he's somebody that sometimes people overlook when they start looking at at, at the great. Um, you know, the great wrestlers uh, from different eras, and, and it, they shouldn't be because Pero was really something. Does he get enough credit as a wrestler? You know, it's always about the brawling and things like that, but it's not like he didn't have, you know, great matches in Japan. And I mean, obviously, he became more yeah, the, the brawler, but it, like, is that, is it, is it that? And of course, obviously, the lack of, of costuming, you know, with, 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 you know, Cicadelico and, and Mil Mascaris and obviously Santo, yeah. you know, at, at another level. Does that, does that play against him, especially to outsiders? I think so. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's funny because when you start talking about, you know, the great luchadors, you know, it's, it's Santo, it's Blue Demon, it's Mil Mascaris, it's those guys that come up and it's always like, oh yeah, Emperor Aguayo. And he really and truly should be farther up there, like like you were saying. Is he? I mean, he's just basically wore that bearskin vest down to the to the ring, and he and he wasn't exactly a matinee idol, and uh, he wasn't exactly colorful. But I think that's one of the things that made him really, really popular. He seemed like a, a guy who could, in a, in a fight, could hold his own, and 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 that was something that. Um, 
uh, you know, he's like, he's like one of the old school hometown heroes from territorial days. Uh, you know, those guys like Cowboy Bob Kelly, where uh, somebody who in that territory uh, would sit there and say, you know, oh, well, you know, the other guys are all, they're, you know, they're all, they're all a show and whatever. But, you know, Bob Kelly, he could do something. And I think that's what it was with Pero, was whenever Pero was there, um, it wasn't, there wasn't anything pretty about it. I mean, he was a brawler. And, uh, and I think that, uh, that he doesn't, he, like you said, uh, he doesn't get the, the notice that he should in that situation. Not to be, to just actually to draw two things together, just because we talked about earthquakes at the beginning. I always wanted to ask, and I don't know how much knowledge either one of you have in this, but especially you, Dan, because you would have been living there at the time or around close. Is 1985 the, the Mexico City earthquake that took place that was obviously beyond catastrophic? It was, what, an eight yeah. or something? It was just ridiculous. I remember after uh, the hurricane, it was watching uh, World Wrestling Council when it when it hit back to the air again, and they were trying to to run you know live shows, and there you know it was it was awful, and it's not like it's a parallel that you could draw you know draw to Mexico, but I was thinking it's like after a disaster like that, you know how long did it take, and I guess how long did it take before wrestling was able to get back on its feet again in Mexico City, and was it used? As a distraction, as, as oftentimes wrestling and sports are to, in part of the recovery process, was it able to get off the ground relatively quickly because it was such a, a awful disaster? But since it was the, the hub of, of like a CML or EMLL, like how, how did it function? How did it get back on its feet? Do you recall? I, I don't recall in great detail, but I do know that, uh, like you were saying, like any form of entertainment, that's the one thing that that people gravitate for it and they and they need more than anything else and it seemed to me that it got back um the biggest thing that held it back was so many of the arenas and the auditoriums and whatever were so substandard built wise there that, that it was hard to find places for them to do shows uh, and some of the regular shows had to be pushed around a little bit that way. But, um, I know, you know, I, wrestling is very, very, it's, it's interesting. I, I, w- I've always been fascinated by the fact that the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated, they actually went ahead and held the matches at the Olympic Auditorium that night. Uh, cause you would think that, and I remember as a, as a kid when Kennedy was assassinated, that, uh, you know, they closed everything down. I mean, they, they virtually, every place was a ghost town. Um, but uh, there was either, you know, there was that whole thing about wrestling, the show will go on and maybe somebody need, they need a chance to have something that they can just forget about life for a while and, and do that. And I think that's one of the things, you know, with, with Mexico, there's so many shows going on, uh, every night of the week and, and on the weekends, you know, that, uh, that it it really did help a lot to to get people back on their feet to some extent, and to at least uh, give them a chance uh, for a while to uh, to go someplace and just forget about life. With per- with Pero, just just back to him. If obviously the uh, probably I guess Conan would be that uh, of this you know closer to the, my generation or closer to what I think of when I think of Pero Aguirre, it's obviously the thing with Conan. When it comes to you, what what would you say would be his you know as far as a feud goes? If you wanted to point to to one, 
you know, he had so many great ones in, 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 in different styles. I mean, with Hamada and stuff like that, it's like, if you had to just choose one, what would be one you would point people to and go, okay, this is the definitive Pharaoh of Ryo feud. I think that if you want people to see, um, see him at his best, uh, the Hamada feuds are, are, are the best matches to go to. And then you can go to some of the later stuff when there's the brawling and the fighting and the stuff with Conan, uh, just because the way it was set up and the way it was, the follow through on it is really interesting. But, um, it's, it's a different parallel at that point. But I would say that the Hamada stuff, I wish, you know, he did some time out at the Olympic Auditorium toward the end of the promotion. And I wish some of that stuff existed still. Um, but it doesn't. Uh, but I would always, I, 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 you know, I'm a big Hamada fan anyway. So I feel like you never can lose when you, when you go with Hamada. You're still upset that Ultimo Dragon's in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, aren't you? And, and Grand Hamada is not. I, actually, I like <laughs> Ultimo Dragon quite a bit. I mean, Hamada should be in there. Um, we took, <laughs> uh, Curry and I, Curry could tell you a great story how we took, uh, uh, Ultimo down to, to Mexico to Tijuana for a show, uh, over a WrestleMania weekend when he came out here and, uh, when he came back, uh, Kurt took him to WrestleMania, and he he called me later and said, "I looked over one point, and uh, Ultima was asleep, <laughs> sitting there in the middle of uh, WrestleMania, just out, out cold, you know." Um, but uh, no, I mean any of the Lucha guys. I, I I'm such a big fan of of of, of Lucha, and uh, there's so many guys that deserve to be in in the Hall of Fame. Uh, that I, I can't really begrudge. I very rarely have see anybody go in um, who uh, who doesn't deserve it. And in most cases, I wish there were more people going in. I wonder if Ultimo is still doing. Is he still doing the wine thing? Didn't he have a, the wine, a great basin winery? I think he, somehow I think I remember, he is. I remember seeing him with that. It was like it just seemed like such a random, a random connection. Is he that big of a of a of a vino fan, or it just seemed like good yeah, marketing, exactly. or what? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that that's a that that's a that's a good question. I I, I wish I I had no idea of an answer for that, but it must just be it must be something he he picked up along the way. I need him to do a whole like line of wrestling theme, like Playboy Buddy Rose, and just just have a yeah. whole line of things. <laughs> that's good. Hey Dan, did you go to the um the L.A. show that had Mascarita Sagrada versus Espectrito in the cage? Yeah. mm Hmm. That was really that was uh, that was something. Uh, that was probably one of the craziest audiences I had ever seen. Like I said, it was jammed, and um, the fans got into that so much. I I, I may have told the story before, and, and I'm sorry if I haven't, but it's something I never forgot. Um, everybody stood up from the, the beginning of the, mostly the, the whole evening all the way through, but there was a man there with his, his small child, and he put the kid on his shoulders so the kid could see, which really wasn't a good thing to do because the people behind couldn't see. And they started throwing things at the kid. And and the kid was like, was they were throwing stuff at it, like cups and stuff at the kid. And the father couldn't hear him because he had him up on his shoulders. And it was so deafening in there um, that uh, this poor kid was getting pelted with stuff. Uh, I mean, it really, it really and truly was just an amazing, amazing heat. Um, because I've, I'd heard stories, uh, about the Olympic auditorium where, you know, that they would throw loaded diapers or, or they would piss into cups and throw that at people. And they were doing that that night. 
to Roy Anything Lusher. they can get their hands on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a Roy Lusher. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wish we had that on videotape. That was a classic a moment. Ugh. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to add someone. I don't know if he could be with us for too long. But sure. uh, try me on my cell. We will see if this works. It may not work here. This person was a part of the original Trainwreck Star Wars the other day. And I'm, I'm fascinated. I really want to hear it now that you're referring to as Trainwreck Star Wars. So ba- it's so bad. It's I was so tired. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> Has this one been much more to uh, your satisfaction? This, so far, yes. So far, this one is very much, <laughs> much more to my satisfaction. Uh, we're trying to call this person. We're seeing if we can pick up. I don't know if this is going to work. I have a hunch it may not. It just says calling. Doesn't show me anything else. What the fuck? <laughs> Hello. Hello. Oh, well, welcome to, uh, it's not Independence Day Star Wars. On the line right now, popular humorist Scott Cornish. You're on the line with me, Dan Farron, and Mike Sempervivi. Oh, my goodness. Wow. What an array of talent. <laughs> this, this sounds better than your usual connection. <laughs> I can't promise this every time. I'm <laughs> I'm sitting in the basement of the, uh, the house that I grew up in. You being punished? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the normal people that live in this house and are upstairs have gone to bed. So I'm ah. trying not to make <laughs> <laughs> I'm not at my usual uh, usual place with its famous bad audio. I'll tell you something, Mike. You were bringing up earlier the differences in, uh, well, you know, the differences in how fans discover wrestling nowadays, but also the ways fans discover newsletters and stuff. This makes me remember what it was like when long distance was still really expensive. <laughs> and you were yeah. a wrestling fan and you would spend hours on the line with wrestling fans from all over the world. And then that phone call would come in, and oof, that was rough throughout the 90s. That was the end of it. After the 90s, you never had to worry about it again, but it was still a big deal. Did you ever call any of the 900 numbers? Yeah, I I got in trouble. I think I said it on a Resi show. I got in trouble in 89 for calling the one that was advertised in the magazines and on John's show. It was like a Bruno San Martino hotline, but... You would call up and they would give you wrestling news. They would talk to them. There was no recording. It was just like some guy answered the phone and would talk to you about wrestling. <laughs> but on like certain days for certain hours, Bruno San Martino was there and he would talk to you. That's right. Yeah. Now, was that the same? That was the same setup as like Captain Lou had too? Because yes. I remember they would advertise on the back of the after magazines, especially. And I think Rick Rude, I mean, you get a wake up call from Rick Rude. I think like later on they had that too. But I remember Captain Lou and Bruno. Yeah, they both of them. I was wondering if that was the same guy or the same setup. I think it was the same setup. And uh, yes, yeah, so I called that one. Obviously, I've talked about Coach Kurt in the past, but that was a 976 number. I'm pretty sure I called the WCW hotline once or twice. And was disappointed, so I gave up. And <laughs> that's it. I, I don't think I did too many other one nine hundred numbers. You were hoping for Missy to talk dirty to you. I know, or, or Lance <laughs> Russell to call a show or something. You know, i I called uh, this. Uh, I called uh, Rick Hotline Carter, and uh, we we actually became friends. And what he would do is he got so bored sitting around waiting for people to call that he gave me the offline number and I, that where I wouldn't be charged. So I would call in and talk to Rick. Mm. And, uh, 
and Rick, and, 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 and you know, he, he was a great guy. He's, he's no longer with us, but uh, we, we talked a, a lot about wrestling and, and he came out here several times for shows. And so I, I did call a 900 number one time and wound up becoming friends with the guy and, and not having to pay for it ever again. So that was nice. Wow. Yeah, long distance too. I remember, like said, long distance. Alan Raskin, I think, was the guy's name in Philadelphia that I remember. He had like a newsletter thing and stuff like that for a while, and it was like I would call his hotline, and like I just remember him. Like it's kind of the same thing. Like he picked up one day, we just started talking, and like you know, calling back and forth with him. That was yeah. I mean, it wasn't as bad. Obviously, he's getting yelled at for the nine hundred number, but but still, it was just like, who is this like person you're talking like you know for three hours about wrestling with? Like, who is this person? Yeah. <laughs> do you guys remember the first newsletter you ever bought or the, or the fan, or I should say a fan club sheet or whatever it was. Yeah. That's the same. It was the observer. Oh, for, it was the observer for me. What made you decide to buy the observer? Well, my dad had been a subscriber a few years earlier to the national. So I knew who oh, Dave right. Meltzer was. Yeah. And uh, by early 93, I was listening to John Arezzi's show and Dave was on there frequently and he was always plugging the observer. And I was at a certain point where it was like, I, I knew some inside stuff. I wanted to know more. Uh, I was calling coach Kurt every day for 25 cents. <laughs> and then I started getting the observer and I realized where coach Kurt was getting his stuff from. Dave would send it from California. It would get the coach Kurt in Michigan before it would get to me in Long Island. So I would get the Observer a couple of days earlier from calling Coach Kurt, and uh, yeah, uh, that was my uh, my early routine in '93. Well, my first one was uh, was also the Observer, and a similar way. I mean, I was I think older than when you first got into it, but uh, it was just sort of that you knew there was more to it, uh, inside information that was out there. I mean, every so often you'd read a magazine like ring wrestling or, or wrestling. Eye was a good one that would throw in some, uh, insider information and, uh, you would devour that kind of thing. It would, used to be a, a major big deal if you could find out somebody's real name, you know, <laughs> but as a matter of fact, I, I was sort of always aware looking at all the magazines, uh, some of them would plug the observer and various things. And they plugged that one in a way that made it sound interesting. But what really happened was uh, Bruiser Brody got killed. And uh, I remember my brother-in-law saw there was like one line about it in USA Today. That was the extent of the national coverage of Brody's death. And my brother-in-law told me about it, and he got it wrong. He said, did you see what it said in USA Today? Bruiser Brody killed some guy down in Puerto Rico. And I, oh my God, you know, and then I (laughs) went and grabbed USA Today and saw what was really going on and that was it it just said he was killed and that was it and i said i i don't know how to find out more about any of this and i think i (laughs) had this idea that well maybe i could find out by doing this and certainly that's exactly what happened i sent off my money to uh get my first issue of the wrestling observer and uh i heard all i wanted to know about uh about brody's murder and uh and uh whole lot more it, it was kind of mind-blowing the first time to sit down and read that and take it all in the first um i guess the first uh, arena report type thing that i received there was a guy named denny shelberg in new york who put out uh this uh, newsletter called in this corner in the 1970s and i i got a couple of them because he much like 
Wade Keller used to do would include a, a color picture from Madison Square Garden on uh, on each of the uh, with each of the issues. And I read that for a while, but it was just basically results. The very first insider type newsletter I read was Michael Harris Combat Sports, hmm. because at one point out here. Uh, the Golden Apple comic book store, right when wrestling started to get hot in the 80s, uh, cut a deal to actually have that on the stands uh, in their in their magazine section. And I bought it. Uh, I bought it there. And then uh, eventually from uh, Eric Caden, who, uh, who ran Hollywood Book and Poster, mm-hmm. uh, he had this he had the observer there and he said, you ought to take a take a look at this. And uh, he gave me a copy and I went ahead and subscribed to it. And I was amazed because. I said, holy, holy cow! This this stuff thing comes out once a week. All these pages come out once a week. Yeah, I thought it was like a monthly type newsletter or something, and then all that came out once a week. So uh, yeah, I started subscribing to that in 1985, uh, which was a really good time to do it. Yeah, it was before his typewriter broke, and that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that O was you know, bouncing over the page. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Thank God, my eyes are weren't as bad uh, then as they are now because I could never get through that small type at that point. I think it helped make my eyesight really good. I got. I don't wear glasses. <laughs> I don't need glasses. I think it's from like from the age of thirteen on, reading the tiniest possible newsprint in the Observer each week. Yeah, yeah, but mm-hmm. then you started speaking in all run-on sentences, and you know there there was always something to counterbalance it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I talked about it a little bit. You know, I was I was really late to the game on a lot of that stuff. Like I played the corners, I listened to the radio shows or called this, but I would never invest in it too much. And like in the you know as I've grown up now, and like you know start collecting things and all these things from the past, like newsletters. I started finding you know older newsletters, and obviously being associated with the the, the Observer too, that that helps. You know, when you had a chance to go back and say, oh, now I get it. Uh, like the global wrestling newsletter. I just got one of those uh, from May of 1980, you know, which is just like, I, I mean, it just kind of blows me away. Was there, has there been anything that you guys, as far as like collectors go or something like that, where it's like you go back and it's like the chatterbox or like the, just something that you found where it's like, it, it's become like your old favorite newsletter collect or something like that. I'll tell you one that I love are the old Terry justice newsletters. Yeah which were collections of newspaper clippings for the for the most part. He also did the uh, Gilbert Family Fan Club or the Eddie Gilbert Fan Club, TNT. But the thing that's amazing is when you go through them is that he was sending them out sometimes twice a week. And sometimes it was more than one news. Like, he had so much stuff, and he would send it all out, and he didn't charge anyone. It was like you had to send really? him stuff. You had to send them clippings, and you would get the other ones. Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> amazing, and just they're loaded with newspaper clippings. There's so would he it, it, did he do the yearbooks at the end of the year too, like the 1980 and stuff like that? Yes. Well, oh, I, okay. I don't, yeah. I don't remember if it was that late, but I know he did the earlier ones. But okay, yes. like in the 70s, because I know I have a couple of those. As I didn't know that was him, but yeah, I have a couple like PDFs of those where it was like they're just really cool. And again, it's just like man, it's like 1977, and some of those like. Man, I had a lot to go back and try to collect again. Like find out about the global wrestling newsletter. I'd never seen this one before, and I'm trying to think of where this one was out of. Tom Burke. Uh, Tom Burke. Global wrestling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like you know this. This is Leo. You know, it's it's brand new to me, but it's just like it's blown me away. It's like now I got to collect these. <laughs> and there's a lot of those. Trust me. Good. Good. Great. Now I'm going to be spending a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I told Tom a while back, I was like, man, is some guy put like, every issue of your 
Global Wrestling News Service on eBay. And he's like, you're kidding me. <laughs> he had no idea. Like some guy just put them all up. They're like, some guy has them all up on there. So, hmm. I enjoyed Matt. I enjoyed Matt Watch a lot also. Uh, I wound up actually sending a lot, a lot of stuff uh, to Steve Beverly under the assumed name because I was working for the American film market at that time, and I would sometimes get information about when the guys were branching out into movies and whatever, and I didn't really talk about it. I did the I did the first review of the uh, Hulk Hogan No Holds Barred movie. I, 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 I got a pass to, uh, to a screening of that and uh, sat about two rows uh, off of, uh, right near Jesse Ventura. And I remember the film ended and it was very quiet and everybody got up to leave. And Jesse Ventura turned to the guy with him and said, well, that was a mess, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you still have your so, original yeah, so review? I, do you still have the original review you wrote? Yeah, I think I do. I have most of the Matt Watches. I, do. I, I, I used the name, they, used, uh, they gave me the name Chris Crosby. So I used to uh, show up from time to time, uh, you know, doing, doing recaps and doing stuff like that. So I'll see if I can find it. Uh, it, was, it was, I just remember sitting there and like, oh my God, this is so bad. How can I do a report on this? I was hoping it would be okay, but it's going to be really, really bad, you know. Uh, and it it still is. I I can't get through it's that awful. film to this day. I'd rather watch. Mm-hmm. I'd rather watch the the Bowery Boys no whole part than I would. <laughs> you know, and I have uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that I would just sit through uh, the, the Hulk Hogan one. Man, oh man, you know. It, well, I always it, had a problem with uh, depictions of pro wrestling in the movies and on mm-hmm. television because they never really got it right. It's the same same way with rock and roll. When you would see it, you'd go, that's not what pro wrestling looks like. That's not what it's like. Like if they show the back of a, you know, the locker room in a pro wrestling match, there'd always be some 500 pound guy dressed as a caveman holding a club and screaming and yelling, you know, at the top (laughs) of their lungs. I say, but so that's what was weird about No Holds Barred is considering everybody that was involved in that and WWF was, was, uh, thoroughly behind it you still looked at that and went this looks fake <laughs> I mean, yeah, strange could, word you to use man, you can see a man electrocuted by a one-inch videotape machine that's you can't always it's always funny because when you look at those some of those films and i, I watched one of the other i think called i think it's called body hold or something like that from the 1950s and it had a, guys like Billy Vargan and whatever. And what they usually always would do in that situation is they would set up wrestling as being, you know, uh, fake and whatever. And then at some point, somebody would say, well, you know, uh, if these other promoters would do it real like we do it, which I think was that kind of, if, if they were to do that, they, that they felt justified to be in this movie or whatever. Uh, but it's just amazing how, how, how rarely anybody ever gets wrestling right. Uh, especially yeah. people who do it now, even uh, you know, they, they, you know I, I, we talked uh, about the uh, the Richard Winmark movie uh, just briefly once before, which I still think is is one of the best professional wrestling movies I've ever seen. Are you guys familiar with? Have you seen that? Night, uh, uh, Night in the City. Have you seen that? Night in the City. Yeah. No, you brought no, that I, up. I've still I never seen, seen that yet. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. Someone said that it was on Turner Classic Movies recently, but I missed it. It's on Turner Classic Movies a lot. And you know, it's really funny because every generation 
always talks about how uh, their generation was, uh, you know, the, the generation they were brought up on was the best time for wrestling or whatever, and how all the other wrestling was fake. And, and there's, a, there's a great sequence uh, toward the very end of there where um, Stanislaw Sabisco wrestles Mike Mazurki, and he says, uh, he looks at Mazurki and he says, we were wrestlers, you guys are clowns. This is 1950. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 1950 it was, and it, I, I remember when I go to the San Diego Arena back in the 1970s. I would talk to guys who are like my age now, who've been going for 20 years, and they would say, "Oh, yeah, well, you know, this stuff now, this, you know, this is just you know jumping around and whatever and, and, and clown stuff." That, but when I was going in the 1950s, that stuff was real. And then they would eventually tell me that their parents would go in the 1940s and didn't like the stuff in the 1950s because stuff in the 1940s was real. <laughs> like something about ring sports that always goes well. It was like boxing is always the same way. It's like heavyweights, man, they're, they're not the same. And man, they're killing boxing. And it's like you look, it's like, no, it's, it's a Time magazine article from 1951. It's like it's just something something about it never changes. And, you know, it, it's yeah. amazing when like the 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 opus of, of, of wrestling movies from from my childhood is Body Slam. I think that's still the one yeah. I can hold up up above everybody else. <laughs> it's the best one ever. <laughs> It is an amazing. I like when they do the murderer's row of analia of like the random people that just happen to be sitting together there in the front row where it's just like, you know, it was, it's like it goes from like Bruno San Martino to like, who was the guy with like Rip Torn? Who was the guy with the mustache? What, no, the, uh, no, they didn't have Rip Torn. <laughs> not Rip Torn, but I forget the guy's no, name. I can see his face. Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor, thank you. Rip Taylor <laughs> wasn't one of the special guests. But that's like, that was the kind of lineup that they had going next to each other. It's like, okay, here's Ric Flair. Now here's Gallagher. It's like, what the hell is going on here? Who set this up? <laughs> no, they had a, I remember who was there, actually. It was Bruno San Martino, and it was Sheik Adnan El Casey, <laughs> yeah. and then Fred Blassie, and then Ric Flair. And it's just, there's no rhyme or reason to it. How the right. hell is Billy White Wolf there? Like, how does he fit in? Like, why why was he even in LA at the moment? Like, he's got no connection with any of those other guys. Yep. If the barbarian ever could have been as cool as he was in that movie, he would have been a major star. <laughs> the other thing in all the modern wrestling movies and, and TV shows that they always depict is uh just ask me, all you can answer this. Have you ever been to a wrestling match where the entire audience Stands and thrust both of their thumbs down all at once and goes, That's uh, that's Duke. That was the uh, early version of nuclear heat. Both hey, what, thumbs down. Uh, hey, Scott, you, you, you compared it to uh, rock and roll. What are some of your favorite misconceptions or misconceptions is not the right word, but what are your favorite rock and roll things in movies that are stereotypes that don't actually happen? Oh, just, you know, it, it, it's a real, <laughs> you put me on the spot there, but it, it, it's just an overall look it, 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 it just looks phony. Uh, you know, it just a lot of smoke and, and, uh, you know, just effects that you would never see on an actual stage, <laughs> things like that. Just, just, it, yeah, just like smoke and these guys with big flowing robes and altars and things like that i don't know what you know when chris christopherson and barbara streisand that was <laughs> it were in a, a star is born I, that was like mid 70s 
And you said, at the very least, Chris Christopherson has been on a stage before. He knows what that looks like. I don't know. Maybe they think it doesn't look glamorous enough for 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 movies. You know, <laughs> same with wrestling. Maybe they think wrestling looks too dull, and they've got to spice it up for uh, <laughs> the, the only people that are going to go to those things. Well, at least my it's b- for better rock, what they. My favorite oh, for, oh, I'm sorry. I think my favorite for the rock and roll films is where the band in their early days gets booked into a biker bar. And they get yep. up there on stage and they start playing and everybody's booing and throwing stuff at them. And little by little, they win the bar over and everybody starts like clapping along. And that's always one of my favorite cliches in rock and roll movies, because that doesn't exist. That doesn't happen. You know, I'll, I, I, will, well, I will say this. I, I would have loved to have seen this footage. Uh, do you remember the, the singer songwriter Jewel the, from from Alaska, the who saved your soul? She had a couple <laughs> she had come out and apparently for some reason they booked her in an inner city school in detroit and there was a rapper that was down with uh dr dre it was jewel uh, (laughs) j-e-w-e-l-l so the Mm. students heard jewel was coming and they were really excited except then jewel got on stage and she was not popular and then was quickly hustled off stage so (laughs) i guess it kind of sort of can happen (laughs) well when rhino Rhino records was just a little record store out here you could go and buy bootlegs there all the time and I got a bootleg from uh, Elton John's first tour uh, in the early 70s um, through California when it was just him with the piano. And he was opening at the Swing Auditorium in San Bernardino for Leon Russell. And uh, oh, wow. you know, he comes out and he opens up and he starts with your song. And on the bootleg, you hear, you know, it's, it's very kind of people are talking and whatever. And he starts out, he goes, it's a little bit funny and then clear as day you hear this guy yell get off the fucking stage (laughs) from the audience and it basically stays that way the entire time and and and, you know for his entire set and that's that's the way it is that's the way it always is (laughs) i guess the other cliche is how quickly you go from being a nobody to being the hottest thing in the world In the rock and roll movies, it really, it literally does happen overnight. First time they play, you know, and everybody just goes completely wild. And then (laughs) in the next scene, oh, now we're on the top of the charts, you know, and uh, well, then the scene right after that of the horrifying crippling drug addiction and old friend (laughs) that that gets lost. (laughs) Yeah. Always seems to come right after that as well, too. I don't know if you guys had ever seen it, and I haven't seen it in years, and I, I don't even know. I'm trying to even think of where I saw it. it was somebody had a VHS tape. It was good to go. I don't know if anybody ever saw it with Art Garfunkel, which is an awful movie. No. Oh, my <laughs> was, God. But for me, growing up in Washington, D.C., and there's a, a very regional type of music, go-go music, and, and the only – I think probably debut by EU is the only go-go song anybody in the world would know, but it is just a, it is a, just a, a lot of music that's with drums and congas and that sort of thing. Good, good party music. Uh, they kind of go on Chuck Brown and the soul searchers. Uh, mm-hmm. was a, you know, probably is a, the, the best example and the best uh, uh, export of go-go music. He was just brilliant, but um, there was a movie that just, all it did was just destroy go-go music. 
music and how everybody was a thug <laughs> and how everything, you know, how Gogo was always attached to like criminal elements and in these bad areas and everything. It was just like, and of course, nobody that had anything to do with the movie that was brought on to do music or anything like that had really any concept of how they, anything was going to be shown or viewed. And it just completely drove everything into the toilet. And it was like, that was the only thing anybody knew about Gogo music was the fact that, well, yeah, if you go to a Gogo, you're going to get stomped and killed outside. <laughs> Somebody's going to be dealing drugs and everything else. It actually, you know, it just became a disaster. Mm. The first couple of times that they tried to make a rap star into a into a movie star were all kind of, uh, as I recall them, failures. Uh, you know, it probably wasn't until 8 Mile where there was something that resembled a decent movie. Otherwise, you had things like the Fat Boys and Disorderlies or... Uh, <laughs> Well, there cool was tough. I did like Tougher Than Leather, although in hindsight, when like watching Tougher Than Leather, I guess there's a reason why they oh, tougher will than not leather. not that let that get shown anywhere. And maybe I was just a fan of Lois Ayers' breasts, probably more than anything. <laughs> but, like, that, that was like the it. only movie like that. And I'm trying to think. I think it was not uh, Breaking, but uh, uh, Beat Street was okay. But there was a uh, Crush Groove was the one that was like okay, that was at least halfway decent. Oh yeah, yeah, actually. Where they took a an established a, a rap star and tried to plug them into a into a big movie. <laughs> oh, so yeah, every attempt that LL Cool J made was like, some made some horrible movies. But then at some point, it was just simply accepted that he was an actor. <laughs> yeah, how did that happen? It it was well, you know what? It was like that Ice T thing where it was just like all of a sudden yeah, it's like Ice T's like more actor than anything, like. What happened here? And then Ice Cube kind of followed, and it's like, well, there's just LL. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> not, not exactly a thespian, but all right, fine. <laughs> well, at some point when I wasn't looking, uh, Snoop Dogg started hosting a game show. <laughs> and, I, and I saw it, and it, I think I was kind of late catching up to it. I said, I, I can't believe my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Although it, it, years and years earlier, I think the first time I saw a crossover like that, and it really, I wasn't a huge fan of this guy or anything like that. But uh, Coolio was a sub, was a celebrity <laughs> guest on Match Game. <laughs> See, it'd always be somebody like Coolio or the Fat Boys or somebody who was like just an extra shitty rapper or two that seemed to always right. get these spots. <laughs> that was another thing. It's like why is why isn't this fucking guy? Well, it's like because he's more of an actor than he is a musician. Right. So this is perfect. <laughs> so how did we avoid a movie that? How did we not get a movie starring like uh, Tone Loke or Bismarcky or something? Tone like Loke starred in. The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Yes. Oh my goodness, that's as, true. As well as Ace Ventura. Pet Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Ford Fairlane. <laughs> Ford Fairlane. That, that was a better bad movie than ever. I, love I was going to say that was a much better bad movie than I ever would have expected it to be. This mm. stupidity in the middle of that movie <laughs> for no reason. But there's also the greatest heels. Like you have Robert England. As the smiley face killer, which is amazing. Yeah. And then Wayne Newton plays the slime bag yes. record producer, and he's great. And then there's just like the motorcycle murderers that are after Ford. And mm. and they're good too. Great movie. <laughs> I love that. I know it's bad, but I love that movie so much. 
like Stone Cold with Bosworth. It's like, you know, <laughs> there are movies that are like you're you're going to and you, you really want deep thoughts. And there's movies that you just want to get high and sit on the couch with. And like some of those movies, everybody's got a place. It's the only reason I can watch Moving with Richard Pryor. One, because Stacey Dash, that was at least at the one point I thought she was really hot. And you got King Kong Bundy. <laughs> but it's like <laughs> Randy, Randy Quaid threatening Richard Pryor. It's like, you know what? I can watch this. <laughs> Favorite bad movie, Dan? Oh God, there's so many of them, um, and I and I do and I I must admit I do search them out on Amazon Prime on a regular basis. There's a, a Slumber Party Massacre movie that's that I don't think it was ever intended to be good. Uh, it just was really 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 bad. But uh, there's a, I watched one this afternoon, Teenage Caveman with Robert Vaughn. Oh my God, mm. um, that that that's that's tough going. That's tough sledding. Um, and and you know I can if I can find something that amuses me about a bad movie you know I'll go back to it and watch it. I've been going back and, and watching um, a lot of movies that I saw like twenty thirty years ago, uh, you know from the nineteen eighties and whatever. And uh, some of them I've been very surprised by, uh, and some of them are still really really bad. I watched actually a film called Up the Creek recently again, and I actually liked that one uh, quite a bit. It was it was it was a a Porky's uh, Animal House knockoff with uh, both of the guys from Porky's and Animal House in it. You know about a, <laughs> um, about a, it was a it was a, a rafting trip, and uh, uh, you know there was there was the the Dean Wormer uh, character, and then then they brought in somebody who was like Ted Knight from Caddyshack. You know, so I mean, there's always uh, I you know I'll think of about twenty or thirty really bad movies later on, but. Uh, I do enjoy a, a, sometimes uh, just a, a, a really, really so bad it's funny movie. Uh, they're, they're classics. There's some great classics. I saw Four Fair Lane in the theater, too, where, oh, I'll tell you, the, oh, I, here it is. The worst film I've ever seen, the very worst film I've ever seen is a film called Night Patrol, starring the unknown comic. <laughs> and Linda Blair. <laughs> yeah, and Linda Blair. <laughs> And uh, it and and all these comedians uh, from from around that time. And uh, I remember reading in the paper that the the old studio theater down in in Studio City, uh, the opening night of that, they had more people walk out of that film than they ever had had in any film of <laughs> of all time. And it really and truly it is completely wretched. Pat Morita did that the same year he did Karate Kid. He's lucky they didn't wow. take his Oscar nomination away. <laughs> I mean, it's just that bad. Billy Barty plays the, 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 the little, the little dwarf actor, plays the police captain, and every time he takes a step, he breaks wind. Oh, oh. yeah, and you can, and yeah, and Linda Blair is in it, and uh, and, and oh, there's just a whole bunch of really, really. Uh, oh, Andrew Dice Clay is in it. Wow, playing a, a a guy who wants to be a comic who is imitating. Uh, the unknown comic J.P. Morgan. I mean, it really and truly <laughs> is just uh, an, an all-star disaster. And you can still find this movie. You can, um, I think, you can get it on DVD for like six bucks on Amazon. And oh, it boy. really and truly is a wretched experience, but one that everyone should. Uh, I, I I can't imagine anyone seeing this movie not saying yes. That is truly probably the worst film I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, you just mentioned J.P. Morgan. They actually did a movie, the Gong Show movie, mm -hmm. and uh, 
the gong show couldn't have been any hotter at the time. That's a movie that's so bad it's just bad. That's not. It's yeah. not. Really bad. <laughs> and the source material was something that was so hip and that everyone loved at the time. But by the time that got in, it was it was awful. And oh yeah, even though they rushed it into movie theaters, it just it just completely died. Got all those great movies being brought up with Andrew Dice Clay and them. Like casual sex wasn't brought. <laughs> it's like, oh. so, so some of those movies, some of the USA Up All Night movies that, that were so hideously bad that, that some of those. But like, did, would the Kentucky Fried movie classify as a great bad movie? It's too funny. Or is, is, is it too funny? Yeah. Is that, yeah, because I love that. And it's like, I seem to be, of anybody I knew in my area, it's like nobody had seen that movie. And it was just like oh, for the I longest time. I, yeah, I didn't know anybody for the longest time. But actually, like, like seemed to be like wrestling fans, like, had all seen it, which was awesome. But, like, nobody else that I knew had seen it. I, just, I always thought that was great. That and there was a, oh, God, there was another, was it Bad Taste? I always got a kick out of that as far as being a horrifically bad movie made on the cheap that was you know it was never made to be good but it was just it to me it was so extra cheap it was funny andrew mm-hmm. dice clay movies another one early on private resort that was one of the first johnny <laughs> oh, Depp movies that was the one with the woman who played uh callahan in police academy she wanted to play have what did she call it peekabooby time <laughs> The movie. <laughs> Are we lucky to get a young Rob Morrow in that one? That's right. <laughs> young Rob Morrow in that. That's right. Nice. And, and peak a booby time. That's <laughs> wow. Uh, well, Scott, a... what? Nothing. I just, uh, I'm famous for seeing movies like once, and that's, <laughs> that's it. I think, I think somebody on, uh, on Breaking K Fabe the other day said, it was probably Jeff was talking about tough turf with the with the with the James, James Spader. He says, yeah. and he says, I've probably seen that movie twenty times. And I said, <laughs> you got to be kidding me! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hey, who's to say? But like the Star Wars movies, I've seen them all once, exactly once. Never saw them again. <laughs> Come on, even the original trilogy. Yeah. The the first like one you saw, I saw it in the movie theater, and you never saw the original Star Wars ever again. I I think I saw the first one twice, and the other ones only once. Never saw them on on TV. Never saw them on home video. Never went back to see them. <laughs> <laughs> got other stuff to do. <laughs> so so somebody, but like I I remember Private Resort, but I I probably only seen it once. <laughs> I wish That's I could it. say that. I think I've seen Rocky three about seventy eight million times. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and, the, and Godfather. Although Godfather doesn't count because it's part of like a tradition yeah. every year where it's like I watch, yeah. you know, the entire unabridged <laughs> version all lumped together, which is just mm-hmm. lovely. <laughs> Gotta love that movie. There are one. There are a couple of ones where, if they come on television, even if they come on television where they're edited and the language is taken out and good scenes are taken out and things like that. I will still sit and watch uh, Goodfellas, Animal House, Blazing Saddles. Those are all unassailable classics. It's preferable to see them. Uh, and if they do come to like a revival screening or something like that, I'll, I'll go see those. But it's only a handful of them, really. Yeah. I wish I could barely have a conversation about movies because I've only seen things once. Yeah. I wish Raising Arizona would get one of those like reboots where it ends up at like the Charles Theater in Baltimore and like all these little cool movie spots. Because that there's one movie that again, no matter when it comes on, 
I'm going to have to watch it. Like, even if I catch it in the middle, it's like, ah, no, it's staying on now. I got to watch it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of those Coen Brothers ones are like that, too. I, I really, I just, uh, most of them, I think, are great. I just saw the movie uh, for the first time in a while the other day, Made, with John Favreau and Vince Vaughn, where they go to New York City, and they're like, it's never really said exactly what they're doing. They work for Peter Falk, who's like a mob boss in L.A., and he sends them to mm. New York. And they have to meet up with this guy Ruiz, who's played by Puck Daddy. <laughs> Anyone ever see this movie? No. It's maybe the I funniest so, Vince Vaughn performance ever. If you're into Vince Vaughn, it's maybe the most off the hook Vince Vaughn performance ever. And <laughs> then if you watch the outtakes, you realize everyone's losing it the whole shoot. Now you know the only movie I've ever seen where Peter Falk was actually playing a mob boss, it was Corky Romano. <laughs> 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 Well, I don't know what we should do now. Uh, is, let me <laughs> killed it dead. All right. <laughs> let me see if this person's here. Uh, are you still awake? <laughs> Let's see if this person's there, and we will find out shortly. I recorded another fine episode of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight then and now earlier today that I think everyone will get a kick out of. He's cleaned house after the Power Twins. <laughs> debacle in the studio for multiple weeks. Oh my. Yeah. Those are coming out fast and furious now though, so. I'll tell you. Spotlight episode. There's one next week that's ridiculous because uh, it's a good episode. He has Killer Kowalski, Sergeant Slaughter, a bunch of other things and then Larry from LNS Comics tries to do wrestling (laughs) trivia under the the name The Master where you have to stump The Master and it becomes clear Mm. it becomes clear really quickly he doesn't know anything about wrestling (laughs) <laughs> uh, and in some case the callers don't even know I mean, it's just it's such a train wreck so uh it, what's the year that you're into now 89. in those episodes 1989 yeah 1989 yeah like i said if i started reading the observer in 88 or something like that yeah there for a few, a few years before that and certainly after that there was just i mean i was in this then i wasn't exactly a kid <laughs> but just the thirst for anything related to wrestling. You would you would listen to anything. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, there are callers. Uh, you know, we talk about it on the, the show we just recorded today. I think maybe the last week's episode. There were callers who were just so excited. They don't even give their name. They're like, yes, hi, thank you. Well, Anthony Naraka, what do you remember about him? They just, they've been waiting so many years to talk to someone about wrestling. There was no internet. There was nothing. If you didn't know someone, you didn't know someone. So there's some yeah. people just excited to do that or ask about rumors. Like, uh, oh, yeah. you know, is Jimmy Garvin coming back to the NWA? What about Ricky Santana? Like, things like that. So it, it yeah. is kind of neat to hear how excited people are to have the opportunity to listen to wrestling talk and also participate as a caller. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember staying up to listen to Rich Mancuso and uh, was it Jody McDonald? Yeah. Yeah, Jody. On WFAM. Yeah, way up here. You could get their sig. You could get WFAN like at night when the signal was clear, you know. And um, fifty thousand you know, watts, exactly. And AM, uh, AM, and uh, yeah, you would just listen to that. So it cracks me up whenever I hear that discussion about how they would respond about where is so and so these days. Oh, he's he's on tour in Japan. You know? <laughs> he's in Canada. That's he's in Canada. Canada. 
Oh God, yeah. It's like you know, I used to listen to that too. It was like three o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning into Sunday morning, because it was the yeah. same way down where I was to get that in. And it was like you know, after hearing those other shows, it's like man, you gotta stay up for this. And yeah, the the Mets Nets just was it Mets Nets or Mets Knicks Rangers and St. John's basketball <laughs> the taglines for FAN. And yeah, Mekuso in hindsight said nothing. <laughs> said absolutely yeah. nothing but damn it i stayed up till four o'clock in the morning to hear it anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you dan on the west coast i know like in the 90s you had shadow man that was eventually taken over by michael Ano somehow but yeah <laughs> did you ever have like wrestling talk on the radio when, when did you first find out about something or hear about like wrestling insiders at las vegas i guess but what did you first know about uh, well it's uh there was a guy named dynamite d that had the you know the, the 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 radio show on the cable network uh, where you know you would be like the library channel or this is the stock or whatever and, and they would have music behind there. Um, what is really weird about it is that most of the shows out here that did it, I found out about them when they asked me to be on them. So I didn't really listen to a lot of the shows. I I did Dynamite D's. I I didn't do Shadow Man. Shadow Man came out to a a show I worked on. And um, it was a real jerk. Um, <laughs> I got in the ring and, and acted like he knew what was going on. And I was in the ring with the referee. And uh, we just basically turned our back on him and went to the back of the ring and just left him standing there. Um, I, I never you know, I never listened to, to Mike's show. Uh, I, I was on Rick Carter's show, uh, Rick, uh, out in Las Vegas uh, uh, several times. I would do Lucha reports and stuff like that. Um, I would occasionally, if I found out that like Dave Meltzer was doing, uh, you know, one of the shows up in San Francisco or whatever, I would, you know, you know, pull the radio up late at night to listen to that kind of stuff. But they didn't have a lot of it out here. And by the time also, because I'm a little bit older than you guys, um, you know, it didn't it wasn't really something that that kind of really kicked into high gear until a little bit later. Uh, in the early days, I was you were just kind of stuck with uh, with the newsletters and uh, and occasional letters from friends and, and tape traders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the radio the the radio was something that came about more so uh, in the 1980s, and by that time, you know, uh, you know there was, there was so much other ways between uh, the internet, some of the boards and stuff like that, and. Uh, yeah, so I, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of shows, and um, it was really funny because Dynamite D was was a nice kid, and he what he what he used to like to do was um, the 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 callers would drive him crazy, because um, you know, they would ask the you know they ask the questions, and a lot of guys would ask when they call in. So what he would do is he would, would set me up, and we started talking, and he would get up very quietly and excuse himself from the room knowing that I was then stuck to talk to these guys <laughs> on the phone by myself while he was at, you know, and like you said, every place you always say, oh, he's in Japan. That's where you would say for anybody, but you would get all these, these kind of strange people. And he would leave the room and just stand outside at the glass, looking at me and laughing. <laughs> that was like the same thing. Brian Alvarez does to me on Observer Live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking about the radio shows at least too. Like I, you know, once 
they never stuck around for too long. Like I remember there was a guy like a 98 rock in Baltimore, like this is around the time Axel Rodden uh, started running in the, I think it was wrestling independent network. I don't think we've even gotten to Maryland championship wrestling, but it was like nurse, you know, feel better and doctor feel good. And it's like that lasted for like two weeks. And then somebody would else come on some random channel, you know, and then that would last for like three weeks and then disappear too. Nothing would stick around for too long. Yeah, they and they all had to have these really colorful names, you know. It's like, you know, I'm Captain Chaos, and you're listening to <laughs> yeah, punch <laughs> radio, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. And it's like, come on. It does remind me of how many times in my local area, and then stuff I would hear about nationwide, where it just showed at the time the media being what it was, the power of of radio in the these asshole DJs were so often involved in like a local card, you know, yeah. getting in the ring, uh, being completely inappropriate, having no, no interest in what, but just clowning around with guys that weren't there to be clowned around with, you know, or some goofy little DJ match on Memphis did it constantly. But I even remember seeing it in, uh, in Smoky Mountain and OVW and stuff like that, you know, it, it was so important to to get over and get the free publicity from these local radio stations that you had to employ some idiot DJ to be involved in some angle. Very rarely did it was it ever ever any good, you know. <laughs> uh, I always hated that. At least you know we're, we we were George Michael on on at least he. You know, had respectability because if you right. go back to the, the Capitol Center shows, you know, in the early 80s, and I don't know how much of this is is out there or anything like that. But like when you would do the ring announcing and stuff like that, or you come and do the special ring announcing. So by the time like the sports machine rolled around and everything, and he got national acclaim for doing the re- Wednesday wrestling thing and stuff like that, it's like, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was goofing around with the guys, but he was just, he was enhancing the show. He was like, what, you know, what he was supposed to be doing. He was there to help promote the show and all that sort of stuff where it wasn't, he had to be involved in the show on it, like man cow and like that sort of stuff yeah. later on, where it's like either somebody thought they were important or financially for whatever reason, you know, they were, they were important to that local promotion. And, but yeah. they just, it's like, they liked wrestling so much that they had to shit on it by getting in there, even though everybody <laughs> yeah. was heckling them and making fun of them for it. Yeah. We saw judge auto dealer in Knoxville. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was that was a guy. It was fun to see him and the the thing, but yeah, that was a guy who had a used a used car lot, so he was a sponsor. But he he was playing a heel character. Now this is a guy who wants you to come down to his lot and buy a car. He's got the whole. He's trying to get the whole, whole audience to boo him. You know, <laughs> we already hate the used car dealership guy. Like you don't need to add on anything extra to that. <laughs> yeah, right. We're gonna come down to your lot and you know. Dent some of your cars. We're not going to buy anything <laughs> from you. I used to hate that. That's the one thing that I, when I was working shows, the one thing I always would hate was the promoter would come up and say, Hey, we got this guy who teaches karate here on the weekends and, and we want him to be in the corner. You know? Yeah. And it, and it, it, always, it, all it, kinds it, of things it was like always that. A disaster. The only time that I ever worked a show that where somebody was really good was uh, Tracy Savage was a, uh, a, an actress originally. She was in like the, the Friday the 13th 3D film. And then she became a newscaster and she became probably most famous because she provided a lot of the coverage of the OJ Simpson trial. And several years ago, she was, was working local news and they, um, 
they they said to me, oh, uh, uh, Tracy's going to get in and be the special ring announcer. I said, oh, okay, fine. Uh, she got in there, and uh, the heel started, like, you know, talking down to her and whatever it was. And I'll be damned. She out-talked him. She, she, she completely killed him for the entire evening. I mean, just verbally <laughs> destroyed him to the point, you know, I said, see, guys, you got to be very careful when, when you pick your targets on that kind of stuff. And I, when she came out of the ring, I said to her, I said, I would hire you in a minute to work <laughs> or at least to teach the guys how to do interviews because uh, she, uh, you know, it's, it's very rarely because they don't know when to pull back. They want to get out there and they want to, they want to do things. They want to, you know, and I would say to them, I said, look, don't, don't, rush the wrestlers don't try to act like you're tough like the wrestlers because what's going to happen is if you get the wrong one they're going to do something to you don't don't do that you know they they have to do that at that point and uh, most of the time they got it but most of the time it was always get the guy out of the ring real quick get the guy out of the ring right now before before he gets hurt you know uh, those are always, and that's something that is just tradition in wrestling. That's always being done for publicity or for whatever, yeah. but it's something that just drove me crazy. Always <laughs> drove me crazy. It happened last week on the AEW show. There. Oh yeah. Oh God yeah. Damn. I mean, that's, I, I started, uh, I started sweating when I started hearing the setup of that thing. I knew uh, where that was going. I mean, that's just a disaster, just a disaster waiting to happen. And it's not something I also feel like. Even though I, even even though that was something that was, uh, you know, a, a supposedly a big time thing with with uh, with uh, arcade and video game uh, fans and whatever, it just always feels so low rent to me to to have, you know, it's like having that guy, the, the chopper, who was a guy that used to do uh, sell cars in Las Vegas, and it already looked like professional wrestling. Why do you want to have? Why do you want to have somebody that's going to that you can't control? Or who was it? It was a, uh, was it? Um, Jeff Jarrett taking bumps for Shatner or whatever it was several years ago. I mean, it's just really, really, yeah. or yeah. Or the, or the Chuck Norris holding off, uh, you know, half the WWE roster that one night. At, uh, <laughs> Once again, Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, well, my mm-hmm. thing is just is always, why do you want to, if you love it so much, why do you want to make it look low rent? Because you know, it yeah. never, it never works out. And there are so many examples of it yet it will keep happening over and over again as if you can, you know, suddenly recreate the wheel or the one time out of 100 Whoa. when it works. It's like, it's like well, come on. Me, hang on. Whoa, we're having a, a pretty big aftershock. Hang on. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Whoa, yeah. This one is yeah. still going. This is live coverage of the aftershock. <laughs> yeah, this one. Oh, God. In Southern California. Sorry, Lou, you Okay. Oh, things are falling. Hang on. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, hang on one more second. I I may have to bail here in a minute. I think it's. This is pretty. Okay. Uh, it looks like it stopped, but uh, things things were falling. Wow. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> well, that was interesting. You remember what I said earlier about not wanting to uh, not panicking that much anymore. Let me let me take that back because I just. <laughs> Basically, wet myself on uh, on on the uh, Star Wars show. Uh, <laughs> hang on, hang on one second. It's still we're still moving. Yeah. Oh dear. Wow that 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 that, that went on for. 
I'm sorry, basically. Uh, you know, now we can't follow anything now because we've just had uh, an earthquake. So This is the first um, natural disaster in the history of the Super Podcast to happen on air. <laughs> we are very happy for you to share this moment with us today, Dan. Yes. Uh, the first disaster... The first, oh, the first disaster I can remember yeah. was uh, was two days ago when we recorded the first. Uh... <laughs> oh, you beat me to it, Scott. You beat me to it. <laughs> the first Fourth of July Star Wars. Yeah, that was that. You know, that was uh, yeah, that was something. Um, um, yeah. It's uh, eight twenty-two right now when we're doing this in the evening on. Uh, Friday night, but that thing, you, we always joke about it out here because what happens is when they start rolling that way, um, you you feel um, you, you know the people the, the people that get on they start saying on the news you know it, it, it's like every yokel calls into the radio station you know uh, it felt like a roll it felt like a like a jolt it felt like a but that was a roll into a jolt and it kept on going for quite some time yeah so. Um, <laughs> No. <laughs> my wife's trying to look everything up, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was something. That was really something. I'm sorry. I'll let you guys go back to the show. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> don't mind me. Don't mind me. I'm just hanging on. It's like the end of Independence Day is what it is right now out here. I'm waiting for you know that. So uh, just uh, yeah. Well, here, do what well, everybody else is doing, which is quickly now run and get on Twitter and scream earthquake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what's funny is Hulu is showing uh, showing a movie called Earthquake 10.0, yeah, which is on <laughs> – when you pull it up, it, it comes up. And I said, you know, this someone should have thought this thing through. But uh, when it threw me was when people started screaming in the courtyard. I could hear people outside, you know, running for it or whatever. But uh, – that was very strange. Well, you know what, guys? I think I'm going to get off the phone right now because <laughs> to see, to see what's going on here a little bit more. Um, exactly. I mean, there's a button for you, Brian. I can't give you a better button for me than that one. Uh, <laughs> so I, I got to go see what's uh, what's going on here. But um, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad I gave you a moment uh, to remember here. Used to be the late Dan Farron. You're now shaking Dan Farron. <laughs> shaking Dan Farron. Uh, so I will. Uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks. I'll, I'll take it easy. Okay. Take care, Dan. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> we'll do. Bye, bye. Independence Day. All right. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Appearing here on this show, and we are here, Scott. It's me, you, and Mike. Now, what do I do about the one we recorded? Should I just scrap the whole thing? Should I throw it on as a bonus? Should I? How bad was this? See, I haven't listened back to it. But I, just I know you're that... low energy jab on it or something. But still, I was what very, happened? Here? I was so tired. That it really started hitting me how tired I was. I don't think it's good. Scott, what do you think? <laughs> All right. Well, it appears that there's more than one person in this earthquake tonight. Scott? Still muted, Scott. <laughs> Scott, you're on mute. Take yourself off mute. I wouldn't have even noticed that if you hadn't said anything. <laughs> there he is. There we go. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm... <laughs> No, I had to go get my charger and plug it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to outshine Dan Farron, but I'm experiencing my own difficulties here. <laughs> my phone's dying. <laughs> well, oh, you know, no, the show uh, the other day, you know, 
it has its moments, but it really what it lacked was was you. You were really sort of out of it, and you would disappear for long periods of time. And I, I you know, you're definitely the 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 force that keeps the show uh, rolling. So like, you disappear for long periods of time, but I'm just like, and, and, and he's the greatest. But I'm like, how come it's me and Lou all of a sudden? <laughs> Brian's over there, harrowing, not eating in the corner. <laughs> well, we actually have an update here, some news. Dan Farron has just checked in with us. It was a 7.1 quake. Jeez. And John, oh my God. John McAdam, who was on earlier, just checked in. The live earthquake Star Wars. <laughs> He's got a title. So now the feedback is coming in. Earthquake Star Wars. Right here. Who else can we call in Southern California to harass right now? No, Barnett. Nah, we called yeah. him the other day. I, Barnett was on the uh, <laughs> the, uh, the scrapped Star Wars episode. Right. <laughs> wow. 7.1. The Dodgers are playing right now, aren't they? Man, so they, there was the oh, Hall shit. of Fame, UFC, UFC Hall of Fames going on right now. Yeah, they got a bunch of, there's a bunch of stuff going on. It's, <laughs> it's a fun, fun time Fridays. <laughs> Man. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, earthquakes are the one thing that scares the shit out of me. Oh man, uh, same here. And I'm way too, and I live at the beach. I mean, Christ, I, I'm yeah. terrified when it comes to hurricanes and stuff like that. But it's just like, even with a hurricane, it's like you kind of know it's coming. You can move inland. Like it, it sucks. But like, if you have enough time, you can get out. With an earthquake, it's like, eh. <laughs> you know, tornado, you got some time. Ice storms. I've been through a lot of things. I don't know if I could exactly handle an earthquake. What about a train wreck? Scott, you still have an answer. What should we do with the, uh, <laughs> Star Wars we recorded a few nights ago. Other than my stuff, I don't think anything on there was too outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought there was some good stuff with Kurt. There was some good stuff with Howard. Yeah. I think yeah, Lou, did you, Lou may have been did as you tired. Like the part as, where, uh, you, and, you, me, and Lou may have been the three most where, uh, tired. Yeah, and I was just roasting from the heat the, the other night. I didn't have any air conditioning where I was. But, oh. uh, um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I guess I'll say if there's some extended sections that you thought were really, really good. I mean, everybody really was there trying and uh, there's just some stuff that's just sort of, I don't know. <laughs> it just goes on a bit, you know, it's a little uh, rid of it. That's <laughs> what I'm saying shortly. It's not as awful as it sounds. It's not particularly good either. It, it may not be as awful as it sounds. You sound pretty awful right now. Do I? Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're breaking in. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to, to get along the best I can. <laughs> I, so you're going to end up having a... to, going to have to step it up here. Otherwise we're going to be left over with just me, Brian and inappropriate Antonio Rocca. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Scott missed it. He doesn't even know the reference there. I say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm chuckling. I'm chuckling at, I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I figure I gotta step up my uh, my my impressions game, you know, with, with Howard and everything. You know, I don't, you know, I can't do like something good like psychedelic Ivan Koloff. So, I, you know, everything I'm trying though just ends up being something like somebody saying something really inappropriate. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the key that you 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 you've uh, you got that that part down pat. I love the fact that uh, that I you, years ago on the show I had a character. I was parodying somebody who frankly did bad impressions. So my impressions didn't have to be good at all. 
all. I mean, we had people on the show who could do really good impressions. The mind just had to be what well, could be bad. <laughs> I wasn't wasn't shooting for that. So then at one point, I might have come up with one or two that actually sound. And then I'd get feedback like, oh, you don't understand. That's, you know, <laughs> that character, that's not funny. He the, the, the impression is too good. You know, that's uh, very rarely have I been accused of uh, being too good at anything. <laughs> but uh, the whole thing was weird. So I still like that idea. If I'm going to do impressions, I'm going to cloak it in the fact that I'm I'm doing them badly on purpose. <laughs> Well, they believe hot dog and lasto would still be the only drive time radio show I would listen to. So there's Oh thank you. <laughs> oh god. Thanks. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> don't encourage him. Don't encourage who? Me or the character of hot dog. <laughs> either or. Either or. Either or. <laughs> I'm always disappointed when Jim Cornette doesn't mention that you're one half of hot dog and Lasker. <laughs> He's doing his accolades at the beginning of the program. I don't know how to get that message to him. But, uh... Oh, God. If he ever did that, I would walk off the show. <laughs> That'd be it. Right, well, Chris. good luck. <laughs> you guys hear this stuff about Lawler and his co-host? Goodness. Yes. Wow. Yeah. The the hustler? <laughs> the guy that was stealing money and hustling people. Yeah. I heard about it a few weeks ago. I didn't know if it was going to break out in the public. And then all of a sudden now everything's out there. Everything I knew is out there now. It's one of those stories at first. It's like, I don't know if I believe this or not. Cause it was like, you know, about a week ago or it's just like, Okay, but how, you know, I have no idea who these people are, or any of the players. And it was just like, you know, I should have just known that it's 2019 and we've already had all of these. Other, of course, this is true. <laughs> like, why would this not be true? Because people just love giving up their money. And granted, it was, I guess, everybody thought it was going to, to Jerry for these pieces. And I guess there was no other reason to think otherwise. It's just, it will amaze me. It amazes me to no end because like the, uh, the, the girl that was online, you know, faking her cancer treatments, it's like Abby A or whatever the hell her name was. Like people are very quick to just go ahead and give up money for <laughs> the oddest reasons. Scott, did you try to say something there? I, I guess not. Well, there's we, something weird going on here. Can you, I'll say. Is that all you have to say? <laughs> that was <laughs> no. There was some. I don't know what where, where it was coming from. I was having trouble hearing Mike just now, and probably something I'm doing. But I, I literally am just standing here talking into the phone and trying to get it to charge here. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, we're getting right back to two days ago period here. On <laughs> yeah, should we should we scrap this show? <laughs> well, what should I do? Should I scrap it or should I add it like as a bonus thing? Or what do you think? Is it uh, is it scrap worthy or is it not scrap? worthy? Am I being too critical? It's it's not, not great. You make it sound like it's a complete disaster. But I don't know. I don't know if it's that good either. Will it be I guess better it, it, if there's two and a half hours of good here, and then I put that at the end of it? <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I would put the whole thing up. Okay, if you think is. there's something salvageable, uh, I would, uh, I, I, I'd take that and put and put it on. All right. I think I have to do something with Kurt's 
Pero Aguayo stuff because it was so timely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But now I have to. I don't know. It. That's that's what you're basically saying. But if they <laughs> minimal editing, just <laughs> part of me wants to hear the whole raw thing just to see like what kind of UN resolutions are going to be passed against it for torture. That's <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you what. I'll send you the raw of the Star Wars from the other day, Mike. And would you have time to listen to it before tomorrow? Yeah, I could do that. I'll send it to you. And then you privately write to me and tell me (laughs) if you think it's acceptable, if you think it's okay as a throw on for this, because this will take probably another day to come out just because I now have to have Travis do completely different artwork, (laughs) which totally screwed up everything. But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, you will let me know. You'll be the outside voice. I'm going to listen to who wasn't involved in the recording who has nothing to gain, who really can only lose in this process. <laughs> oh, no. So uh, we're going to do that. I'm going to send you, I'm going to make it an MP3, and I'll send you a rough, and you'll tell me if you think it's okay. I got it. I will take it, and I will, how long is this thing? Eight hours. <laughs> no. It's, uh, it's, it's, I think, it's only like two and a half hours, I think, right, Scott? Gosh, it may be longer than that. <laughs> nah, no problem. I got it. <laughs> Hold on. Now I am curious. How long was it? No, wait. Like, you, no, no. You started it a little before nine, and I got on there pretty quickly. Two hours and 54 minutes. Uh, All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, unless we have anything else to talk about, we may start wrapping things up here this time for uh <laughs> earthquake star wars i i kept waiting for more giant stars to, to join the conversation <laughs> oh that's it well you wow. gotta remember this was kind of a last minute hey i hated the show the other night i'm recording something in an hour who's right. around <laughs> but so you know there, there there was dan there was john there was you there was me as vic christie so, so uh, that's right <laughs> there was earthquake that's <laughs> and not Earth Mike Ferris. Mike the Saver Sempervivi. Mike, uh, I gotta say, Mike kind of did save the show. Mike, Mike, right. Mike was awesome today. McAdam was yes. really good too. Everyone was good except me and you. He was Mike awesome today, you're saying. Well, don't do that. I wouldn't. That's, do that. uh, <laughs> that's oh no. <laughs> Uh, terrible, terrible for whatever thoughts you're thinking or I'm thinking right now to try to make a funny out of that. No funnies, no funny serious business. Yes, please, no, no funny yes. uh, comments, please. No, <laughs> yeah, nothing because there's been nothing funny in the 15 hours that have been recorded thus far. You might as well not start now. Yeah, I made some, I made some joke on one of the Star Wars episodes, and and uh, Bix was on, and Bix says out loud, "Why is that funny?" Like it's not it's not funny. Why did you say that? Why? Because <laughs> what was the joke? I don't even remember. I I, I could remember it if I thought because it it ended up on the show. He goes, Why is that funny? And <laughs> because that's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I was going through old shows. Al gets. Yeah. yeah. Some some of the stuff like. I'm trying to think. His one-liners, or he the stumpy. I forget exactly what the segment was of of Al's inappropriate jokes, which 
<laughs> wow, I don't even remember that. That's it, it, it. Trying to think, he goes. I got to find out which one it was again. But it was like, yeah, there was a couple where it was like, ouch. <laughs> what old ethnic book are you getting these from? <laughs> We've all had our moments in the history of the show where we've done jokes that are really too too awful and too far gone <laughs> that's the real stuff that gets uh that gets uh scrapped <laughs> that's the shit that needs to be on the patreon that's oh, <laughs> oh there's some heavy shit that cannot get on that patreon <laughs> you know what we actually need because you know it's just, i know you've brought up you know the 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 thought of you know the and and they do need to do this because I'm um, I have a heavy East Coast bias. Like you know, the Cauliflower Alley Club should probably have some sort of satellite event on the East Coast. And I know, like at one time, you had bandied about thoughts of like you know a six oh five get together or something like that, which I would obviously be all for. But like they need, we need to go even further than that because I can just speak for everybody all of a sudden, including you guys. And <laughs> there needs to be a throwback to the roast that nobody's allowed to get into except for the people that should be there at the Friars Club. Like, like before Montel <laughs> Williams would come in and then get upset that Whoopi Goldberg was doing things that they would always do at the Friars Club. That's what we need some type of roast like that behind closed doors just to just to see what would happen. I think Montel Williams yeah. got upset about not Whoopi, but Whoopi's, Whoopi's boyfriend at the time, Ted Danson, showing up in blackface. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's like, you know, with some of the things that have been said in the Friars Club, that yeah, you know, that wasn't even the most offensive thing that night. I don't, <laughs> I don't think. But I, I I I understand, but that was also again, it was it was a different era. Not that we're trying to do it and I would be trying to do anything like that, but you know, <laughs> The the unadulterated comedy is something I miss sometimes as somebody that actually liked comedy. Oh, yeah. It's funny, though, that the, the few times that they've actually tried to do, some people tried to do it more than once, different promoters, to do a wrestling-related roast. Uh, they do it at, at uh, StarCast now. They've done two, uh, or they at least did one wrestling roast, and they were going to do one with Flair. And uh, I attended one that uh, where they roasted Jim Cornette. I just thought, you like, this is going to be incredible. You can't miss, and and it it missed. <laughs> it, oh. it, it it never works. I'm not saying nobody was funny. The audience, the, the the night I was there to see this Cornette roast, the audience just sat there like like I don't know what, like they were at a funeral. They didn't laugh at anything, which made you know people that aren't comedians, you know, <laughs> threw, threw them <laughs> off the, their game, even to read uh, uh, prepared material or, or whatever it was. And there are some people that are, a cornet certainly could roast a person, could roast just about anybody. And that was the one saver was that uh, he got to come back at the end and do his material. But boy, there were really funny people on, and any example I've seen of that, like a wrestling roast, they're all... They all just don't, it just doesn't work. <laughs> they said they did one of Terry Funk once and they said it didn't work because everyone loves him and nobody would roast him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Cornette one was they had plenty of funny people on the, on the show, but they're funny in a different, they're not funny in a stand up comedy rat a tat tat roast way. Which they had is Al Snow, they had uh, Dutch Mantel. Guys are funny, you know, <laughs> we know they are. But, uh, you know, it was just just a, a, an odd night. And any others, too. 
with something like too bad too when something like that misses because there's not many people like Jim Cornette who could sit there and you could basically serve him any plate of shit that you want him to eat you know as <laughs> as a roast as a roast should and he would be there to be able to take it whereas like there's a lot of people that I wonder like they're actually getting roasted where it's like they start believing that these people believe this about them or take it a little bit too much to heart or something like that yeah i think a, a rick flair one would have been brutal you know, I don't. I don't think it would have been good. No, no. Well, that's like the idea of Flair was Flair on the Jericho boat. Like, who? What do you want this? Like, I know Rick yeah. Flair would love to die in the ring, but like, do we want to kill Rick Flair on a fucking on the wrestle vessel? Like, is this what we want to do? Because that's what it seems like what's going to happen. <laughs> it's rough watching Flair. Anything with Flair now, it's like I, I almost don't want to pay attention to anything with him no because it's like i hate to say it, but it's like you're it's one of those impending doom things you know it's like yeah. you know for a long time like i thought gary Busey was going to be I, you know what he still could but he's just like one of those guys that's gotten to the point now where it's like you know you're looking at the watch like okay like what ridiculous thing is going to happen next because it doesn't stop whether it's a lawsuit or some sort of ridiculous stuff it's like i'll give it to him he still keeps his life exciting but it's you know it's just i'm waiting for it to happen like all in the public i like when he did those promos in front of a tv screen that had a still of a promo that he was doing on like tbs tv <laughs> yeah. in 1986 <laughs> that was cool <laughs> i was like he's out of his mind <laughs> and even now i see something like i saw his recent ads for uh this uh convenience market cumberland farm so i went oh, oh okay. my yes <laughs> i like those i went oh well there's there he is doing something he just uh, yeah i'm not taking any any pleasure in uh what i've seen lately and i met him just a couple of years ago and uh it was a great experience he was terrific you know um and just yeah what i'm seeing lately just makes me just feel very bad you know he's one of the it's the rick flair the, like uh the radio from earlier uh, there was wcbm and the uh, tom marr who used to do the announcing with john miller on the oriole games uh when that station uh wfbr had it uh had the orioles and i don't know if it was his show but like flair would appear on wfbr and that was one place where I remember I heard about the news of of Brody's death. The guy actually mentioned on there. And the other one was and this is like because it was like midday in Baltimore, like two or three o'clock that he was on. Because I remember that's the time that Flair was on. Flair was going to be on the show before I got home from school. And it it drove me nuts. My, my, I had to ask my dad who was listening to work. Like, tell me all about it. I had to get the play by play of Ric Flair just being Ric Flair on the radio. But the uh, Adrian Adonis car wreck like that was I remember that was a real random one, too, that they actually said on there. But it was like I don't know why that just reminded me of Ric Flair on the radio. You know, really tie it together but uh yeah i mean that was like that was probably it and like other than that i there was so little god there was so little information again unless it was one of those other radio shows or something like that i don't even remember the brody thing ever being in usa today or anything like that certainly wasn't in the yeah. washington post yeah it was just one line in in usa today and that's all I had to go on. There was no, you couldn't turn to anything, and there wasn't tabloid TV or or anything that you could count on to uh, to to find out anything. So, turns I remember, out I, the, remember those ahead. pro wrestling uh, illustrated weeklies. 
Was that were those? I remember those being advertised and those becoming a thing, and then like they the PWI had its own nine hundred number, I guess, for a while and stuff. I like never that. saw those. Was it was that in response to newsletters, or was that just yeah. something yeah. they were trying to do to keep up? No, it was a response to newsletters. There's some guy who has a whole bunch of them on eBay, but I've never bought them because I've never even seen a physical copy in person. I just remember them being like they were kind of like they were just bigger versions of the wrestling inquirer or kind of like that was in the, the magazine where it was like kind of formatted like that. And it was just, they, it wasn't two months, you know, behind it was, you know, only two weeks behind by the time you got it. <laughs> I don't know. I should buy one just so I could actually see one actual copy of it and see what it was. But I think it was a reaction to the rise of Dave Meltzer. Hmm. How did you find out about Dave, though? Uh, you know, you heard about the Brody thing. You wanted to know more. How did you know to go to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Scott? I would see mentions of him in, in Wrestling Eye and probably uh, Ring Wrestling or Wrestling Review. Uh, just mentions of his newsletter. And uh, or he might have been quoted or, or used as a source material or something here and there. Where they well, they're talking this guy up pretty good, and it was probably Wrestling Eye who, again, they they didn't tell you much, but it was more than anybody else. And I think uh, most of those magazines had uh, had some kind of a fan page thing where they would plug people's newsletters, and his seemed like the most uh, informative and credible. And I was right as usual. I have a copy <laughs> of Wrestling Eye right here, April nineteen eighty seven. Roddy Piper on the way up. Hulk Hogan on the way out. <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter speaks out. WrestleMania 3. Big John Studd. The Hart Foundation. Pinups of Hulk Hogan, the Moondogs, Randy Savage, and the Koloffs. And the name game. There you go. Uh, the and name it was there, there again. Did you want to date a girl that had the Moondogs as a pinup? <laughs> <laughs> the name game. Why wrestlers don't use their real names. Let me go to that one. Well, I love too about like you know you said that it was eighty seven, so the pinup yeah. like of Hogan was at least from eighty three in like the blue trunks, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably. Hold with on. the uh, yeah. with the atomic bomb hair on his face. <laughs> 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 All right, page four. Here's a picture of Hogan that's from years ago. Uh, how to read any girl's mind? This is an ad. Let's go to page 20. Oh, man, you know what I really loved in the ads in those magazines was the fact that, like, sometimes the black bar wasn't over and you'd see the titty and the nipple. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the illustrated book of sex and everything else that they would hype in those. <laughs> uh, hold on. Going to this, the name game. Why wrestlers don't use their real names by Ed Gurria and Mike Bello. Or Bello. Ed Gurria, that's an old name from those uh, magazines I remember. We're trying to see if it actually reveals anyone. Indians have always been popular folk heroes with the American public. However, <laughs> there just aren't enough Indian wrestlers to go around to all the different promotions. So once in a while, an Italian-American like Joe Scarpa would bend the truth a bit and become Chief J. Shrongbo. If it should work, which it did, then Joe might invite a guy like Frank Hill to join his tribe as Jules Strongbow. Wow, so yeah, it, Whoa. it really is uh, yep. revealing real names here. Wow. Well, it's half a Sicilian. Yeah. Thank you for reneging on your uh, Italian uh, uh, ancestry there, Chief. One of my, oh, again, talking about wrestlers I didn't like, and granted, it was a different era, and it came before me, but did, did Jay Strongbow ever have a good match? 
ever no i'm sorry i just you know and he was great to get beaten up on to to get to bruno but jesus christmas (laughs) you waited until mcadam wasn't on the call to uh bring that up (laughs) well here's one that that, uh is interesting they're going about rick flair here rick flair who began life as richard morgan fleer carries on this tradition today aside from flair there have been many nature boys including buddy landell that's his real name as well. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> and Chick Donovan. Oh. <laughs> see that? Like, so, so no other nature boys. <laughs> we're just, we're going with Chick Donovan. And Buddy Landell. <laughs> and Buddy Landell. No, Buddy Rogers. <laughs> Buddy Rogers didn't make the cut. Well, thank God Scoot Andrews wasn't around then. <laughs> oh, no, forgive me. It, it, the earlier part of this is about Buddy Rogers. Okay. Okay. Michael Hayes, here's a picture of Michael Hayes. Michael Hayes or Sites? A rose by any name would still smell like a rose, wouldn't it? Then there's a picture of Ric Flair here. But it sounds like uh, Sullivan Hines, Scott. Here's a picture of Ric Flair here. Say, <laughs> isn't that Richard Morgan Fleer? It says it's the <laughs> caption. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, we all knew somebody like that. Uh, Dennis used to tease a, a particular fan that would, that would, uh, <laughs> do that thing which was they just had to say the real name casually amongst other fans so that you knew that they were like an insider you know like yeah i just got done talking to terry brunk and you know (laughs) you know him as sabu (laughs) (laughs) yeah richard fleer was just on the phone with me Oh, I can't help it. Oh. So there's Wrestling Eye. Wrestling Eye, you said there were listings? Let me see if there's listings here. X-ray. There must have been some fan club page or something that probably mentioned the Observer. And again, it can't be overstated that just what you read was the kind of stuff you'd get out of Wrestling Eye and almost nowhere else, you know. Like I remember reading in Wrestling Eye that that, uh, Wendy Richter was married to Hugo Savinovich. And I thought, wow. <laughs> and now I think, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> well, that's at least that's what made it stand out because I, and I was, I was a, a complete snob for the presentation of the Victory Sports Wrestling Weston after magazines. I loved, you know, that whole lineup and I was a sucker for mm-hmm. them. But like, you know, unless, you know, and I did get a kick out of like the random, like, eight by tens of chicky star that would be like wrestling superstars and like you know they always loved it was it rick mccord like, you know they would always have like you know they keep a special eye on like you know random independence and in, in different parts of the rick link i remember would be in there a lot beast you know, yeah. master and stuff like that but like you know the, most of those magazines i just i couldn't stand them i like george napolitano but it just always happened to be those those off-brand magazines except for wrestling eye like for the most of the time, I would still read them. I would still pick them up, but I just, I, I didn't, I always ended up throwing them to the side and I saved very few of them. Yeah. Here's an article rookie of the month. Again, this is April, 1987 rookie of the month, Bruce Hart, the latest member of the Hart dynasty. <laughs> He'd been wrestling for like 15 years. <laughs> young, young Bruce Hart. <laughs> You know what else I just got? Hold on, let me grab this. No. I'll just put this down. 
Mike and I will just talk amongst ourselves. This is a copy <laughs> of The Body Press by Tony Santos. Oh, wow. Yeah. This Ooh. is from, do I have a year here? November 11th, 1965. And on the front page is, oh, I'm dropping. Let me put Wrestling Eye down. Put this up here. On the front page is a picture. Wildman Fargo, the only holder of the two world titles and two diamond belts. And there's a picture of Jackie Fargo wearing a giant crown, holding the belt with the newspaper headline here from when he won the title. And it says he agrees to defeat Bruno San Martino and Bruno San Martino. <laughs> Both men within one hour or he'll forfeit the match. And there's a picture side by side of the two. The real Bruno and the phony Bruno. And then if you open this thing up, this thing is great. If it's booked by Santos, it's big yep. time. There you go. Let me run some of these names by you. Luquez. Yes. Who looks nothing like Luquez. It looks like a little blonde kid. Yeah. Here's one I've never heard. Heard of before. You've heard that that story about Lou uh Lou and uh or I mean Luthaz and uh Jack Pfeffer? No, I'm not sure. Luthaz calls up Jack Pfeffer because of these type of things. He's booking Lucas on his cards, you know? He says, Oh, what's what's the deal here, Jack? You know, he says, uh, yeah, how, how dare you uh you know book some guy named Lucas? I'm still you know, I'm not retired, I'm still working. And uh Pfeffer says to Thaz well, if you want to come in, I'll pay you the same thing I'm paying Lucas. So how much is that? <laughs> Ten bucks. <laughs> well, there's more here on the show. Naldo Von Eric. <laughs> That's my new favorite. I've never I've never heard of this Naldo. one before. Naldo, Naldo. Von Eric. There's Whipper O'Connor. Two Valentines, Jimmy Valentine and Walter Valentine. Of course, Hobo Brazil, a phony gorgeous George. Here's a new one, Gene Karnitsky. K-A-R-N-I-S-K-I. Gene Karnitsky. There's, of course, the phony Bruno here. There is, you've heard of Wilbur Snyder. Here's another one I've never heard of before. Vilmer Snyder. Vilmer? V-I-L-M-E-R Snader. S-N-A-I-D-E-R. Vilmer Snader. <laughs> Clever. There is a picture here of the African stomper, and it appears to be a guy with the Kamala look in 1965. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, there's Laverne Gagner. Of course, Vern Gagne's real name is Laverne. So this is Laverne Gagner. Instead of mm. Johnny Powers, we have Johnny Powders. <laughs> Powders? Powders. Mm. Johnny Powders. And uh, for this show, it was uh, the New England title on the line, Jimmy Valentine defending against the real Wild Bull Curry, and then Gorgeous George and the magnificent Chevier, which uh, is Chris Colt, uh, versus mm. Golden Boy, which is Chris Colt's future partner, Ron Dupree, and Jesse James, Bruno Sam Nartino, Versus Cowboy Blake, uh, Blatzy, B-L-A-T-Z-E. Cowboy Blatz and Hobo Brazil versus Cowboy Ronnie Hill. Price is $150 and $2. I got the oh, wrong look. body press. The only body presses I have are from Detroit, and they're all from that, like, awesome age where, like, 
Captain Ed George has been billed as the rock star of wrestling, <laughs> hyped up with. Oh. <laughs> and, and you're going to get main event speed for doing. And no offense to him, God bless him, but like Nelson Royal <laughs> it's against Bulldog Don Kent. Uh, a main event anywhere and nowhere. It, it crusher, <laughs> crusher Verdue is on the card. Although I do like Ron Ron Fuller against Trader Hampton. So it, it was around that era here, from 1978. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of things revolve around Heather Feather. Yeah. <laughs> no, these that's more. Uh, the, they revolve around her like a gravitational pull. <laughs> <laughs> now these body presses are from Boston. A uh, different version than uh, the Detroit ones. I have plenty of those here. Uh, <laughs> but, but yes, uh, that was a good Heather Feather line there, uh, Scott. <laughs> yeah, I've been buying, I've been, I've been getting a bunch of magazines and programs. I wish somebody would just pipe up, why is, why is that funny? <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, I think about 30 minutes ago, I said, we're well, wrapping it up. <laughs> Where? Uh, as we do begin to wrap things up for real this time, again, I don't know how we're going to end here either. This will be the end of the program and you'll have to accept this fine broadcast <laughs> on its own or there will be last more. episode ever. Yeah, this could be it. This could be the end. You never know what will happen. Stay tuned. But we will wrap things up now. Mike Sempervivi is going to listen to the raw, the rough take. And it, boy, is it rough of Star Wars the other night, and he's going to give me his private, personal opinions about this, and then we will decide <laughs> from there what we will do with all this. But uh, until then, Scott, any final words for the listeners here this week? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> the uh, hard at work at, on the episode 100, as I hear, and that is going to, to, to be so sensational it'll make you forget this thing ever existed. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. We are hard at work on that. Uh, Mike Sempervivi, any final words to the listeners of the 605 Super Podcast? No. No. Not, <laughs> not, not, not really any at all, other than, than thank you for, for letting me into your ears today and, and allowing me to help try to, to save uh, the show uh, that, that may or may not be all depending on how I feel after I hear it. So, <laughs> so I will, I will, I will do my, my best to try to see if anything is salvageable out of that. And I, I appreciate you inviting me on to, to help try to wash that taste out of your mouth. Well, with yeah. that earthquake, star Wars has closed. I'll do it cornet style. Uh, but until next time, episode 100 is in production right now, and we have a bunch of really cool things other than episode 100. We've already recorded for episode 101, 102, so stay tuned for more information about that. Please continue to support the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, its various shows, the shows that are on Patreon, the shows that are on YouTube, wherever the shows are, continue to support Arcadian Vanguard. We really do appreciate it. Of course, you guys know the various ways you can support the Super Podcast, as well as follow us on Twitter and on Facebook and blah, blah, blah. This is either the end of the show or there'll be more after this. But if this is the end of the show, we will see you on episode 100. Until then, for the many, many guests, I think there were four on this episode, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!
again, friends, and you are my friends, and welcome to another edition of 605, the Super Podcast. Of course, this being Independence Day Star Wars edition. It's now, I think, third or fourth annual Independence Day Star Wars. I probably should have checked before we started recording here, but that's kind of the tone of this show. Minimal editing, freewheeling, freeballing, some may say. Footloose and fancy free, as Jim Cornette made fun of me on uh, the experience for saying this week. And that's what it is where we have various people come on at various points. And starting off with me right now, a very popular man in the world of Arcadian Vanguard. And that, of course, is Lou Kippelman. Lou, thank you for being here to start off Independence Day Star Wars. Happy uh, birthday, America. I'll say to you, I don't, it makes no sense why I would do that, but But, yeah. What else do you say? (laughs) Mazel Tov, USA. I'm going commando. How do you greet someone on Independence Day? What's the proper way? Not, not a veteran or anything. Just, I know. Well, yeah, yeah, that's like with Memorial Day. People say happy Memorial Day. You just go, "Mm, that, that doesn't sound right. That, that doesn't capture the spirit of solemnity. By, you know, happy Memorial Day, get a mattress, you know, for half off. Independence Day? Independence Day, I think it's just, you know, don't incinerate my burger and, and, and pass the Budweiser. Yeah, hey, they had a deal two for uh, two for one on Nathan's full-length hot dogs to fill up an entire bun or a potato bun if you have some class in the suburbs oh, out here. Absolutely. Or, uh, Yeah. Just so, so I saw that King's Hawaiian, they're making hot dog buns now and they're top loading. So it's like split on the top so that you can, it looks like a lobster roll. So I'm going to have to check that out anyway. I feel like another, King's an, Hawaiian is moving on to the mainland and is making an aggressive campaign to go after Kala mm, and also go after the potato rolls. I feel like it's a concerted yeah. effort to attack those fan bases. Yeah, this it certainly is a protracted brioche-like uh, battle that's that's taking place. I think it's like Kamehameha's revenge. <laughs> a brioche-like battle <laughs> is taking place. Well, uh, as we are recording here on uh, the night before Independence Day, actually, yeah, the Mets are losing four to one to the Yankees right now. It is the sixth inning. Conforto's on first, so anything could happen, but. We have various things we're going to be talking about. You and I were just talking about something off air, and I said we should probably get our first guest on guest. Our first person. I don't know if they're really everyone's a guest or how it works here with Star Wars. A cohort. Yes. Newest newest participant in the train wreck, newest passenger. I got mad because Travis Heckle, uh, he tagged me in some thread with uh, Nikita Brezhnikov, the former manager of Nikita, uh, Nikita, Nikolai Volkov, who put out the book with Scott Teal on Crowbar Press about right. WWF in the 70s or WWWF in the 70s. And mm-hmm. he tagged me in something, and Nikita responded to Travis like, thanks a lot, buddy, or whatever it was. Thanks a lot, pal. And I wrote, I said, you know, I'm really disappointed you didn't use Comrade. <laughs> like, like, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. Should have said Spasiba. Yeah. Spasiba, comrade. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, how did we get here? What, what the hell were we talking about? Oh, we were going to add uh, this person to the yes. line. Let me add him. Now, let me tell you something. You are a fellow producer. I'm not just the executive producer of Arcadia. I actually, actually produce. Roll up my sleeves and I get dirty. I get in the mud. Yeah. 
Yes, indeed. Yeah, you know how muddy it could be. You know, <laughs> it could be muddy. Yes. I well, trust me, I get caked uh, two to three times a week. I always tell Scott. <laughs> I always tell Scott that when he first answers the phone, it's very loud. It's just, it's very boom. Hello, it comes across so loud, and then it kind of mellows out. So I want you to tell me if it happens to you too. I want you to be the first person to bear witness to this and tell me if I'm crazy or not. All right, I'm I'm putting on my producer's ears for this. Producer's ears, hold on. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to add him. Everything's going really slow. Here we go. Scott Cornish. Add. Calling. Uh Uh-huh. Let's see. Yeah. That's what I said. What did you say? (laughs) Freddy's dead. (laughs) Freddy Scott. <laughs> That's very good. Welcome to Independence Day Star yes. Wars. Happy birthday, America, Scott Cornish. Cornish Mayfield. <laughs> Hello, all you lucky people. There's two of us. <laughs> yes. I'm we, speaking, I'm speaking we, of uh, the viewing audience, the listening audience at home. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a supposition. There you go. Well, as far as you know. Yes. You What's happening? Hey, everybody. We were just saying uh, you're on with me and Lou right here ah. early in the broadcast. We were just talking off air right before we got going about the John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight That I Now show, specifically the classic clips of the Power Twins and Sonny <laughs> Blaze. And I was saying to Lou, remind me, we'll talk about it on the air because maybe Scott has any thoughts, but one of my favorite moments was when they're wrapping the show up and the Power Twin, one of them goes, I got a question for Sonny Blaze. Why don't he just retire already? <laughs> he just quit. And meanwhile, <laughs> the guy's been wrestling like six months. And it's just, it's so funny. Everyone I, they encounter, they just tear down. It's so funny. <sighs> I was very, very sad to hear that they screwed up the endorsement deal for uh, Orange and White Taxi. <laughs> that is another, I was just telling John that actually uh, the other day on the phone. Now, one of my favorite moments from the last episode, the one that just went up, episode six, is there's one part where the Power Twins are talking about something they're going to do. Maybe it's a Mitch Seinfeld show in Vermont, whatever it is, they're going to do a show. And you just hear in the background, not even near a mic, you hear Marty Pereira go, maybe they could take the orange and white taxi there. (laughs) (laughs) And and John, like, get out, get out of the studio, get out of the studio. Yeah, I, I've become a big fan of, like, that scene. This this weird Long Island, New York scene yep. of uh, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I thought probably Sonny Blaze. When you're, when you're a new wrestler and the best tagline you can think of, it's, it, you know, it's not uh, beat me if you can, or they call you the grappler. It's you're not going to put the lights out on Broadway. Well, that, they, was just... his, that was his second one. His first one was when he was talking like, see, that one's like more uh, making a comeback. His other one was like, <laughs> I, I will show you the lullaby of Broadway. <laughs> oh, did he? Uh... Wow. <laughs> Sly reference to the old Milford Plaza theme song. That's uh, yes. That's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, speaking of this world, I saw something the other day, and it cracked me up. It was on John Arezzi's uh, Facebook page. You remember Sunny Beach? Oh, yeah. Also known as Sandy Beach? 
Yeah. There's a whole that's, lot of I, beach. I get him mixed up with Sonny Blaze, I think. Yeah, well, that's right. There's a lot of Sonnies uh, in Long Island around this period of time. Well, he posted, quick question, who would eat more at a buffet, the Power Twins or the Wild Samoans? And one of the Power Twins replied, I mean, this is in 2019. Really? Tubby Bleach would put them all to shame. He needs a buffet just for himself. Oh, God. <laughs> so wow. the Power Twins and Sunny Beach going at it in 2019. On a long simmering feud. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Uh, can we get Ray Odyssey in there to break things up? Ray Odyssey. Surfer Ray Odyssey. It's Surfer Ray Odyssey. He's got to be near a beach. <laughs> Some, if not all of these guys, are poised to make a comeback. I just know it. <laughs> you know, I just got my hands on a bunch of magazines. And, uh, hold on. Do <laughs> you remember Superstar Wrestlers Reporter? It's the, um, George Napolitano magazine, but it's like National Enquirer sized and also. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like National Enquirer ish, like in the way they try to frame the stories. Do you remember this? Does anyone remember this? Oh, here's a head- here's a headline. Savage and Mets Keith Hernandez, once teammates. Will they join again in the ring? <laughs> As most people know by now, Randy Macho Man Savage used to play minor league baseball in the Florida State League back in 1972 for the St. Louis Cardinals organization at St. Petersburg, Class A, back in the days when his when his name was still Randy Poffo. But you probably didn't know that Randy was teammates with New York Mets first baseman Keith Hernandez before he switched from the diamond to the ring. Now that Keith's baseball career is winding down, will he consider making the same switch as the Macho Man? Superstar wrestlers reporter will keep you posted. Heavy. <laughs> there you go. A big headline, and the answer is mm, don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what these magazines are all about. That's what these magazines yeah. are all about. <laughs> I don't remember that title. I don't. Or that 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 periodical, whatever. It was. Yeah, nor I. It's kind of cool because of the format of it. And the look of it. But mm. I got this. I got Gold Belt Wrestling, issue one. <laughs> Somebody needs I don't, a, Yeah. Tr- I don't know who any of these writers are. That's what makes me question this. Tracy Ringolsby. Mm. Who's, who's Virginia, Virginia M. Bowes? That name sounds familiar. Yeah, she's in a bunch of these magazines. Maybe if we get Howard on. Howard will know who some of these people are because he's in a bunch of these magazines. Mm. But yes, yeah, superstar wrestlers reporter. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They, boy, somebody had to dig real hard to, to come up with that connection. Keith Hernandez <laughs> coming into the ring. Yeah. Be like, okay. Uh, yeah. Macho man. He was managed by Sparky Anderson at single a level. You know, Keith Hernandez brings up every now and then on a Met broadcast, like what he saw in San Francisco growing up. He'll bring up Ray Stevens and the Cow Palace and Pepper Gomez. Like every now and then he brings it up. Keith Hernandez? I didn't know he was from the Bay Area. He's from San Francisco. Well, 
man, aren't I a dumbbell? I had no idea. Fantastic biography, autobiography that he wrote last year. I think it's called uh, I'm Keith Hernandez by Keith Hernandez. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I encourage you to check it out. It's really good. There's a lot of stuff about growing up in San Francisco and uh, his dad playing okay. baseball for the Seals and various other things. Oh, no way. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, how would you rate a relative to, say, the R.A. Dickey autobiography? I think it's okay. I think the R.A. Dickey autobiography. I mean, I haven't read it in many years, and I read it at the height of R.A. Dickey mania, or right after it. Like, he's still wearing the Met uniform on the cover I got. Yep. Um, I think it's it's really good. It's really good. I mean, it, it, his personal journey is one thing, and then the baseball stuff's really great. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's one thing, one part in the book that my, a lot of people might not have heard about it was there was a there was an incident where he and Bob Roop tried to steal the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were, they, they were just trying to form a union. Oh, yes. Maybe I got that wrong. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah i say that in jest of course course. right right yeah i'm still trying to to track down that that video where phil rizzuto says baseball has worked what what video is that (laughs) uh i I don't know i yeah (laughs) whoa you just completely (laughs) folded on that is there something i don't know about (laughs) Are you keeping this Phil no. Rizzuto video from me? No, no. I'm. Ju- uh, uh, I was just making a uh, bad joke about Plan B. Cue <laughs> <laughs> uh, the crickets. Uh, we're keeping the tape machines rolling, folks. <laughs> I'd hardly wait to find out what you were talking about before this. <laughs> uh. Uh, not much. We uh, we kind of rolled in a little early, uh, you know, just for a short time, and then we brought you on because uh, <laughs> you're you are the gold merchant. I am merely uh, just a guy with a microphone. So, gosh, yeah, we talked. We were talking off air about the Arezzi show, and we just started laughing. And I said, "Let's just start recording right now." And then right away, I said, "Let's add Scott to this," thinking you would have some witty things to say. And- <laughs> Not realizing <laughs> you may not. What is that noise behind you? There's like noise I'm picking up. Do you hear the noise, Lou? I I am. Let me. Okay, it's not me. Hmm. I hope I'm not making too much noise. I didn't think I was. Anyway, uh, no, just, it's not, just it's not that, you. It's sounds, background noise. So, yeah, it sounds like a, I don't know, a fan or air conditioning or. Believe me, it's not that. I'm. I'm in the hot box tonight. Oh. The window's closed and the fan off. The sacrifices I make for the listening audience. Have any of you guys heard any of the Heyman stuff on the Resi shows? Yeah, a little bit. He's so good when he's. I, I forgot just how good he was when he was young at just spinning a tail and sticking with it. And I mean, he's, he's a fantastic liar. He's a fantastic liar. <laughs> yeah yeah no doubt it's yeah it's it's interesting to to catch him like not too long before he hits the peak of his um powers of prevarication 
Ooh. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. yeah funny. Yeah, he, he ends up like having some memorable appearances where he like he starts doing the reads and really like turning them into reads for porn and just just, just wild stuff. Oh god. It was a, it was a big deal. Whenever he was on the show, you always had to listen. You always had to stop what you're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scott, <laughs> you watch any wrestling lately? Uh, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Does NXT count? I was watching it before you called. Um and uh oh of course <laughs> I don't want to stage uh, tomorrow's uh or the next uh, Jim Cornette experience, but I did watch uh the fighter fest last weekend and what did you think to me it's just not anything groundbreakingly special and some things that people like there's there's parts of it that just take me totally out of it i didn't hear too many people complaining about it but in the six-man tag with the young bucks and kenny they came out and these guys are in their they're 30 ish or in their 30s, and they come out in, dressed in uh, gamer costumes in tribute to video. I know the whole thing was a video game fest, but I don't know why that has to be part of everything. And in the middle of the match, the entire thing stops so they can do some cool video game move. Uh, by the way, am I hopelessly out of date by calling them video games? Is there some other name for them now? No, that that's, I'm not it. that's it. Okay. <laughs> that's, that would be the next thing. Well, let's, it's just the elemental truth. <laughs> but they did some some match in the middle. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the triple Hadoken. Thank you. Thank you. Because it, <laughs> I was afraid I would actually retain whatever that was supposed to be i don't know how anybody doesn't just shit all over that when they see it that's the stupidest thing and there and those are the top guys that's well, that's the absolute peak i'll be a little bit of spoiler because uh the cornet show go up before this one goes up on the fourth jim missed that part where he oh, didn't God. see that so when i told him about it he like he he was not happy at all and he basically goddamned everyone involved with it. <laughs> so, oh man, throwing MFs like cherry bombs. Yeah, yeah. just like cherry bombs. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he really is when you. I mean, he's entertaining as hell when he criticizes those things and when he says his piece. But then people have to come right back and say, "Oh my, oh he." He's stuck in 1987. I th- Holy God help me that you can't. I know they're trying to do something. They got a great chance to do something. The tremendous enthusiasm for for uh, AEW. But if they do shit and everybody sits there and says it's ice cream, that, <laughs> that's absolutely awful. And are we, yeah. are we over with breaking tables yet? I mean, when did that just become the most hackneyed? Oh, uh, time so, waster. That's supposed to be exciting. Watching some guy root yeah. under a ring. Oh, what is it going to be? A table. It's, it's <laughs> another piece of plywood with barbed wire. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, I I like at that least they the public enemy. It. At least Public Enemy <laughs> brought it out with them. They didn't just find sure. it under there. 
Yeah. Like there was a plausible reason why they had it. But anyway, go ahead, Lou. I'm sorry. Right. Oh, oh, no worries. Yeah, that's why, you know, I like the framing that they, you know, treated it as a lights out match in presentation. But then it was just like, okay, so you have the guy who was the former WWE champion, um, you know, going going back to his, uh, his roots, but his roots. Yeah, yeah, but he, but he's he's going against. I don't know. I've never seen Joey Janela before, and you know, if some people like it, like his shtick, God bless him. But he just seemed like such an indie goof. You know, okay, yeah, you're 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 a pin cushion who flips a bird. Fantastic. <laughs> it, it, it was just like, what the hell? And you, you're doing this for like 20 minutes, and it's just like maybe you know maybe I got desensitized a little bit because I had I had just watched the wrestlers on Viceland, and I I watched the uh, the death match episode, mm. and, and it's just like. You know, I don't get it. I really don't. It's just, you know, going through glass and light tubes for the sake of doing it. And it's just these guys are just scarred up. <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, and then they, 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 there's this reverence towards guys like Onita and Jun Kasai. And it's just like, oh my God, it's all cringeworthy. Well, yeah. It's it's an aberration, but when you stop and think of how long it's been around, when was the last time that that you just mentioned the Public Enemy? Oh, that was only the mid '90s. I mean, so, so now they put that on as a main event, but that 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 uh, whatever that was, that unsanctioned match, and everybody go, oh, wow, this is the modern thing. Oh, this is this is uh, John Moxley unleashed. <laughs> I know. And then, we're, not, you know, we're not supposed to wonder why there's a bucket full of thumbtacks, you know? Oh, two bags of thumbtacks, two, two boards with barbed wire, and then the the ladder, and then you have Janella getting on the ladder, and the ref saying, "Don't do it, Joey. Don't do it. Here, let me let me hold on to it so you don't <laughs> so you don't fall off it yeah. before delivering that elbow through like two tables or whatever." Yeah, an unsanctioned match with with a bell and ring entrance music and videos. <laughs> I know exactly. And, out of control. Yeah. and they'd already done the turn the lights off, turn the lights back on, like yeah. two or three times. Right, earlier yeah. to the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, that's a thing. Thank God I didn't see the buy-in uh, portion. I I, I, I I have to admit, I said this on the Cornette show. It's the stupidest thing ever. It's just, it's beyond idiotic, this librarian thing. However. That's amazing. There was yeah. a point during that match where I cracked and I just started laughing hysterically. Because she's shushing after everything she does. And then he's on the floor shushing after she shushes. So it's just the sea of, sh of the shush and the camera's <laughs> like filming him one back and forth, back and forth. I cracked. I completely yeah. cracked. Well, somebody should Come point on. out that even the announcers should point out that the gimmick works because they shushed enough that the audience went silent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ain't nobody popping for that. Yeah. So it's just, that's just preaching to the, to the choir. choir. Yeah. 
awful. <laughs> and that I though I may have to track down the uh, Nakazawa uh, video game goof hardcore match. No, you don't. Yeah, really? You don't have to. I, that. I don't have to be a witness to that heresy. No, no matter what they say. It won't be better than what <laughs> you're only going to watch. It. Is it as bad as they say? It's worse, and it, it just won't be better. So just, <laughs> okay, it's it's stuff that's just indefensible. Now, before they were doing anything, before they when they were getting ready to start doing shows, and I wish them great success. And they've still got a lot of enthusiasm and a lot or a lot longer way to go. They were telling everybody, hey. We're changing the world. We're changing the universe, you know? And then they put on shit that is either as bad or worse than the than the world they're trying to change, you know? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, the, well, the only thing they're changing is the venue from VFW halls to, you know, something a little bigger. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Though, uh, though I do have to say the... That match with uh, Cody and Darby Allen, I I found it interesting because it was, you know, it was kind of my first exposure to Darby Allen outside the what I saw on the wrestlers. Yeah. I yeah, good look. I, I good was... look on him, his ring outfit. He's got little Daisy Duke shorts and black leggings. <laughs> I thought it was all I thought it was good, but I thought it went five minutes too long. It should have been a fifteen minute time limit instead of twenty, because it felt like it dragged a little bit to me. Right. I like how the guy that they were debuting brought a body bag into the ring. First time, supposedly, <laughs> that the major audience has seen him. Brings a body bag in the ring, and the referee just helps him lay it out in the corner. Yeah, let's just leave it here for later on when you do a spot. <laughs> the body bag that backfired. <laughs> Darby, what happened with that body bag? Boy, am I sorry I brought that body bag out. Get it in the middle of the ring in the corner. For about ten minutes, and uh, I think I redeemed, redeemed myself by fucking my back up forever. <laughs> now, excuse me, I'm a I'm a brooding twink, so. <laughs> I want to have my wife, the tampon girl, console me, please. Wait, so just, what? Why is he married to Priscilla? He's married to Priscilla the tampon girl. Come on. I what I I can't even make up something that dumb. <laughs> oh my god. Wait until Jim hears about this. Like, yeah, tell Cordy that one. <laughs> oh my god. He's yeah, Darby Allen, he's fishy white. He might be the tuna that uh, Priscilla was talking about. Oh, dear. oh wow. <laughs> oh my. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll say I didn't hate everything I saw. Yeah, but... what did you like? I like these hot takes you got of modern wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think what it what it was that I liked. <laughs> I, mean, no. I I didn't totally despise that Darby, but th that Darby Allen Cody thing. But it was all nonsense. It just, you know, it, the stuff that doesn't make sense it, it is difficult for me to get past. You know. I think it, even though it's not for me, I see those six man tags, like the one that the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers were in, as being some something that I just don't care for, which is the audience really does love just a, a bunch of breathtaking choreographed spots. I don't. <laughs> but, but. Right. 
but yeah, it's kind of the same. It isn't that everything that you see just because you're seeing it in 2019 represents what's new and what's evolved and what, you know, Ryan, Ryan, it's, it's kind of the same way I feel about like new Japan's product. When I went to the G one last summer, there were just too many six and eight man matches just shoehorned in there. Yeah. I don't like that (laughs) myself. Yeah. But, that's because I, you know, I'm an old man yelling at a cloud, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. Boy, that's that's most of us. <laughs> I think they, th- they think I stopped watching wrestling. So I, I, I watched too much wrestling is the problem. You know? It wasn't like, like I ever stopped watching it, but everybody that, that has been watching it for five years thinks they... they they, they've seen everything there is to see, and they know everything that came before. I'm not coming out here saying, oh, this is all no good, you know, but, uh, you know, they're supposed to be putting on shows that make, that that blow away, you know, the tired old WWE, but they're doing things that are just shockingly ordinary in, in many parts, just so ordinary or, or, or bad. <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. Hate, hate to harp on breaking tables again, but well, when, yeah. when, when did when did that get old? In the nineties? What year is it now? Jesus. Ryan, and there are you know, and, still and yeah, and if there's anything that is just dead bang on about what Jim Cornette uh criticizes AEW for, it's running a business and catering to a mass audience trying to market to them you know because they're they're sure ain't gonna be five to eight million people out there watching cable you know who you know going you deserve it or fight forever or you know or would appreciate whatever insidery performance art stuff goes on yeah They've got a built-in audience that is so excited and so revved up and so ready to watch what they have to offer. And then when they do just absolutely horrible, stupid stuff, make people that should never be on that show. And, uh, I just don't know. You know, and I'm probably all wet and they'll, they'll end up yeah. being a great success. Yeah, you're all wet, pal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how many tickets they sell. You know, it, it, it's unlikely that I'll get a chance to go to. I wouldn't go out of my way to to go to one of their shows. So, based on what I've seen so far, yeah, yeah, um, I'm kind of with you on that too. <laughs> I'm waiting for the big Darby Allen Jungle Boy feud. I feel like that's gonna really <laughs> take you heard, to the next level. Heard my thoughts on Jungle Boy, didn't you? I don't remember. <laughs> Just how. He's acknowledged by everybody in the world as Luke Perry's son. So how is he Jungle Boy? It's <laughs> a good question. I don't know. Yeah, it was was the was Luke Perry out on a safari somewhere and ran into some native girl? Jungle yes, he Boy. was. Uh, yeah, he was the lead in Blue Lagoon Seven. <laughs> Impregnated one of the locals. Jungle Boy Perry. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. 
<laughs> somebody, what are you who gonna do? somebody who hadn't seen much of Jungle Boy said, "Does does he? I think Travis Heckley does he speak? Yeah, he speaks fine. He's Jungle Boy though." <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing one of those characters that are so damn popular in wrestling. Get off my back. It's like they want to be the WWE without supervision. Like I said, mm. that, I said that to Cornette. I don't even know if I said it on the show or off air, but I said it's like with this stupid backstage segments. It's not like they look at Raw and look at that format and go, "That's just silly and outdated. We want to do something new and different." No, it's just that they want to write their own shitty backstage segments. They don't want yep. someone else doing it. Not like <laughs> we want to move away from this tired and really bad thing. And, you know, someone's going to go, oh, I could just say that those segments they've done have made them stars with their audience. Sure. But, <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It just seems like they want to do their version of WWE. And I've said it on Cornette Show. I'll give Cody credit. His matches and the things around his matches have been the most in the vein of of how I would want my professional wrestling. But everything else just seems like uh, WWE's version of Lord of the Flies. (laughs) (laughs) The kids have taken over. (laughs) Either of you you watch a Game of Thrones? I hadn't hadn't watched the last several seasons. No? Yeah, I'm back at about, uh, yeah, season four. No spoilers. Oh, okay. Please. <laughs> I was gonna say everything like Cody could be like the like Daenerys Stormborn, where like you know she was sent away and now she's coming back to liberate all the slaves. But turns out she may have that mad gene, just like her mad Booker dad. Or, oh God! Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh God! <laughs> uh, the father. Father of Dream Dragons. Yeah. I'm sorry, Brian. He can't do that. He destroyed the throne last month. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well played. Well played. Uh, I wasn't even prepared for that. Yeah. It's a AEW. We're not going to do any of that bullshit they do at Stanford. We're going to give you our own bullshit and put sprinkles on it. <laughs> Somebody said they had that they had a skit on the Fighter Fest during the pre-show. Uh, Kenny is walking around backstage like a dope because they were supposed to have some band and the band didn't show up. And now I've got, you know, a roll of duct tape and, 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 and a drum and I don't know what to do with all this. That's your top guy. He's wandering around like an idiot and people are, you know, <laughs> people are standing him up. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's a long way to set up what happened after the, uh, the, the lights out match. And then there's people standing there going, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So when you do comedy, it, it's tough to do comedy. Uh, it, it, it's even tougher to do comedy than it is to do wrestling. I'm not as worried about what they're doing to wrestling as what they're doing to comedy. <laughs> God, did they did they just uh, come across the, the band set that uh, WCW left behind for that Clash of the Champions? With J.T. Southern and Cactus Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, that whole thing. I don't know. It, it, they have a chance to do something that's that's better, that's different, and they're doing something that's the same or worse. <laughs> wow. Right. Oh, well. Well, yeah. speaking, speaking of someone different, let me add someone to the call here. 
if this person's around. This is going to be interesting Star Wars. It started off poorly, got really good if you're interested in modern ah. talk. And then there's this, this weird noise behind Scott. We'll see if it leaves in post-production. Where is this person? What name would this person be under? Nope, not that one. That one. All right, we are calling this person right now. I will talk to him in a minute. This will be nice to hear from him. If he's there, he could always be out and about in town. <laughs> I tell you, I like I it. hear the secrets that you keep. Oh, yeah. When you're stepping on my feet. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Kurt Brown, welcome to Independence Day Star Wars. You're on the line with Lou Kippelman, Scott Cornish, and myself. Oh, this isn't dad? <laughs> no, no. This I thought that was my father calling. No. <laughs> you, you... Oh, dear. You greet him with the romantics frequently? That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm feeling nostalgic. What can I say? How you cats doing? What's going on, man? How are you? I am doing really well. We're doing really well, other than um, hearing the sad news of the passing of uh, Pero Aguayo. Oh, get out of here. I had oh, no. Just, it just yeah. broke. Yes. Oh, well, how old was he? Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not even sure. Um, yeah, it's all over Facebook now. I did, you know, I waited a while to see, but apparently it's been confirmed that, uh, he must've been well in his seventies by now. Um, I think there's been several, uh, posts that mentioned his birth date. I think he's probably early seventies, probably. 73 says here. I'm sorry. I'm reading here. 73. 73, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, Kurt, you know your stuff. Was Paraguayo better as a baby face or better as a heel? Way better as a baby face. That guy had charisma, unlike he had like Ray Stevens' charisma. Um, the, the best example I can give is uh, the very first AAA show, you know, that Ron Scholar was involved with back, you know, in, the, in 93. Uh, he had front row seats. I was sitting next to Scholar's wife at the time. Scholar was next to her. And uh, I can't remember if Dave Meltzer was sitting with us or if he, if he was a couple of seats down. <clears throat> but uh, Aguayo was not booked on the show. There was no announcement of him being in the arena. And then just suddenly in, uh, during intermission, they start playing some music, and he just starts walking around the ring and it's like people just charged the ring area just to like high five him. And it was to the point where this, this huge guy is walking over people and he starts to walk over school, uh, wife, not around her between her seat, but he's starting to walk over her. And, uh, I actually had to shove the guy to the floor <laughs> To to keep him away, but everybody just wanted to tag his hand, and we're just we're just going ballistic at the unannounced appearance. Um, and uh, yeah, way better as a face. And I, I mean, mean, and that's late in his career. I mean, even though that may have been his biggest run because of the success of 
AAA IWC, AAA blowing up the shows in North America. That he was already an old man by that point, relatively speaking, of course. He was, yeah, he 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 was, and I mean, um, you know, I think a lot of people owe him a big thanks. I mean, uh, who knows where Conan's career would have gone if Aguayo didn't put him over so so strong and. Uh, in my opinion, Aguayo in the early 90s when he was still with CMLL was taking the bumps that the younger guys should have been taking for him. And, uh, yeah, heel or face, he was great. First time I ever saw him was as a heel in 1981 at the sports arena. And uh, he was wrestling uh, Chino Cho, who was probably a little too old to be wrestling at the time, but still Aguayo made it a very effective heel performance and just destroyed the guy like, you know, like he wanted to hurt him and got over really, really well. And, uh, yeah, yeah, this is, you know, sad news. May he be at peace. I'm sure the last few years were rough for him, of course, with losing his son in the ring in a very well-documented and syndicated clip. And uh, yes, I, I had heard. Had he been had he been battling um, head issues? I think he, I think I think he was battling Alzheimer's, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's what I. I, know, I know he. I know he was ill at at the time of his son's death. But uh, he, I know he was something to see. I remember seeing him in Tijuana a few times, and just same thing. The all he had to do was walk into the building, and the arena lit up. And and he is one of those uh, many examples like a Ric Flair where it's just plain silly to make him heal again because at the most you're going to get cute heat, you know. They're going to say, boo, boo, <laughs> isn't he cute? <laughs> it really is amazing just how many of the major stars in Mexico Pena was able to gobble up within a few years there. Not even a few years and a few <laughs> like well, weeks <laughs> in a few weeks, but you know, within a few years, they added a few more people, but yeah, quickly. And, you know, everyone thinks of Conan, I think with AAA, and, and you sh you know, you should, he was obviously a big part of it, but Pero Aguayo, Cien Caras, like those are the guys that elevated yeah. Conan. I, I agree a hundred percent. You know, I, you know, I, I and I'm not gonna, I'm not shortchanging Conan. That guy did his homework. Uh, I mean, that guy studied the biz, like, as far as wrestlers that I've personally known as a rookie, that guy was studying every aspect of the biz. And then people saying, why are they pushing him so much? I'm saying, well, he did the homework you guys should have been doing. That said, people like Cien Caras and Pero Aguayo, uh, he, he should bow to them because, I mean, uh, I don't know if he would have gotten as far without people like that, like you said, elevating him. How much did Pero Aguayo work in the Olympic in the early 80s? Quite a bit, uh, both Olympic, whether it was Olympic sports arena, he made frequent appearances for uh, LaBelle. He had a, you know, he continued his feud with Fishman in 81, which were some, some really good matches. And uh, 82, 82 was a funny year for LaBelle because it was the year where the promotion was clearly dying, but there were these little these little bits of time where it's like somebody um, uh, <laughs> got it off life support and that had these loaded cards with Aguayo and the Death Missionaries and the Vianos 
In fact, the first time I ever saw the Death Missionaries and the Vianos was at the Olympic in the six-man tag. Uh, that was just like a six-man bloodbath, and I believe I believe it still exists somewhere on tape. It hasn't surfaced on YouTube to the best of my knowledge, but it's out there. Um, Did they call them the I Death Missionaries in the building? Yes, yes. Uh, they they would call them both the Los Misioneros de la Muerte and the Death Missionaries. And then one of the cool, you know, one of the coolest things I got to witness was in 1990. Uh, that time I went with uh, Meltzer to Japan was they had uh, a Guayo aligning with I think it was Signo and Negro Navarro, and I think Tejano was a babyface, and they all turned on a Guayo and reunited the Death Missionaries, and a Guayo went face. And so I got to see a lot of uh, a lot of the missionaries and Aguayo on that whole tour, which was pretty bitching. So for the people who only saw him at the end of his career, where he wasn't moving around very well, and he may have been better known for his forehead, what was he like when he was younger and he could move around? <laughs> uh, well, he the first time I ever saw somebody do that foot stop off the ring, and every time he did it, I swore he killed the person. You know, and was just amazed that he could pull it off. He wasn't this guy who was this super technical Negro Casas or something like that. Uh, but he was smooth and he knew how to get over. No, he was a good worker. He was a really good worker. And he could bump, too. He could re- he could bump night beautifully. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about Paraguay later in the show. But uh, we have Lou and we have Scott here. Actually, I did want to ask you, we haven't talked about Cauliflower Alley since uh, it happened. Of course, we've had a few different segments talking about it. What was your experience like, Kurt? I remember a little bit of it. Oh, <laughs> it's an improvement from last year. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually actually got probably one of the, uh, one of the uh, <laughs> well, what I consider a compliment. Uh, our dear friend Bill Judd, uh, who we've known for years, who's known for uh, going on these wild benders, uh, I guess the first night, uh, Dan Farron came up to me and says, "says uh, Kurt, you made the mark tonight. Bill Judd uh, was walking around saying, I'm a little worried about Kurt. I think he's like flying on air or something like that. <laughs> I had a wonderful time. No, I had, it was a very good time. It was very good seeing everybody. And it was great seeing the 605 tables increasing and, uh, uh, got to meet a lot of wonderful people. He, Neely, I, I, I always butcher his name, Neely Shoshe, I think, and his wife Lisa. You know, he'll he'll probably want to punch between the nose from mispronouncing his name. But I think it's Shocket. Really, Shocket. Okay, like Dan Shocket, like Dan Shocket, the late Dan Shocket from Victory Sports Magazine. That's the right. heel. That's right. The heel journalist. I loved that. <laughs> <laughs> Both nice people, really, really nice people, and uh, um, the uh, the banquet itself was long, long, long. <laughs> it went forever. <laughs> what did you think of David Schultz's speech? It was long, long. It went forever. He'd never shut up. <laughs> Some people were impressed by it, but uh, most people started clearing the room. (laughs) I was not impressed. (laughs) Did you witness Um, the Marty Funk incident? I wish I did. God, what I would have given to witness that. I've heard so many Marty Funk stories. Uh, 
the first time I saw something odd about Marty, do you guys remember when After put out that magazine zine in the late 90s? I think it was called Wow. Yeah. Yeah. A big color one, and Marty Funk had a column. I don't remember that, uh, but I, I'll take your word for it. Marty yeah, she had a she had a column, and it wasn't uh, she had a pretty funny one actually talking about uh, how if you want to be a good wrestler, watch George Goulas matches and like don't do anything he does or something like that. <laughs> um, but then uh, somebody uh, this is early days of the internet, and somebody they were talking about the column that they would not post. And it was uh, when Giant Baba died, and somebody got a hold of it and put it on the net, and it was this scathing uh, just burial of Giant Baba and Mrs. Baba just saying all these just uh, obscene things about their personal lives and stuff like oh, that. And I'm going, what the – and I even wondered – and at the time, I thought this might – just be like a rib or you know something like that this is somebody screwing around but then i started hearing more marty funk stories i'm saying yeah i think that thing was real <laughs> wow i never knew about that yeah yeah i um then you know then i you know when i read howard brody's uh book on his experience in the biz i just kind of that that was like i think the, like the sixth or seventh odd story i heard about the you know marty and dory funk together I haven't. Always I hadn't even thought to go look at that book. I, now I got to go pull that out and see what's in there. It's a good read. It's a very good read. I I bought it kind of half interested, and um, it's it's worth it's worth reading. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think what else was up with Cauliflower Alley. Guy was okay. Here's the funny part. You know now, uh, Brian. I think you and I have something in common. Is neither of us are really keen on Vegas. I went to Cauliflower Alley, and then I got an invitation, and I want to thank my dear friend of uh, nearly 30 years, Eric Anderson, who uh, wrestled with the Ebony Blade, who uh, said, hey, I have an extra ticket for the AEW show, an extra gift packet. It was, it was a package he bought. Um, I guess he had intended for somebody else. He says, do you want to go? And I'm going, uh, yeah, that sounds fun, and I just want to give him a huge thank you because – all I paid for was my uh, was the package he bought, which included a, a meet and greet, which is funny in itself. Um, but other than that, this guy was an awesome host and showed me Vegas, uh, you know, and uh, even even flipped for my hotel room. So um, want to give him a huge huge thank you. I actually went to Vegas twice in a month. The humorous part about the the package I paid for. It included a meet and greet with Dave Meltzer and Brian ah. Alvarez, who, who I both <laughs> been friends with for how long? <laughs> Did you go? Yeah, yeah, I went, and I actually it was, <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was amusing that I'm paying to meet somebody that I've been friends with for over thirty five years, <laughs> but. Um, I was actually really jazzed that I went because he brought along uh, his son, Cody, and uh, his son's girlfriend, who were really, really awesome, awesome cats, really nice people. And got to meet a lot of when all I'm of sorry? Sudden, when all of a sudden you're there in the room with all the other regular listeners or fans, does he react? Go, oh, Kurt, what are you doing here? <laughs> does he say anything? I Okay, it's not often I like to like uh, do the Barry Horowitz tap on my back, uh, but – 
I have to say, I was in a room full of, you know, 30-something fans, and Dave Meltzer and Brian comes in, and they're all shaking hands with people. And when he sees me, he's like, oh, my God, Kurt! And he ran up and gave me this big hug, and we're catching up. And I, I am going to say that um, that fed my ego wonderfully. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> that, that did my ego some good. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I have to say all the guys there they were uh, uh, they were they're kind of I don't know if this is the typical wrestling crowd today but they were all um, you know these kind of thirty something I call it kind of lumberjack nerd chic um, you know all guys with beers and plat beards and plaid shirts and glasses <laughs> but um, they were a nice bunch really nice bunch of guys and the, the most surreal thing though was. This was the first time I attended a wrestling show uh, in an, an arena that seated over uh, 10,000 people since 1991. How many did the sports arena seat? The sports arena seated probably like 18,000. That's the last time I went to a show that big. Or was it 91? It was when Hogan and Flair uh, met for the first time in L.A. That was 91. Yeah. Yeah. I do not think I've been to an MA a UFC show, but I, and it was very surreal just seeing a whole different generation of wrestling fans in that big an arena. And it was, it, it, I, I'm kind of glad I hadn't gone to a show in a long time. Cause it was like sitting outside the box and just kind of seeing this whole new scene and, Oh God. And we went, and we went to a, like a little indie show the, the, the day before, Oh God, they had the, the this, this chick, she's so cute. She's so cool. She just meows through her whole whole match. I think she's called the Alley Cat or something. Uh huh. It's bitching. She just she just acts like a cat, like through the whole match. It's the most bitching thing I have ever seen. What did you think of AEW, and what did you think of the modern fan? I enjoyed it immensely. I have to be honest. Uh, um. I we got there like in the middle of the battle royal, and while I agree with most people, the battle royal, you know, sucked. Uh, the people were having a good time; they were reacting to it, they were having fun. You know, pretty respectable audience. Um, the show went off really well. It was nicely paced, and the funny thing is, we were uh, Eric and I were actually uh, saying like. You know, as the match was ending, they're saying we were saying this was just right. If there was just one more match, I think we would have split early. It was, you know, a pretty intense crowd, very, uh, very reactive crowd. I mean, a wide variety of wrestling action. And it was just right because I've been to so many wrestling shows where the show just never ends and you're saying, when are we ever going to get out of there? And they were just getting to that point and um, it was quite nice. I had a blast. I saw you. I think I tweeted out that night in critiquing the show. Hey, there's <laughs> Kurt Brown. No way. Where was? Where did you see me? <laughs> and they, they had a crowd shot and you could see him like, hey, there's Kurt Brown right there. Oh, fuck. I hope I didn't have my finger up my nose or some shit like that. <laughs> what was Cody versus Dustin like live in the room? That was amazing. That was really intense. And when when uh, Cody did the uh, promo afterwards about needing a brother, uh, that live, the crowd popped for that like 
Like, uh, I'll actually say that actually came off very emotional. And, um, you know, I know AAEW isn't everybody's cup of tea these days, but I, I do have to say I had a really, really good time at that show. Uh, you know, I, you know, of course, there's my old school inner critic who could probably pick apart things here and there, but I couldn't do better. <laughs> well, we've now presented every side of the AEW saga. <laughs> the side that likes it, the side that doesn't here on holiday Star Wars. Yeah, well, you know, and, and the one thing is I do, I, you know, I, I haven't been following closely, but I do hope they stay in business. I hope uh, ROH and MLW stay in business. Uh, even if I didn't like the product, I just like that wrestlers have a little uh, more bartering power. I am, I'm happy just because of that. Kurt, we were talking about magazines a little bit earlier, or at least one or two magazines. What were your favorite wrestling magazines growing up? Oh, Ring Wrestling. Ring Wrestling was the first magazine I bought where, one, I didn't have to hide them from my parents because the after mags had uh, ads for sex toys and love dolls and uh, uh what have you or and ring wrestling was the first i didn't have to hide from my family but also uh you know tom burke even though uh, a guy named nat lube was listed as the editor it was tom burke who was editing it and tom burke just always had this curious mind about wrestling outside of the u.s and you know japan so you know you you would see stories about wrestlers like uh you know, in India, Saudi Arabia, in you know, Botswana, you know, places where you don't picture there being wrestling. And it, it was the first magazine I had read where there was kind of like a fine line. It was still kayfabe, but there was a little wink-winkery between the lines. Um, and I... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was the king of bad timing. I got my first assignment to write a story for Ring Wrestling in 1979 from Tom Burke. Wow. And I was jazzed because they were paying like 50 to 75 bucks per story back then. And then Kaiser and Melby bought them out. And so by the time I got my story published, I got a whopping $15. Wow. Of course, it wasn't a very good story, so I probably only deserved 15 bucks. So, <laughs> Although, as, as Jim Cornette would say, in today's money, that would be like 55. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't that that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's well, that's the irony, though, is that today they're paying even less, like... Yeah. Uh, was it Dixon Span wrote a story for that um, uh, for the Slam Canoe site, and I think he got ten bucks for it. <laughs> That's uh, today. <laughs> yeah, now, that, a friend of mine took pictures that that he at a bunch of events that he sold to uh, London Publishing, and uh, and this was much more recently, at least it's the, the mid to late nineties, and they they didn't pay anything then, and I'm sure they're not paying anything now. 
Yeah, that actually kind of is kind of <laughs> embarrasses me. I mean, I mean, they Wrestling World. I wouldn't say it was a great magazine, but every time I wrote something for them, I got 125 bucks, no matter what. All right. <laughs> do you ever do anything from any of the Mike O'Hara magazines? No, which is funny because uh, Michael O'Hara and I knew each other for a few years. We were kind of you know tight, and then just kind of lost touch, uh, and. When his mag came out, I saw a few issues of it, but I, no, I never did anything for it. That was long after we were out of touch. Oh, he, he he popped up recently in one of the Cauliflower Alley newsletters. He had really? a column in there, which surprised me. Yeah, like I, it, it, I think it's in the last year, and I was half expecting to hear he was going to become a member or maybe make an appearance, but no, he just – you know, wrote a story about how, you know, his memories of old school wrestling and that kind of stuff. And um, <laughs> that's the first time I had heard of him in at least 20 years, if not longer. Yeah. He's kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Yes, yes. There was a whole crew of people. Uh, he used to hang around a guy named Dollar Bill Hill and uh, Blackjack Brown and, and, of course, Captain Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now that's what I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear an interview with uh, Hot Dog interviewing Captain Lenny, complete with oh. all the Hong Kongs. Uh, I don't know if we could deal with that. <laughs> I'd put some money into the Patreon for that one if it makes any difference. Oh, my God, that would be beautiful. <laughs> uh, by the way, guys, just to let everyone know, Jerry Gray was going to appear here tonight on Star Wars, but he is actually in the emergency room. Oh God! He's having trouble oh, no. breathing, and uh, he <sighs> give me an update. So that's why the Golden Boy is not appearing here today on Star Wars. My goodness! Oh man! Well, oh, I'm bummed. I was hoping, I was hoping I'd get to talk to him. And well, I I know I can speak for all of us. We love you, Jerry, a lot. Yeah. Catch up next time. I hope. Yes. Well. What other happy topics do we have? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. Come on, let's pick up the, oh, pick up the spirits, I, baby. Well, I've got another celebrity obit. Uh-oh. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, let's guess. Let's guess. Okay. Unless it's one that you think will be too traumatic. Like, we'll play the guessing game, and then like we'll have a breakdown. No, no, I think it, you know. I've got oh, handsome, handsome Harry. What? Not Handsome Harry. Who the hell's Handsome Harry? Who the hell's Handsome Harry? Handsome Harry Hell. The worst oh. wrestler in the world. <laughs> no, no. We're, we're talking to celebrity. Are we talking to musician or an oh, actor? Oh, Artie Johnson. Oh, Artie Johnson. I did see that. Ding. Yeah. Yes. That yes. Is, I love laughing. So that's. Well, that's I just saw, saw something that's even more traumatic <laughs> as it turns out which is not a not a person but a thing yeah but a, a yeah. publication perchance yeah you got it i'm just reading what's that thing up here recently that um mad magazine is done no no way they just did like a relaunch like a few months ago didn't they oh my lord they, 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 moved, they moved the whole organization to la not that long yep. ago yeah and uh, they, they ju I'm just reading it all now. People are posting about it. They said they they did eight issues of the of the uh, reboot, and they got two more, 
And after that, they'll continue to publish reprints, but the, as, a, as far as a uh, current uh, magazine with new art and articles, it's done. Horrible. You know, Horrible. Back, back in the 70s, that was the most cutting-edge satire out there. That was amazing stuff. It's not an exaggeration to say that you learn stuff, reading, if you got into MAD at a young age, you learn stuff in the pages of MAD before you learned it in school or before you learned it from your folks. <laughs> That's how I learned about all the politicians of the early 70s yeah. was through MAD magazine. That's yeah. what launched me into watching news to find out uh, who's this guy, Edwin Muskie, who, yeah. who, whose nose they're always making fun of and stuff, you know? It's like... Yeah, <laughs> you name it. Corruption, prejudice, sex. They call that everything. No, oh, yeah. They took no prisoners. And that's the first place you, you heard about all that. Jeez. Oh, oh that is a bummer. I, just, uh, I, you know, it doesn't totally come as a surprise, but I never imagined there'd be such a day that that wouldn't be around. Yeah, same here. Same here. Oh, my yeah. Lord. <laughs> oh, boy. Sadly ironic, I guess, that Al Jaffe is going to outlive Mad Magazine. That's, That's a, true. He's he's one of the last men standing. Is is Sergio Aragonés still alive? Yes, he Sergio is. Sergio Aragonés, yes. Uh, yeah, I I that was my favorite part of the magazine when I was a kid. Were the little uh, um God, what did they call them? The little Mad Margins or something like that. His mm -hmm. little cartoons that were inserted into the margins of the magazine. Yeah, just called Marginal Thoughts or something like that. Yes, yes. Oh my God. But Al Jaffe's still doing the was is is still doing the fold in. I imagine he'll he'll do the last two. Jeez. Damn. Good yeah. For him. I think has he hit one hundred yet? No, not quite. Okay. He's close. He's close. Is crap that was a fascinating publication? No, they actually remade themselves as a as a a satire website, and. I don't know if they're still quite around, but they did pretty well as a website and a Facebook page. But as a publication, right. they're they're done. Yeah, their website, I, I, I haven't seen it in several years, but their website was actually pretty fascinating, I thought. They, they actually had some fun topics. It, it, and if I remember right, it was like part satire and part informative, too. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. true. Yeah, it was really well done. They, they got... A lot more traction on their website and on their Facebook than Mad did, even. Oh. Yeah, I'm trying to think who's still alive of the uh, original uh, gang of idiots. Um, shoot, I love that, and it—that's the thing about it. it. Was such a colorful. It wasn't just the magazine. It was the writers were all colorful people. We're all celebrities, you know, just by being. Artists or writers in Mad Magazine, Mort Drucker and all those guys. And yeah. <laughs> it was a widely held belief as a kid when you were reading it and were so into it, you'd just say, that's got to be the greatest place to work. I bet you laugh all day long and all this. And it, it wasn't. I, when I first discovered it, my friends at school and I all said, we want to write for Mad Magazine when we grew up. Grew up. <laughs> yeah. But then <laughs> that I, was before I. Before I saw my first Marx Brothers movie, then I wanted to be Harpo Marx when I grew up. And <laughs> I still do. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I've heard stories of a lot of young artists or aspiring artists and writers who actually did, as kids, walk right up to the offices and go upstairs and try to meet people and stuff like that. 
And every one of them said, yeah, it's, it still was a wonderful, wild, funny experience to meet those characters. Oh, how cool. <laughs> I would have loved to have been able to do that. <laughs> and to walk in and just see crazy art and stuff all over the walls. Oh, the Don Martin was 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 <laughs> car it was comic strict unto its own. <laughs> he was terrific, but I always heard he was the farthest. <laughs> thankfully, the farthest from uh, the the personality that uh, that he expressed in his in his art. You know, they said he was very very quiet, studious, not at all crazy. Oh, or, really? Yeah, not outrageous, well, not prone to shouting weird sound effects <laughs> the, the very first issue uh you know just talk about like uh you know just talk, talk about weird coincidence <laughs> whatever you want to call it um i started watching wrestling in 1972 and right around that same time i bought my first issue of mad magazine wow and i, I was totally immersed in wrestling at the time and they had a Don Martin comic where there's a family in a car in Florida, and they see a, sci, a sign that says, Seminole Size Finest Alligator Wrestling, two miles ahead. And the family is all excited that they're going to go watch alligator wrestling. They buy their tickets, and they walk in, and they see a ring with an alligator, one alligator who is unshaven and is wearing long black tights, gouging uh, the eyes of another alligator, and... Uh, an alligator referee sternly telling him, <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I just thought this is the magazine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there was a there was a writer who uh, he might even still be writing stuff for them. A writer named Desmond Devlin, and he was obviously a big wrestling fan. This they they did a lot of wrestling. They put wrestling on a couple of covers during the Hogan era, even Hogan and Savage. They did quite a few really outstanding covers by guys like. Mort Drucker and Jack Davis, really incredible artwork and stuff. But they all always had the the inside articles were always written by this Desmond Devlin. Was he the guy who did the wrestling haikus? Probably. He did oh all, God, my sides were splitting when I read those. Yeah, it was really really sharp. He absolutely knew his stuff and was a, was was a had some funny funny. I remember when you know the WCW WWF wars was in you know in full bloom, and he did a haiku. So you know, I can't I can't remember it as a haiku, but it says says something like Hogan and Flair, heroes of my youth. Yet I can still see them today. And you see uh, Ric Flair with a walker and Hogan with a cane, you know, looking like <laughs> old men. And, and that's just one exact. Man, it, he, he was funny, that guy. Oh yeah. So Lou, we finally we we partly uh, heard word from you, I and mean, you've got the greatest voice of all four of us. What have you got to say for yourself? <laughs> I'm all I'm all voice and no content at this point. <laughs> Then we're best friends. Yeah, let me look for a phone book. I'll start a dramatic reading. <laughs> well, I, like, I like Kurt started his phone call singing. I was really going to propose some kind of a 605 karaoke thing, but... Uh, <laughs> 605 karaoke. That's not to overthink it. That's, that's a, we can table that and possibly... Yeah, we'll just write a song, a song saying the 605 can stress anybody out, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Oh, yeah, that makes me think back to uh, one particular listener, or maybe more, uh, sent in, uh, what, song parodies with lyrics uh-huh. uh, uh, oh, describing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there were a few, yeah. It's the 605 Super Universe. That's cool. <laughs> Another great Mad Magazine feature. Remember all the music parodies they used to uh, include in the magazines? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had a, a particular writer on those, a guy named Frank Jacobs, who almost always did the the song parodies and the music. Oh, it was one guy doing the whole thing. I always wondered well, what most the scoop was the, on that. When they would do song parodies or a, or a movie parody that had songs in it or something like that, it was almost always written by this guy. Yeah, he was a really prolific, clever writer, but specialized in, uh, in uh, you know, sung to the tune of uh, type stuff that they would have. He also, In fact, they came out with a pocketbook full of, uh, you know, Mad Magazine Christmas songs. Oh, yeah? And at school, my friends and I uh, informally set up a little chorus, and we sung all the songs. I could probably even remember a few of them today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, gentlemen, before I add another person, let me ask a question here, get everyone's opinion. Who is the greatest patriotic wrestler of all time? Lou? Since you're a man of few words tonight, I will start with you. <laughs> oh, as far as patriotic, man, I, it's, I, I, you know, it's a, it's a low-hanging fruit, right? You know, when I think of somebody who uh, embodied both the uh, light and dark sides of patriotism, uh, in the squared circle, I got to think Sergeant Slaughter, uh, the drill instructor. All right. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's what comes immediately to mind. I guess I'll throw, we're looking for something kind of interesting or exotic, but uh, Hogan did pretty mm-hmm. good wrapping himself in a flag, Duggan. Uh-huh. Uh, right. And I'm trying to think, is there somebody earlier that really st- – Oh God, yeah. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, they weren't around. They weren't around. I, I'm convinced it was. Uh, I, I'm convinced that they were uh, somehow censored. It's easy. It wasn't one person. It was a tag team. It was Mickey Doyle and Mike Boyette, the hippies. <laughs> what? Those were Americans. Those were Americans. Stick it to the man. Stick it to the man. You know, that's <laughs> the rest. And I'm biased because Mickey Doyle's a friend, and I do have, I do still have my leather red, white, and blue vest uh, that he gave to me when I started wrestling. That uh, uh, a groupie made for, handmade for him and uh, Mike Boyette back in the early '70s. You can find the picture somewhere on my page of the two of them in it. But no, uh, they should have been pushed to the top. And uh, they should have represented America. We'd be in a much better place if the hippies were on top and if they ran for office. Oh, so I guess, I guess they embody the, the the original rebellious spirit of the founding yeah, we can't, fathers. Hey, if we couldn't get the MC5 in the uh, Senate, uh, we can still try for the hippies. Okay. <laughs> Is there any significant footage of uh, Mike Boyette? in action other than just like a like a preliminary type wrestler any places where he was headlining and doing like not that i know of no not that i know of unfortunately 
I, I dug him. Every story there, is There's not much of Doyle there. There's one really good match of Doyle with Jumbo Saruda from the early 70s on YouTube. And uh, I, I think mm. both of them were really underrated. Hey, Kurt, do you know anything about a guy who wrestled in Mid-South in 82 named Billy the Star Child Star? <laughs> no, I wish I did. <laughs> hey, he seems like, like he's an interesting... Not, I wouldn't say jobber, jobber, but like an undercard guy. But he, he has a little personality. He's good in the ring. He's got his own name, Billy the Star Child Star. But I don't know anything else about him. And it seems like every grifter ran through L.A. at one point or another. That's why I thought maybe you knew who he was. Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's how bad L.A. got. That uh, toward the end, even some of the grifters uh, would be advertised as coming. And when they found out what L.A. was like, just would not show up. Um, uh, the Devil's duo with Izzy Slapowitz was supposed to hit, uh, be in L.A. in, I think, 81. And, of course, there's, I, I, think, I think I've told the story a few times, but there was the funny story about Mike Stallings was supposed to come into L.A. And they were hyping him as like this, like Bob Backlund-type amateur and uh, for whatever reason, he didn't show up. So what they did is they just took Chris Colt and called him Mike Stallings and tried to build him as this star amateur wrestler who was going to take the world by storm. <laughs> so so why the LaBelle territory didn't fold earlier than it did, God knows. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> You're saying Chris Colt, the all-American boy, didn't get over? <laughs> and he and, and the funny thing is he dressed like Chris Cole. He dressed in his multicolored <laughs> tights with his <laughs> tattoos and, and makeup. <laughs> yeah, he did. Unfortunately, that was before the makeup. I, I wish he had the makeup. That would have made it made it more complete. And it's like, like, uh, God, the only thing more complete is that they had a baby bear up on the ring post. You know, that was <laughs> yeah. to- so complete. <laughs> 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 Yes, champion of Greco-Roman debauchery. Uh, in oh, the God, yeah. God, yeah, I, I, I could swear I saw Chris Colt above up in the sky like about two months ago. I went out into the backyard. Uh, and I, uh, Elena was out of town, so I just decided I'm just going to partake, partake, partake. And I was in... I was uh, I was in another uh, universe with a, that had stars with an aura all its own, and I'm walking in the backyard, and there in front of me is the biggest ass raccoon I've ever seen uh, in my life, like just maybe 20 feet from me. Now, hey, hi, I, I, do you guys have raccoons in your area? Yes. Oh, yeah. oh sure. Now, oh, now yeah. you do know you do know what they can do to you, yes. <laughs> I've never gotten that close. Oh, they can, they can devour your face. Uh, yeah. They can mm-hmm. kill your dog. They are that powerful. And I just stared it in the eyes. And I just stared, and it stared back at me. And I just walked towards it. You know, kept keeping perfect eye contact. And it just looked at me. And we just stared at each other face to face for the longest time and then it just got bored of me and walked away but then I thought wait WWCD what would Chris Cole do and 
I could swear after I walked up to that right up to the raccoon, I could swear I saw Chris Colt way up there in the sky, dressed up as Obi Wan Kenobi, smiling down at me, proud. And I think there's somebody like Yoda next to him. Like I don't know, I don't know, uh, maybe Tokyo Joe or one of those guys or uh, Little Tokyo, you know. <laughs> All right, Kurt has Sorry gone if bye I'm bye. off my. Ge- yeah. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I swear I saw it. I, and if it, if I sound a little off right now, I'm totally sober. I think that's the problem. <laughs> I don't know if it's the Chris Colt part that I find hard to believe, or or the part uh, which is even more extraordinary that you lost a stare down to a raccoon. <laughs> oh, I don't. I. It's a good thing I did lose the stare down because if I. I, if I did get any closer, he probably would have uh, tore me to pieces. <laughs> Can't have that. All right, guys, I'm going to add someone right now to the line. Uh, I believe this person is on standby. Uh, and I did that wrong. Hold on. Here we go. <laughs> now I corrected my issue. Adding this person right now. And we are calling him up. We'll see how long it takes for him to pick up the phone. Yep. I like these transitional segments. Hello. Howard Baum, welcome to Independence Day Star Wars. Whoop, whoop. What's up, bitches? <laughs> On the line. What's, with- <clears throat> what's up, you little slut? I miss you. Hey, baby. What's going on? How you doing? <laughs> tremendous, just man. A, tremendous. Just the usual juggalos and juggalettes here. Howard, wasn't that a blast going through the dispensary that first night at Cauliflower Alley? That was tremendous. It was very speakeasy-esque. Totally, totally. And I was I, I, I was so gone by then. The only reason I didn't buy anything from there was I knew how wasted I was, and I didn't know what I was doing. So I said, I, I don't know whether I'm pulling out $5 or $50, so... I just kind no, of drank good, it in. You, you were good for at least a month, and when when I arrived. <laughs> oh, that's right, that's right. That that and that did you well. Uh, little snack, yeah, I, yeah. snack I gave long you. Long acting, long acting. I think I still feel it. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it, man. That is so awesome. I'll I'll, I'll try to find some more of those for you. Yeah, man. I'll give you my address. You ever feel you like the FBI it. listening in on the worst drug dealers of all time? it'll be something like the fbi will will cut open the box and say we got them now and they'll find nothing but snickers bars in them or something (laughs) i don't need money but is there like a weed patreon or something that i could sign up for (laughs) (laughs) that would be awesome that would be worth it howard did you have any other uh any other stories or have you told them elsewhere about uh the cauliflower early this year well uh i don't have my notes in front of me but off the top of my head um <laughs> i like to be prepared you know yeah i'm the greg giraldo of um podcast <laughs> <laughs> but um no the funniest right, line geez. ever was uh it, it, it was like um trying to get from point a to point b with carmine Despirito is like 
one of those like Pied Piper things. It's like every two seconds he meets somebody that he's known for 20 years and he's like, Goomba, come on, Paisan, come on. So now we have like 40 people behind us and we're marching from the elevator bank over to the uh, Chinese restaurant, Ping Pang Pong. At this point, I meet Jim Valley for the first time ever. I'm talking to Brian Blair. Everyone is um, milling around and I'm just starving at that point. And uh, we see our friend Roy Lusher. Roy Lusher. I like Lucy. I'm kidding. Better, I had to though. do that. That was a, no. I, no, we had a good time with Roy. I had to do that. That's a Rick and Morty. But <laughs> I see, I see, I see um, uh, Roy Luzier, and I go, "Hey, man!" Trying to cut to the quick, and I, we got 50 people behind us now, and I'm like, "Hey, you want to go to Ping Pang Pong?" And he's like, "Well, I don't know how to play, but I'll watch you guys." <laughs> I forgot about that. Thinking, that was it was great. Some, thinking it was some kind of exotic pie gal or something. That was that was a, a uh, that was a comedic highlight. That was funny. That was funny. Did anyone God else witness the uh, Mike Leno Haku incident? Um, I didn't see that, but I know somebody that did. Yeah, me too. I didn't know if anyone on the line did. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember who saw that. Maybe Jason Rudy. That yeah, might have been it. You know, he had a booth. He had a booth this year. Yeah, that's. What yeah, was. there you go. Yeah. Well, you missed out. You could have had him. You get him and his brother <laughs> for the same price. <laughs> Did I you come face to face with Hannibal? How about that? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm a little out, out of the my... loop. Explain to me the trip behind this Hannibal guy. I, I mean, I see his videos. I, I don't watch his videos on YouTube, but I see, uh, you know, that they're present. I'm just saying, what the fuck, you know? What, you better what, what's watch your trip? mouth or I'll sue you in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> what, was he, what was he trying to get on a California championship wrestling with that interview or something? <laughs> I'm going to take off my shirt and pose. <laughs> well, there's something wrong with wrestling when, when people who can't speak or use equipment actually are making money with uh, freaking shoe interviews. So what the hell are we doing wrong? Peter, Who's the fool here? Maybe literally retarded people are making a fortune and we're sitting here, you know. <laughs> Wait, let me turn on my Radio Shack microphone. <laughs> and let me crawl into this 55-gallon drum. That's where I usually record from. It's very good ambiance. We're going to do a shoot angle later. As soon as I can decide on a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, let me get the shoe polish to put on my face. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I would love know, to see the round table where you guys do that in front of him. That's what I'd like to see. What's he, <laughs> what's he gonna do? What's he gonna do? <laughs> what's he gonna do? The guy's what's... the size of a wall. I don't care. What's he gonna do? He's gonna attack us. He'll lose all that money he didn't collect from Abdullah. <laughs> <laughs> And besides, what's he going to do? Chase us? I'd like to see how far he can chase us. <laughs> well, there you go. I know you like to get on your bicycle. Yeah. Let me Vandal get is my famous for getting on his bicycle, as Gordon Soli used to say. 
Okay. <laughs> He's on his bicycle. <laughs> Which would be funny if it was literal, if you think about it. So no yeah, seeing him on a bicycle would be uh, <laughs> quite the event. <laughs> no run-ins or sightings of him at all? He looked like, I mean, from the amount of uh, videos he put up, it looks like he was all over the place there. He does a lot. You know, where Dave Penzer's not available, uh, Hannibal needs to uh, <laughs> make himself available. All right. <laughs> hey, Howard. When you're, in that rare, when you're in that rarefied air of, you know, the very best at what you do, uh, yes, sir. As I often am. <laughs> well, uh, Howard, what I was going to ask you about is we were talking about some magazines earlier. I just actually picked up a bunch of magazines for some research. And your name popped up in a few of these. I have here Celebrity Wrestling from May 1989. Pro Wrestling's most most celebrated magazine. We were talking about Michael Howard earlier. What was his... I mean, is... is, uh, Because he's the publisher of a bunch of these. Is Barney O'Hara his dad? Barney O'Hara? I don't think that's biologically possible. It says the publisher... Barney O'Hara? The publishers Barney O'Hara and Michael Morris. Oh, no. The editor in, um, editor in chief is Mike O'Hara. Well, he, yeah, he, had, he has a wife, Roma, who I think was involved. You know, he's a um, hypnotist now. Mike O'Hara? Yeah. Oh, I thought he was like a whole, like he did homeopathy or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. That I don't know. He's a good guy. I enjoyed yeah. working for him. He just disappeared, though. I'm trying to see. Did you write any articles yeah. here, or did you just do the photos? What's that? I'm trying to see if you wrote any articles here. Or you just did photo. Here's a dot. I wrote article. a few. I wrote under. I wrote under the nom de plume uh, Mark Howard. Sometimes I don't know why. I didn't. Just, yeah, I was already taking pictures, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Oh, I remember why. Because I was doing. I came up with a series. I, uh, you know, my mother said, "If make your own opening." So I'm like. That's what I always did. I'm like, what are they missing and what can I do? So I'm like, hey, why don't you let me do a new column where I review the different TV shows? And you know me, of course, it was negative. I'm not going to point out you know, positive shit. So the whole thing was like a burial. It was like I used to write articles like the decline of Florida wrestling and um, stuff I would review like I'd, uh, Mid-Atlantic and give David Crockett the same kind of reviews I'm giving him today. So that's why I used a fake name so it wouldn't come back to me. And then here's Wrestling Life. From May 1989. Is this another Michael O'Hara joint? M.D. O'Hara. So, yes, it is. Yeah, he was a good guy. Mm-hmm. He, uh, yeah, he did what few do. He left and he never worked. He never uh, looked back. He had a lot of stuff he was selling, though. He always had all sorts of different things that you could buy directly from him. Mm-hmm. He was a uh, pioneer. He had combat sports, and he was a pioneer in uh, early MMA and karate and boxing, and yeah. he was all over that stuff. Yeah, his his newsletter, consider, you know, this was pre-Observer, when his newsletter, which was pre-Observer, it was actually one of the better ones compared to a lot of the other uh, sheets that were out there. There's so many of these like magazines and magazine writers that have just fallen away. Like, so many, It's become narrowed down, and people think it was just Bill Apter. And then if they think it was more than that, maybe Bill Apter and George Napolitano. And then, you know, mm. but like a lot of these other ones, even like Wrestling World, Wrestling Eye, uh, Wrestling's Main Event. Yeah. You know, a lot of people. My buddy Sandy Krebs. Whoop, whoop. 
he's another good guy. He was uh, one of the best payers and best guys to work with. It's my buddy Sandy Krebs, main event, baby. The coolest thing ever was when I went to um, the Empire State Building to collect the check he owed me. And um, Howard Brody, the, the publisher of main event was Che Lo. So we go to Che Lo's office. And somewhere in all of this, um, Howard Brody thinks that I thought Che Lo was kayfabe or something like that. I don't, I don't remember the story. It's in <laughs> Howard Brody's book, as a matter of fact. Immortalized for all time. But I swear it never happened. I mean, I was smartened up since I was 17, so there's no way. But he swears that I thought Che Lo was like kayfabe. I don't remember the joke or the context or whatever. But you know at the uh, Empire State Building, they have the bank of – elevators and you can go up to like a hundred up to like the hundredth floor but then if you have real important business in the real offices it's closed off and you need special permission to go higher than that whatever the floor was so chelo was up there and sandy krebs was waiting for me had my girlfriend monique at the time i think it was 1991 90 90 91 so they're trying to usher us into the commoner area like oh you guys can't go there and I was like, excuse me, sir, I have official business on the 294th <laughs> floor. Uh, perhaps you heard of uh, Main Event Magazine, not too shabby. I didn't say that. but So we got ushered up into the, <laughs> the higher levels and everything, and that was very cool. You could see, like, all of New York from uh, the Empire. So I had official business at the Empire State Building, thanks to professional wrestling and Sandy Krebs. What do you think the most amount of magazines that actually appeared in a month on the newsstand? In the United States, like when? When do you think it would have been? And I don't know if you want to guess. I have to tell you, it's got to be mid to late '80s, and it's got to be easily just based on Mike O'Hara. I swear, he had 15 titles, and I'm not even being really funny. Celebrity wrestling, wrestling power, um. New wave wrestling was a was a little bit later, but new wave wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, that was later. That was like a, a, a poor revival. That was like a sad reprise where it just didn't it was like a weak looking uh magazine. All right, maybe well, I, it was ten, but easily ten titles. And then you had of course Napolitano after uh definitely the late eighties. When I was a kid mm-hmm. in the mid seventies, I uh you could go to any bookstore here in Southern California, and you'd be lucky to find a wrestling magazine. Uh, if you went to downtown LA, you could find some of the Lucha magazines. But I loved going up uh, to visit uh, my aunt and uncle up in Tulare, which is this just kind of this agricultural town that has not much to it. But they had this bookstore that just seemed so out of place in an agricultural town that not only was just wall-to-wall books – but seemed to have every magazine and publication. And I loved going there just because they had every aftermag. They had the wrestling review and wrestling monthly. They had ring wrestling. They had, um, they probably had a few. I don't even remember. And they even had the Mexican magazines too. So every time I'd, uh, spend the weekend up there, I would just be saving my money so I could just hoard wrestling magazines because it was the only opportunity I ever got to really buy them. <laughs> and there were a lot back then, too. 
So we had an embarrassment of riches in in South Florida because there used to be Almar Books, and they had all the uh, they were in the Skylake Mall. I just like to excite the local people by dropping these names and bore like ninety nine percent of everyone else. But Almar Books, of course, and uh, they had all the after titles, and I was well chuffed. And that's also where I picked up my first copy of uh, Whatever Happened to Gorgeous George, which was astounding at the time. They had a glossary yes. of real names in the back of the book and everything. I said to my dad, look at this. He's like, get it. And, I, uh, I, uh, it, it. I didn't find it in the bookstore, but it was at our local library of all places right when it came out. And yeah, I, uh, checked out, I checked out that book like eight or nine times. And then when I met uh, Pat Howard, a.k.a. Larry Rivera, he said the same thing. I kept going back to the library. Nobody else got to read the book but me because I kept checking it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, here's a uh, here's I found my uh, CAC notes and I made an analogy and I made an Aerosmith analogy, and Joe Perry says that we used to be a rock band dabbling in drugs, but now they became a druggy band dabbling in music. Well, I say the <laughs> CAC used to be a wrestling convention, and now it's just a weed and food convention with a little wrestling thrown in. <laughs> as far as our little group is concerned, if you know what I'm talking about. Howard Baum, you are spot on. You were Thank God I write on. this stuff down. Oh, here's my, C- here, here's my CAC, uh, Kubler-Ross Stages of Grief. It's four stages, much like <laughs> when somebody dies. <laughs> it's the four stages of the CAC. I've not heard that Stage number- in years. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. And this is just the kind of fun we have, folks, so please join us. Uh, The Kubler-Ross, Howard Baum, four stages of CAC. Number one, why the fuck am I going to this thing? Number two, okay, this is definitely my last one as I prepare and arrive on the first day. Number three, halfway through the second day, I'm really having fun. And number four, see you next year. Couldn't have had more fun. Yeah, see you next year. I am high as a kite, and I can hardly wait to see you guys <laughs> no, next year. I'm no, so ready. I can still be high in mid- in the, yeah, but totally. Yeah, we do have a good time. I, I got to say, it's getting better and better. It's like a sex with a significant other, you know? It just gets better and better. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I have more fun every time I go. It's just it's, I, yeah, I, I got to say, we have it down to a real science now, and you know, at Carmine's behest, we actually left the premises and went out into the actual world of Vegas for the first time and did That's some stuff. That's very fair. Um, you know, we saw the famous cookie jar at the Paris, and uh, we uh, we ate at Bruxy's with my friend Jace Nacarado and uh, my KFR co-host Scott Bowden himself. We had a good time, I gotta say. It was really good. It did yeah, like we had pretty fun. cool. We had a cool time too. Fredo and I went up. We watched Cheech and Chong's next movie. <laughs> I think you were just looking. I think you were just looking in the mirror. <laughs> oh yeah, it was me. Which one was Fredo then? <laughs> yeah. We got to convince Fredo to spark up the owl with us sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the one of the best lines was, "We're all talking to Brian Blair and stuff." And I didn't go to the banquet this year. I, I went rogue. I, I went Hunter S. Thompson, and it was the best thing I ever did. It's like the dream to go to CAC and not do the official activities and just do your own thing. Definitely the way to go for somebody like me. You just 
to you know, then you're not exhausted by the end of it, and you just yeah. No, I'm 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 kind of you know, I'm kind of considering just getting a hotel next time and just hanging with everybody. Yeah, because you know, everyone was everybody was worn out after the banquet, and I was like raring to go, you know. So uh, we're all talking to Brian Blair and everything, and everyone's like dragging around and talking about how long the banquet was because it was one of the longest ones ever. And Carmine goes to Brian Blair, the banquet wasn't too long. I just left. <laughs> <laughs> We all cracked. Even Brian Blair left. And he's a cool guy, by the way, you know? Yeah. Brian Blair's a really good guy. Yeah, it was, that, that was, it was, I would say it was one of the strangest banquets uh, uh, <laughs> I attended. And and when Jim Ross started going off saying, saying like, if you're a true wrestling fan and you're not a, a member of Cauliflower Alley, you should be ashamed. And I'm like, oh, fuck, let it, let it down a notch, dude. Yeah, I heard he looked askance when they announced uh, the 605, when somebody gave the 605 yeah. a shout-out. And we got to give a, we gotta give, yes, we got to give a big salute to Brian Blair for bringing us up several times at the 605. Yeah, I wasn't there, but he, he's a very cool guy. Like, every time I interacted with him, he's a very cool guy. Yeah, he and, was uh, thanking everybody for coming out. He says, I want to thank the 605 cable over here. And I'm just like, whoa, this guy's okay. He told me the Cuban assassin found some weed that would that's better than Viagra. Holy crap. <laughs> do that. Do that? that what you want with it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Fidel Sierra? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Oh, oh yeah. Man. You know. Does that mean Cute. Ricky Santana has a hookup? <laughs> Actually, it's quite funny. Uh, both those guys kind of like uh, attempted to uh, diss me or blow me off because I like Ricky Santana. One of the within the first six months of his career, he worked for our little company for Tyree, and he was known as Aldo Lane. And his real name is Aldo Marino, and he was working as Aldo Lane at the time. Then he became Ricky Santana one or two years later, did Puerto Rico, did NWA. Uh, so I see him walking by. I'm like, hey, Aldo Lane, what's going on? Totally no-sold me. So later I'm talking to Ariel, Roddy Piper's gorgeous daughter. I walk over. To, they were sitting there, um, Kitty, um, her mom, Roddy's wife, and Ariel, I walked up to Ariel. I go, you look like a good-looking page. And she cracked up. And um, she's a gorgeous girl. And all the Piper kids are so nice, too. And Kitty, too. They really did a good job. But Ariel is gorgeous, if I didn't mention that before. And after I was done schmoozing with her, uh, they're sitting with Cuban. And I go, hey, man, your uh, your partner attempted to blow me off before when I um, <laughs> when I brought up his when I brought up his rookie years completely fucking no-sold me. He looked ahead like I was describing sex acts with his mother. He was just like, you know, I'm beneath him. I'm fucking beneath the freaking Cuban assassin. Excuse me. Excuse (laughs) me. I I think that's kind of the complaint I've heard the last two two years. I, you know, I'm not, I don't go up and chat with a lot of the guys, but I I do uh, hear people saying they do have the sense of being a little you know, being blown off by more of the guys than used to be uh, yeah. the norm. Which is well, you know, same. I hear that Cuban was up for the uh, the Percival A. Friend Memorial. Where did you say you worked again? Award. So, so when he says, "Do you know who I am?" and we say, "No." Uh, no. <laughs> 
as a matter of fact. That that was one of my favorite doc lines when um, he got into an argument with a prostitute in his hotel uh, in the halls of his hotel, and uh, he was stark Who? naked. Who? Who's this? Doctor Jerry Graham. Oh. So he's stark naked, and they're they're shouting, and so she she pulls out a knife, and says says one more word, and like like your balls are off. Now, if somebody said that to me, <laughs> I would become a world-class sprinter like that. <laughs> what does Doc do? Doc stares at her and says, do you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> but I, think, it, think what it would have done to your Exotico career. <laughs> that's right. Hey, Incredibly Strange Wrestling, the eunuch. <laughs> ah, it's the one role he never played. That's right, the unique eunuch. I, I, That's the tremendous. We gotta do that. Yes, yes, yes. And when the if Godfather gold, if, offered... gold, if Gold Dust can get a boob job, you can have your unit removed for the business. <laughs> yeah, and no <laughs> sell every nut shot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fair. fair to I, yeah, the fair is fair. Fair is fair, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. So, basically, next year at the 20th annual, my last ever CAC, I can look forward to being uh, destroyed by Cuban, Aldo, and uh, Devin. So, that'll be cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brian, Brian, we got to get that 605 convention going, really. It would be off the charts. We we may have to at some point, but I've been saying that for a few uh, years. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> hey, Howard, uh, everyone else gave their thoughts on AEW. Uh, you usually have an interesting yeah. take on things. What is your uh, thoughts about I was afraid that might come up, but I haven't seen a drop of it. I haven't seen any of it. I mean, the only thing that I saw was the chair shot and everything. And obviously, it's Wrestling 101 to not go on there and say, oh, we gimmick the chair. Are you fucking kidding me? And other than that, I didn't see any of it. I just saw the still of that and people talking about it. But I... You know, somebody said something on the internet, and um, that's usually where the greatest wisdom comes from, and I happen to agree <laughs> with this one. <laughs> no, but it's like wrestling went from a thing where you believed or pretended to believe, and now it's about appreciation. It's like, oh, these guys are working hard. Oh, that was a clever thing they did. Oh, the work rate. And that's just not wrestling. You know, they just they jumped the shark with the whole damn thing already because – Unless you're going to really institute kayfabe, as I always say, that's just what it boils down to. I hate to beat a dead horse, but yeah, but if kayfabe came back, we would not have this show. Well, well, we wouldn't yeah, have wrestlers always, on the show. There's always moles. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, come on. No, it, it's just, but, but it's just kayfabe. Kayfabe is what it was. It's not there anymore, and. and I'll, I'll be honest. Modern day wrestling, I watch. I watch C, a lot of CMLL, but modern day wrestling overall just isn't my cup of tea. But I don't have a problem with it. It it just doesn't give me wood. And, but um, no. when I when I went to the AWA show last month, you know, I, I saw people having a great time, and it it you know I had a really good time too. It it was not like the passionate feeling I had. When I went to matches in my teens, nothing like that. Wrestling's not going to be like that again today, ever, <laughs> ever. 
And but I saw a lot of people having a fucking blast, and I I yeah. say power to them, and I say power that there's more organizations, so wrestlers have more bartering power now. Well, I will Kurt? say one interesting um, thing that I saw. Oh, go ahead. Sorry about that. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Kurt. You said AWA was that the show, the Showboat? <laughs> no, that no, that would have made me quit watching wrestling again. <laughs> okay. Boy, did I go to I can't. Suck on myself that time. Yeah, you were there last month in 1986. Yeah, I was there in 88. I... Yes, I remember that. <laughs> that was a long show. <laughs> I can't get enough of Saldat Ustinov, for one. <laughs> but, um, no, I here's a really interesting psychological thing, and it kind of goes back to that thing. You know how Cornette says that it used to be the fans were the marks, and now the boys are the marks, and the boys are hurting themselves to impress the fans because the whole thing flipped. And now, so I'm watching this new documentary they have on Vice, The Wrestlers. I don't know how many of you guys have seen it. I didn't see the whole series yet. It's really well done. And um, the one on Deathmatch Wrestling, they're talking to Onita. And it was a really interesting take. It made me look at the psychology of the deathmatch and so-called garbage wrestling in a completely different way. And this is kind of a parallel thing to the thing of where it used to be the boys were working the fans and now the fans are working the boys because the fans are smart and the boys are killing themselves. If somebody's going to break yeah. their freaking neck on an apron one day and it's not going to be long from now. Well, but fact, let me just say this. Yeah. Let me just say this. So I'm watching the Onita thing, and they're showing him against Terry Funk and everything, and they're like, I think he actually said, I might have dreamed this part, but he's like, you know, when I was in Memphis, I discovered this hardcore wrestling and all this. And he goes, I approach it from, why not, have, why not begin a match with utter chaos? I'm like, wow, how interesting. He's not even pretending to do the um, scientific wrestling thing, treat it as a sport. Like, let's begin the match in utter chaos. And then here's the thing. This is the crux of everything I'm trying to say right here is that they, um, oh, Jesus, I can't believe I lost my train of thought now. The, the whole thing is they're like, we struggle to show the audience that we're okay at the end because they're bloody from head to toe. They did everything in the book to themselves. And they're like, we need to show the audience that we're okay after putting all of that effort into our match and everything, which is the exact opposite of what the wrestlers used to do because they would lay there mm -hmm. after a pile driver and have to be taken to the back. So right there, it's the, it's the complete flipping of kayfabe. It's like, look, we're actually killing ourselves, and now we have to prove we're okay. And yeah, the, I, the irony could, of that is when somebody sold that pile driver when they were killed, they were actually a okay, and the fans were saying, "Oh my god, egg. a okay." Yeah. Right. <laughs> Although I because uh, wrestling now, <laughs> I, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm not a squeamish type, but wrestling now is like too. I don't know if it's because I'm getting old, but it's just too painful to see what these guys are doing. I always I'm wanted more violence. I'm, I always wanted more violence in my wrestling. Florida wrestling was not violent enough for me. I felt like if Dusty Rose and Terry Funk really hated each other that much, then, you know, they, literally there would be, like, you know, serious repercussions. But no, it was just wrestling business. It was typical wrestling stuff, even as great as it was, but it wasn't violent enough for me. I thought Abdul the Butcher was really going to kill somebody if I went to see him live, but it never happened. I'm like, all right, well, whatever. But this stuff is too violent because who wants to see that? 
No, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, this is what I want to say. When I attended the AEW show, I got to say, I enjoy the show immensely. It was great. It was really good. But I did find myself cringing and tightening up at a lot of the moves. And that's why I think I'm not into a lot of the wrestling today is I'm seeing these guys who are young enough to be my youngest son. And I'm saying, how are these guys going to be walking in 20 years with a severe limp or a cane or a walker? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I, I honestly think that you could do just half those moves and still do some old school, school psychology that can get over. I don't think you can bring it back to kayfabe days. I think that's, that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as much as I kind of miss kayfabe, uh, if kayfabe didn't die, we wouldn't have any decent wrestling history books out there. We just have bullshit books that are fiction of mm-hmm. uh, wrestlers doing their autobiography saying it's all a shoot. Well, it's great that it came all full circle, but, uh, you know, yes. these diehards just, I mean, it's as simple as this. People are like, oh, you can still appreciate modern wrestling and old wrestling. No, because there is no such thing as modern wrestling. Modern wrestling is sports entertainment. Wrestling contains kayfabe. That's it. A woman contains a uterus. Wrestling contains kayfabe. A man does not. He's not a woman. A sports entertainment does not. It's not wrestling. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Though there, there, the kayfabe was very silly at times too, because uh, I remember there in the kayfabe days watching Roddy Piper wave a, a watch in front of Adrian Adonis's face in L.A. <laughs> And then Adonis walking like a Frankenstein monster to defeat his opponent. And I thought, oh, yeah, if they said kayfabe, this is real, yeah, I would be convinced. Yeah, yeah, a watch, mm. a fucking, a fucking well, watch. granted. But the, see, the thing of it is, back then, everybody had solidarity. So even when stupid shit like that occurred, the wrestling business would fill in the gap. They'd have like a million different excuses for this or that, and the fans went along with it. And there was no they, way to prove. Well, that, I, no, and I learned a valuable and, and, lesson. I learned a valuable lesson from one of those dingbat fans that I used to make fun of uh, when I was seventeen. Uh, you know, he was one of these fans who would get red in the face when the heels were going mm-hmm. over and freaking out. And and if if it was seven o'clock when the matches were supposed to start, and it was seven o three, it's like, come on, let's get the show on the road. I thought this guy was the biggest goon in the world. <laughs> And so uh, they announced next week, okay, Tom Jones versus Professor Ito, loser will leave town. And I knew it was Ito who was leaving. And right. uh, this fan who we called Captain Jack uh, um, says, well, I guess that's the last we're going to see of Professor Ito. <laughs> and since all the wrestlers told me, you kayfabe, you kayfabe, you do not reveal anything – and I sit there smugly saying, what makes you think Ito's going to lose? How do you know that? And he just stares at me, says, did you watch TV the other night? Professor Ito is wrestling Chavo in a loser leaves town match in Bakersfield. Then he's wrestling, um, <laughs> he's wrestling Mondo Guerrero in a loser leaves town match in Fresno. <laughs> and then in Ventura, He's re- he's wrestling Tokyo Joe in the loser leave town match. Ah, do the match, Arnold Einstein. Uh, you can figure it out. <laughs> you know. Wow. Maybe they just I mean, wanted yeah, him I, gone I thought, really bad and just hoping he would lose one of those. 
Yeah. So it'd be funny if everybody else lost. What if all, what if all his opponents lost funny. and he was still there now, at the end was, of it? That would be if, – If I was the booker, that's what I would have done. And I wouldn't have right? told the wrestlers either. I would have had screw finishes on all of them. Of course, this was old belt territory, and the wrestlers the whole probably ro- would have said thank you. <laughs> right. Wipe out the whole uh, roster, and it's the Edo Championship Wrestling. <laughs> 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 Narrated by Tux Newman. Exactly, exactly. What would it be without? What would it be without? Totally, totally. I do miss those fans, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw some cool pictures of the Olympic when they had all the seats there before they took the seats out to make like a natural oh, yes. guardrail. Very cool. Look how close they were before. They were like right up to the ring before. Oh, oh, totally. Yeah, oh, I, was, I was very surprised. I never, I never saw that before. Yeah, San Bernardino Arena. There was one side where you're sitting in your seat and you could reach out and touch the rope. It was awesome. Hmm. Those are classic arenas. All right, guys. Well, good night, everybody. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you know what they say: no dead air in broadcasting. <laughs> Yeah, Brian keeps yes. disappearing for really long periods of time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I'm just hoping everything's okay. Oh yeah, no, no. I've I've been letting the conversation go, and also Swami's been barking, so I've been muting myself for a uh, a good period oh. of time. <laughs> mm. As long as you protect your Swami, everything is good. That's right. Well, the Olympic Auditorium is definitely tops, and in, in when I think of uh, wrestling buildings that I wish I had been able to go to and never did and never will get to go to, is there anything that sticks out in particular, or like a one place where you say, boy, I wish I had seen a show there? Hmm. I'm trying to think. No, I think I got to see all the arenas I really like. Like, I mean, my, my favorite was San Bernardino Arena because that was just like this classic little barnyard arena but built specifically for wrestling and boxing. I mean, the ring was built into the place. Wow. And and they had this big thing hanging over the ring that was glass that had the numbers of the rounds for boxing matches and lights. And (laughs) one night, Tim Taltree and one of the wrestlers was just having a contest of who could take the highest backdrops. (laughs) Taltree took a a, a backdrop so high, he kicked the... uh, he kicked the glass round numbers out, and glass fell all over the ring. <laughs> and and some and one of the uh, bouncers runs in desperately with a broom while they're still trying to wrestle, getting all the glass out of there. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> and look where we've come. He was tremendous. He he was taller than Andre the Giant. If he's the one I'm thinking of, there was who's that? I, I think it is the, the Tim Talltree. Didn't he, he work really Memphis or? Oh, people! He uh-huh. he was he was he was tall, but he was very very skinny. People tried to fuck with him, and it was a mistake when they did. They had another guy that was kind of like that in Memphis. I don't remember his name, but uh, he was like so t- he was taller than Andre. I would swear he was like wow. a big country boy. They put him in a in a um, you know, like overalls and stuff. I think he might have worked Texas too. Yeah, tall. I would, was I would know who it is at a later date. But yeah, tall guy was, was tall. He couldn't son. Oh, that would make sense because that's when I saw him. He was Ernesto was booking, and uh, 
it was Tim Talltree, and he was teaming with like Jerry O and uh, Ron Sexton, stuff like that at the time. Mm. But he was terrible, but he was tall. <laughs> no, wait a minute. You're thinking about somebody else because Talltree was a great, great worker. You're thinking yeah. the, you might be thinking the other Renesto who was not such a great worker. Tall, tall tree is well, skinny. Tom Branch, yeah, he was the shits. But um, are you just thinking of Little John, that guy, yeah. the guy that was in Texas and? Uh, Cornette, oh so yeah, there you go. I thought you were doing a play on words. The opposite of Tim Talltree would be Little John, but yes, <laughs> that is who it was. And that he looked kind of like a um like a big daddy, but really tall. Yeah, not was, not the English Big Sam. Daddy, but the Florida Silo Big Daddy. Sam. And when Jim Cornette sold his entrance into the into the arena, that was golden. You could see it coming a mile away. <laughs> well, where so is the wee little was, fella? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and then just the look on his face—that was classic. <laughs> Yeah, I I I think I once heard that that Silo Sam or or Little John actually was signed when when WWE was was introducing all the hillbillies. That they mm-hmm. they actually had him under contract for a little while. And when you think that they used Uncle Elmer and every kind of hillbilly things like that, how bad was that guy that never used right. him and never used him? No, he was he was he was immobile. He was like literally uh, just. Yeah, horrendous. The time he was in the AWA, uh, they would just run promos and videos, and I don't know if that, I ever saw him in an actual oh. match. <laughs> yeah, so what, what, I did. He certainly of, didn't do much. Of, he uh, yeah. did very little. In fact, I, I heard the only angle he took part in, he did, he couldn't remember the finish, and I think it was a pretty yeah. simple one, too. Oh yeah, well, you remind me. There's another guy out here on on the west that Vern Gagne used for a while, and I did see at the showboat. And oh my god, it was horrible. Um, Rocky Mountain Thunder. Who had oh, a I was just about to mention him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel oh. bad saying it because the uh, he was a very nice guy, very sweet guy. But oh god, he didn't know his head yeah. from his ass. Oh yeah, the boy, the carpenters he was facing. <laughs> <laughs> they boy, he was just throwing them around like sacks of potatoes. It would hurt them. I mean, he he injured some of them. I, he not intentionally. He just he just was clueless, you know. And then and then on that same show was that. Does anybody remember Iron Man Mark Miller, big mm. bodybuilding dude who looked like yep. he wished he could be Don Morocco but couldn't because he was so stiff? No. <laughs> he wrestled no. Handsome Harry that night, and I'm, I'll never forget what uh, Dave wrote in the newsletter and that we all said as we saw it. He's the only uh, the only time we have ever seen a wrestler go for a bear hug and miss it. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Wasn't he? Yeah, he t- I, if, I, if I remember correctly, he threw Harry in the ropes, and Harry gets it, and he, he missed the bear hug. Like, he barely was able to grab onto him, and... He's this huge, hulking bodybuilder, and Harry's a guy my size, and it's like he can't <laughs> even do that. Oh my God! Wasn't he part yeah, of? Yeah, Miller. Oh, Miller was the shit. Oh, he's terrible. Another nice guy, but boy, is he terrible. <laughs> Wasn't he part of the power team when when uh, they were all bodybuilders out in California with Sting and uh, and uh, Jim Helwig? He might have been. I'm not certain, but he might have been. 
The funny thing is, he had a, if you saw him and heard him talk, you'd say he has a cool look and he has a cool. I mean, the way he t- he would just chat in conversation, you could picture him being good on the mic. But he'd get in the ring. I mean, not even wrestling 101, not even wrestling 60. I mean, this guy had no concept of wrestling. But people marked out local, you know, local indie promoters, late 80s, always wanting to be Vince yeah. McMahon see a bodybuilder hey we're gonna make him a star i'm seeing his name right here in power uh, thing about power team usa yeah it was, it was sting ultimate warrior were the two that made it and the other two were mark miller and a guy named garland donahoe mm. oh that's one i never heard <laughs> i like the name though garland yeah. donahoe <laughs> there were four of them and it says two of them stayed in the business and two of them didn't <laughs> Yeah, I wonder what happened to Mark Miller. Bill Anderson might know. <laughs> Wasn't the Angel of Death a part of that crew in some way? Yes. Yes, he was. Yeah, Angel of Death was part of that. Uh, there's somebody else, too. But yeah, there Donahoe people. went on to produce a uh, midget talk show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kurt, did you ever have any run-ins with Rick I could Bassman? Be I Believe it or not, I never met Rick Bassman. All I had to do was watch uh, his role in that that movie that Sting made. Ooh. And I say, I don't ever want to meet this guy. I know he was just acting, but it was so retarded. I say, I don't even (laughs) want to ever see this guy. God, that. Oh, anybody ever seen that movie, Moment of Truth? Yes. No. Ooh. (laughs) I don't really watch anything that's not faith-based. What's that? (laughs) I really don't partake in anything that's not faith-based, so, you know, that's right up my alley. I like all those. I like the HBK one. I like the Sting one. I watch that shit all the time. <laughs> that's, that's great stuff. Follow it up with I got my I got my ruse. I got my ruse rosary beads. The whole <laughs> I have um, fellowship with Lex Luger once a month. So it's tremendous. It really has given me a whole spiritual life that I have. Have, have you watched the uh, the the Estes Perkle videos from the '60s, The Evangelist? The Esopantha um, Penzer? No, I'm not familiar with that one. No, Esa, My mom, we we used to sit oh, around. Howard, watch, I got like, something I got to turn on to you. You'll thank me for this. You'll I'll, I'll we, YouTube it to you. Me and my mom, like, before I'd go out for the night, we'd always turn on, like, uh, Benny Hinn or Paul and Jan Crouch. That was always a favorite. I met Pat, you Paul, know? Uh, Jan Crouch, at at the South Coast Plaza Mall. The <laughs> no Mall. way. No we way. Her so legendary. Her. Both of them? No, just her. But it was me and this friend of mine, Rich, who was built like a mastodon. And uh, uh, I think he was wearing an Iron Maiden T-shirt. And uh, Paul Crouch, Jan Crouch, Jan, he's even better, Jan Crouch. And then I, I, what was I, what was I wearing? I think I was wearing my deep purple T-shirt. And we <laughs> went up and asked her for our autograph. <laughs> she gave it to us. And oh yeah, I remember going home and telling my father-in-law, oh yeah, we saw Jan Crouch, and he's old school Sicilian. Did the bitch tell you what she did with all the money she stole from the poor people? Yeah. That stupid bitch. <laughs> Let me get at her. <laughs> Uh, she was so painted up. She looked like a Christmas ornament. She was like done from head to toe. She had like three feet of hairdo and like yes. Oh, they were the best. They were just oh, the best. The audience oh, would be I all. I remember the first time and... I ever 
saw them. I turned on Channel 40 when it, when it was bought by TBN. It used to be a Spanish station. And I think it was the first week they were on that network. And and she's saying, we did it, we did it. We have money for Jesus. We have raised X amount of dollars, and we're going to give it all to Jesus. And I'm like 14, and I'm like, what the fuck? I thought that Maharishi guy on TV was nuts. This this chick <laughs> is out to lunch. She's out to lunch and staying for dessert. Oh, and remember when they would have, like, the fat son come out and do a song? Yes! Like Jan would do the Jan would do the, like the tambourine yes! back like uh, like Mrs. Partridge, and he'd be like, "Cause there's a Jesus." Oh man, how we laughed! Oh man, oh that was laughed. great. Oh that was great. Or how about Reverend Gene Scott? Did you guys see him? Not familiar with him. No. Oh my God, you missed out on the most brilliant, <laughs> the smartest evangelist in history. Ooh, uh, I wanna know. I want to know that Jesus welcomes me there. I do not I know. Do not I don't know how to read or write. I, I do not know. I don't know how to feed myself, but that's enough for me. That's enough for that's me. That's enough for to me know. to know. I want to know. No, no, that he will welcome, will welcome me there. Me I, there. Do I do not know, not know not how want to read or write. Oh, oh, let me live. I don't know how to feed myself. In that myself, city, he's so fair. That's not for me to know. Gene Scott I think you're, uh, would ask for donations, and if donations were not coming in fast enough, he would keep playing the same video of a quartet singing, I want to know, over and over. And it's that same 90-second clip, and progressively, each time they cut back to Gene Scott live, he would yell and curse and say, no, get in. Get on the telephone. No, play it again. Play it again. Yeah, he would always say, play it again. And do you know how he avoided being uh, prosecuted, uh, you know, for misappropriations of funds? And I don't know why other evangelists don't do this. He never said, give to the ministry. He said, give me your uh, personal gift of $10,000 or less. Mm, I remember because that. Yeah, you, they always said that. Some, yeah. If you give somebody a personal gift of $10,000 or, uh, or less, whether it's a friend or a stranger, it's tax-free. So yeah. this guy had tax-free money legally. The IRS bent over backwards to bust him, and they couldn't. <laughs> they they yeah. all said that now that, you, now that you mentioned that. They were all like, give us your personal gift, you know? And, and he passed away, I can't remember, about like 10 years ago, and his widow – uh, Melissa Pastor, Scott. Pastor Melissa Scott. And do you, I can't remember what her former name was, but do you know what her former career was? You told me, and I I was a little um, not. I was poleaxed by the uh, <laughs> revelation. Yep, she was an adult <laughs> film star. Uh, ah. <laughs> It don't get more bitching than that. It does not get more bitching than that. I got to tell you. <laughs> Next step is professional wrestling. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Hey, that might bring Kfa back. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. <laughs> let, me, let me jump in here. I'm going to add someone because uh, I don't know how long we have him. So let me add him right now and also attempt to save the show. Uh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I Are think it was kidding? a pretty good last, last episode. Ten minutes was the best part of the show. Hold on. Let me go. I think it was a uh, it was a pretty good last show ever. 
We could sing some more spirituals if that would help. Of course. <laughs> Lou, Lou, you and I, uh, we're cutting a record together. We're cutting, a, we're cutting an album. Bob Barnett, Wait, welcome hello. to Independence Day Star Wars. <laughs> Saving the best for last. On the line is Scott Cornish. Hello, Howard, Bob. Howard Baum. How you doing? Lou a bunch Kippelman. of comedians. Lou uh-huh. Kippelman, Kurt Brown. And I think I got everyone. Bob Barnett, how are you? Well, you must be in mourning today. I'm what? Where? Who? Kurt, you must be in mourning today. I am in mourning. I know. Our man of is gone. He had Abby's forehead. <laughs> Never could yep. forget him. <laughs> what, a, what a tribute <laughs> this is to him right here. <laughs> I used to shoot closets of his forehead. I just I could never believe it. He was just it looked like he he just looked like he used the pitchfork on himself. No, there was one head that was a lot more uh, horrifying, and that was Viano Terceros because he didn't just gig his forehead; he gig his cheeks and his chin too. <laughs> oh, Jesus! Huh. Oh, good, I haven't eaten yet. Yeah. So what's new? <laughs> was that? What's new, everybody? No, we're just talking about uh, really no specific thing seemingly at all uh here this week on the show just bouncing around now we, we talked a little bit about aew you're a big uh fan of the younger wrestlers the young bucks and the omegas and everything right um i like omega a lot i've been, i've been watching the bucks for 15 years i mean the t- first time i saw them they were 18 years old and um you could just tell they were a whole, a whole different thing from anybody else they were in a four-way match at the giant lucha show at the uh forum and the opening match, and I just thought, oh, what's this? And I, I've seen them a million times over the years. Did you go to a lot of those pro wrestling guerrilla shows? Uh, no. Uh, once they became guerrilla and they moved out to um, the valley, I stopped going. I, the, the shows were about 55 miles from my house. They, they started out uh, just a few miles away from here. And then they moved closer to downtown, which wasn't too bad. But once they moved out to the valley, I was, I was out. It was just too long of a drive. What is that noise I hear? Does someone have a duck? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey, Bob. Sorry, you know, I had I, a tuna salad for lunch. Hey, Bob, I just read Jackie Martling's book. Ah, the new, he has a new one out? No, it's the one that came out a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, I I never got around to it. Is it good? It's entertaining. It's fun. I mean, you know, he certainly defends himself in the negotiations, and as time goes by, I take his side more and more. And, yeah, yeah. And it's just there's this lots of funny stories before even Howard, just his life, just the life of Jackie. He claims that, like, his family are the illegitimate... Well, I'm trying to remember exactly how it works. The illegitimate children... Of Teddy Roosevelt's father. Strip so, out. So that's why it. his family worked at Sagamore Hill and were involved with New York State politics because they I didn't are, know that. Because they that's are cool. actually Roosevelts, or you know, not by name. <laughs> well, I love I love Jackie. I went to see him uh, the last time he was in Vegas at the Riviera. God, eighteen years ago, and. Um, he invited us back up to his suite. He was in Frank Sinatra's suite at the hotel. 
and he took us right into the bedroom. He says, "This is where he, this is where Frank nailed Angie Dickinson." <laughs> he, was just, he was he was just such a great guy and always real gracious. Huh. There's a lot of stuff about him and Rodney in there, and that's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when Rodney came on the show and claimed he he, uh, he paid Jackie for the jokes, and Jackie swore he never got paid. Yeah. <laughs> well, remember Jack, Jackie said Jackie owed Rodney money, and, and he goes, "Don't you remember I paid Pay you? I paid <laughs> I paid you in jokes." He's like, "Oh, I yeah. paid you in jokes." Sure, sure, uh, sure Jackie. Uh, yeah, I, I gave you the Tennessee two bagger. <laughs> Oh, that's that was one of the great. That was one of the best shows I ever did. When he came back into the studio and the argument started. Oh yeah, God, those those cringy moments. Yeah, oh man, <laughs> the best. Yeah, like uh, Billy West and uh, John Kay, the Ren and Stimpy creator. I don't know if you remember yeah. that one. Oh, yeah. Ooh. We, Wait a minute. John Kay was actually on with Billy West? Yeah, he, he was a surprise guest, so it was like an ambush on Billy. And this Holy was shit. and this was after John Kay got fired from Ren and Stimpy. Right. And right. so Which it was just because uh-huh. John Kay did the voices so much better. Come on. Ren and Stimpy comes out of his soul. Like Billy West is like, you know, a pale Larry Fine imitator. Well, what's the story there? What's the story with the guy getting fired and Billy West being there? Is he between them? What's the story? Yeah, there was. They kind of interviewed Billy before they brought John Kay into the studio. And they said, how did you come up with the voice for uh, Ren? He goes, well, I took a little bit of Peter Laurie and then I mixed it with such and such. And then they waltz in John Kay, who really did invent the voice. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, of course. I, I think originally Billy West was going to do both voices, uh, but then uh, John Kay decided to do Ren himself. Billy, yeah. Billy had so, the same problem as Jackie, where the wives got him in trouble all the time. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, guys, I must I must get jamming, but I hey Lou, I wanted to thank you. I I I, I never met anybody who could sing I want to know right off the top of his head like you did. This was fun. Oh, thank uh, you. And yeah, and Brian, I that... can I say this this was this was almost as good as the Cauliflower Alley show we did last year. <laughs> oh, that know. was a work of art. Uh, that's quite a high bar. It was a work. <laughs> yes, it was a work of art. You were David Seville, Howard, Jason, I were the Chipmunks, man, and it was <laughs> Well, we got to top ourselves every year, man. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm sorry I have to get a, get out of here so early, but Bob, I hope to see you soon. We live so close together. we got to meet big, up sometime, big, man. Big surf concert down here in Huntington Beach, August 4th. Get your ass down here. Eight hours. Wow. Is it the uh, Surf 101? It's the next day at, at Surf Dog. I go to it every year. It's right down the street from me. You can come over here. For I'll it. plan for it. I'd love to see you there, man. It'd be great to see Good. you. Good. Okay, you can come over first. Okay. Hey, thanks, Brian, and thank you guys. It was awesome talking with y'all. All right, Kurt, take care, and thank you on behalf of America this yeah. Independence Day. Yes. For a period Rock of on. Viva Los Hippies. Viva Los Hippies. <laughs> there he take is. Take care, compadres. <laughs> so, so Mike Trout hits two more home runs tonight, the day after his ex-woman dies. I mean, does the guy have it or not? Did they say wow. anything about how that pitcher died? 
No, but some local paper in near where Skaggs grew up said it was opioid, and immediately everybody came down on it. So I don't think that's the truth. Yet the whole thing is so weird. I mean, that team, you know, first there was Donnie Moore who killed himself because he never recovered the Boston series. Then Lyman Bostock got shot while sitting in a car. I think it was in Indiana. That was actually first, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it might have been. I don't know. Um, and then, yeah, it was. It was before Donnie. Donnie kills up for years. And then, uh, you know, Nick Adenhart, right after he pits six shot out in, <laughs> you know, he was in a drunken driving accident. He wasn't the drunk, and three or four people got killed in that one. Yeah. It's just insane. I mean, this guy's a local guy. He was so thrilled to be with the team. Um, and, you know, he was, he was, uh, Trout's best friend, and Trout just comes up there tonight and just blasts a couple. I mean, just, the guy is so focused. It's really amazing. Who's playing at that surf festival? Yeah. Um, God, you'd have to look up. You can look up Surf 101 on Facebook. Um, every year they have a, on a Saturday show, it goes from about 10 until midnight. It's a band an hour. They bring down great bands. My favorite band is a band I, I won't see this year. It's called the Del Stroyers from Seattle. They'll be there Saturday. And then Sunday, there's a bar right near me called Surf Dogs, and they do an eight-hour show the next day with most of the bands. And it's 20 bucks to get in, and it's great. They have good good food and just hang around. And just all sorts of guys. This this year, they're having a tribute to Agent Orange, who've been around for like 40 years now or something. But it's, a, it's just a great show, and they usually do free shows out by the Huntington Beach Pier during that period, and there's shows all around town. I meant to ask you, when did you get out of Japanese wrestling? Um, probably around when Masawa died. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a big thing. That, that turned me off to it for a long yeah. time. I mean, it was, just, it was just, and I'm trying to think of the guy at, in New Japan, who died, uh, who was real young, the big guy. Um, uh, Hashimoto? Yeah, yeah. And that, that sort of blew my mind. I mean, he was way young. And and I don't know. It just, it, there was a great period of time from the, you know, the mid-90s until about, what was it, about 2005? I don't, I don't even remember when he died. But once Kawada faded from the scene and, and uh, Kobashi kept getting sick, um, they just lost it. I mean, those are the three guys could have had matches with anybody. Um, you know, and with Hanson, I mean, Hanson finally faded out of there and it, it was just so much talent. Those guys, they could just face each other every night and have great matches. They'd never had less than a great match. Yeah. I think, I think new Japan faded out about the same time. I mean, I really like new Japan now, but it's really just a junior heavyweight um, company. You know, they used to have some really big guys there, guys that fought stiff, and they pretty yeah, much all true. disappeared. Yeah, I mean, Okada's a real big guy, but he does he fights like a junior heavyweight. He he mostly right. trances around and has and has outfits, but he's not stiff like Hashimoto was, or you know, all those other guys they had running around. I mean, even their B crew in New Japan back then was just a bunch of animals. I mean, there's no way American guys could handle those guys unless they were really ready for a war. Yeah. Well, what do you think was more dangerous, the Misawa Kawada era or the current era, where guys are trying to break each other's neck on uh, the apron? Yeah, I mean, there's a million ways to kill yourself. I don't know. I, I saw Paige 
take a, um, a bump off the side of the ring at the first New Japan show here in Long Beach. And I mean, it was one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. I was sitting next to Yoey, and we just both couldn't even believe that he got up from it. Yeah, it's nuts what they do now with the apron, especially that has no give. You know, that's like the new thing. Like, let's take the hardest part of the ring and try and jam our neck into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he took it on the like, shoulder, on. so he looked like he would have been cut right down the middle of his body. I mean, I just, yeah, they're crazy. Um, the 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 Bucks take a lot of bumps too, but somehow they can take bumps. I I never been able to figure out how they do it. They've rarely been injured. Um, but there's a lot of other guys that get real dangerous, especially uh, I saw a match with Marty Skrull against uh, Osprey. I think it was this. Yeah, it was on the second show. And man, they, they killed each other right from the bell. For 15 minutes, it, everything was a death-defying stunt. <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. nuts. I think I saw that match. Yeah, it was amazing. But I mean, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how these guys can like. I mean, if they had a normal schedule, they could never keep that up. It's like you can only no. do that once a month, you know. So that's uh, the whole. Even then, I don't. I I still don't see how well, yeah, these guys I, mean, I I haven't seen the show, the last show. I, I was I was gone, so I still even haven't even seen the uh, AW show. So I'm really interested to see what everybody's been talking about. Yeah. It's just not advisable. It's not an advisable style because you see every generation does the same thing. They just, they go too extreme. They go too hard. They think they have to, and they might have to, but yeah, back, you know, back maybe, in the old, in the... maybe like maybe this generation's version of killing yourself through steroids is killing yourself through extreme spots and bumps because they're doing yeah. what they had to do to get over. Yeah, there were no extreme spots and bumps when I started watching, even through L.A. There were never really spots yeah. and bumps. Everybody just wrestled stiff, and they'd only go out of the ring once in a while. And yeah, they'd get the a lot drop of, kick they'd was get a lot of, Yeah, they'd get a lot of blood, but they, you know, you knew they weren't killing each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew how to work the crowd and, get, and, you know, turn heel and turn face and back and forth. You can't, nobody does that now. Yeah, yeah. It's all like the performance. It's like how great. It's like Japan. America is finally appreciating it like Japan, like work rate and spectacle and everything. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I do a lot of other things now, too, because it's just it's too much of the same and too much of guys killing each other. I mean, I've been watching with yeah, LA. Now, like, watch- yeah, like Vandal and I were talking, like it's painful now to watch. It's like it's not even you can't even enjoy it. You certainly can't enjoy it as a match because you know it's not a match anymore, and you can't really enjoy it as a spectacle because you're just like, oh, which spot is going to be the one that somebody breaks their neck? Yeah, and there's no psychology, anyways, and there's and there's right. no heels. I I don't know how you can watch wrestling very often without heels. And now the heels are cheered because they're they're all cool heels. Yeah, like yeah, everybody's whole- a cool heel now. <laughs> Yeah, it's really. I never knew what a cool heel was until a few years ago. I mean, okay, Austin was a cool heel, but he knew, he knew how to work and he knew how to manipulate yeah. the crowd. These guys don't. I'll tell you the first cool heel that I ever saw was Don Morocco, and I remember um, he was mocking Rocky Johnson one time, and like Rocky Johnson would do a little strut, and Don Morocco mocked him. It was in Miami Beach. And I'm like, oh, how cool is that? I've never seen a bad guy like get over on a baby face 
um, by mocking him like that. I'm like, what a cool guy, you know? I remember when he ate the sandwich in the ring. Nobody ever did that. Right, but this is way before that. I mean, but Morocco was actually cool because he's like, Rocky Johnson would be doing his thing or whatever baby face, and Morocco would just undercut it all by being like, oh, aren't you cool? You know, yeah. like he would just undercut their whole thing. Like when he strutted like Rocky Johnson, I'm like, oh, man, he just eviscerated him. He's like, that doesn't impress me at all. And it was in Miami. I don't know at what point he worked him, but I'm like, wow, that is cool. He, he, he did graduated with my ex from Hawaii, and I saw him in 72 when he just started, and he was like a high school football player. And it was so amazing yeah. to see how he would change later, even years later when I hadn't seen him for about eight years. In the WWE yeah. or WWF, Morocco did a promo once where I said, nobody does that. He's the only person I think I ever heard make fun of Dusty's weight. He said, <laughs> he said, uh, he said, last week, Dusty Rhodes come out here, talk about, or no, he said, last week, cottage cheese legs, Dusty Rhodes come out here, talk about <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you, but if, you know, if you think about it, I mean, over the years, it's, you're not supposed to say anyone's fat or bald or old, but, um, sure. but I mean, the more Florida I watch, Terry Funk, Ernie Ladd, they all call Dusty Rhodes fat. Oh yeah. So conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom is like, oh, you're not allowed to do that. But they all call Dusty fat pretty much. I mean, not all of them, maybe, but... I think Dusty liked all the uh, digs. I mean, it, it set him up better as, as a face. Because the fans were going to cheer for him if he weighed 1,000 pounds. Yeah, he couldn't have enjoyed it too much, though. I mean, you know, it's his one legitimate flaw. Like, no one, no one's going to enjoy that. And a matter of fact, uh, I want to get the name right, but somebody, J.J. Dillon told somebody that it was okay if they called Dusty Fat and then they did and I don't remember the guy unfortunately which is very that's what I'm thinking that's what I was thinking okay and then he did and Dusty like had heat with him and he it was JJ's fault and I think Dusty got mad at JJ for approving it Yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing one of David Von Erich's heel promos in Florida, and it's he, he had a match upcoming with Dusty, and he started it with fatty, fatty, two by four, can't get through the dressing room door. And, <laughs> and that is why David Von Erich was a heel for only a short time. <laughs> Come on. I'm like, oh, man, but no, never cut a promo with the the rubber glue paradigm or whatever. Nah. Hey, Bob, where do, you th where do you think Eddie Gilbert would fit in the, the world of wrestling today? Today? Jeez. I don't know. I don't know who would let him do what he wanted to do. I mean, if he was right. still, if he was still young and a wrestler, he, he'd still work great. I mean, even in an AW or ring honor, but, uh, he was. I never thought he was a really great manager, um, unless he did a real stunt like he did with Watts, you know, like the Russians and stuff. That's I, true. I, I don't second know. that. A lot of a lot of the older guys that they just wouldn't translate now. They couldn't handle the you know flipping flippy flops going on going on. 
Yeah, just in terms of a mind, though, in terms of a creative mind, you got to wonder how things would have worked out and then how he would have ended up today. I mean, now you have Heyman back in power, surprisingly, running yeah. Raw. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where where would Eddie have fit into the world of wrestling? Not in the ring, per se, but just behind the scenes in 2019. Um. <laughs> If he and Cornette were in one company, I think there'd be really great stuff. Um, I know they tried to play off each other at the end in SMW, but um, I, I, I just think the two of them would be able to play off each other as managers or you know bosses of a company or something because they're they're both jokers. They could you know they could they could both run jokes off of each other. I was going to say his career would probably parallel what you've seen with Cornette, which is working for every company that he deems fit and, you know, going through with that to its logical conclusion. And then you're done for one reason or another. And I think that he would have had a similar career as Cornette. He's known for a mind in the business and he's known for a long history and being a student of the business. I think it really would have been like the same thing Cornette ended up doing, just going places where they thought they could make a difference. Eddie would never criticize anybody. I mean, Eddie was just the nicest guy in the world. He couldn't even work to criticize people like that. Well, I'm not saying saying criticize. I'm saying just work the same companies that Cornette ended up working and being, you know – being of use to the business like that, like being a mind and a booker from the old school and lending what he could, or he might've ended up in a uh, teaching facility, the power plant or WWE, you know, well, he, he might've ended a up great contributing coach. <laughs> that way. Yeah. Cause think about, I mean, think about the, I mean, the promos that he can instruct people to do, like people like Cornette, um, Heyman and Gilbert, that's like in their DNA like the whole history of wrestling and the psychology of it and how to do a promo and why. See, I don't understand how people get into the business and can't do a promo or grasp the psychology because that just shows that you're just in the wrong business. Yeah. Like if I didn't, if I had a, if I had a better immune system and my body could stand up to it, I could fucking talk, you know, I know what to say and when to say it. I mean, I, I couldn't stand up to a week on the road, but I know what to say. I know the deal, you know, and there's so many people in there who are athletes or whatever, and they can do the moves and everything They might even have charisma, but they don't know how and why to deliver a promo. And these are, you know, you're dyed in the wool Gilberts, those guys, it's like in their DNA. Yeah, I really miss him. I mean, he was the most entertaining guy I thought I ever saw as far as, you know, getting people in, in the building. I used to love to hear the crap that he would do in the Nashville shows. Because he'd call me after the show and, and tell me how he, he was trying to do everything he could to be chased out of the arena at the end and jump in somebody's trunk. Mm. Any recent Mike Lano stories? Uh, <laughs> no, he's been pretty quiet. Um, uh, I really, I got to get my stuff out again. We just redid my office. That's why I haven't been doing Lano stuff lately. Um, but I'm about ready to go back up. But uh, we we got to get him. But we got to, you know, he's not going to come with 605. We got to get him at Cauliflower next year. Yeah. I'd say uh, dollars to donuts. Odds are he may be at the King of Indies event here in Daly City always, on Friday. Always. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I haven't gotten a ticket yet, but perhaps, uh, I don't know, perhaps I can represent and hunt him down. <laughs> yeah, he goes to that every year because he gets it free. And as Lano says, <laughs> 
he's never paid to get into a wrestling event. I think I just found a four-hour tape of Canvas Cavity. (laughs) (laughs) I found all my old Lano tapes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, th- those have to go up. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're like the twilight zone of wrestling. Hidden gems. Yeah, I mean, for morbid curiosity's sake, I want to see the whole tribute he did to Ray Stevens. Oh, yeah, that one's <laughs> that one's. Good. He did his tribute to Ray Stevens, and then what did he do? He tried to sell his newsletter at Ray Stevens' funeral? No, at, the, at the funeral, he tried to sell, sell the newsletter, which I didn't even oh, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> He was trying to sell subscriptions at the funeral. <laughs> yeah, jeez, he has he has a lot of funeral based uh, shenanigans. I'll tell you, he's he's the king yeah. of funerals. He was, I mean, oh, when man. I heard that one, I I thought it was great, but the I think Spicoli he probably surpassed that. That was still one of the mm. craziest days I'd ever spent. I mean, you had to watch him every second to see what kind of crap he was going to pull. Hmm. But a Spicoli went to me is special because other people wanted to kill him. A lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I wanted to kill him after I, I you know I I shook him down at the airport. I made I I made him let me search him before we took off, and I couldn't I didn't find any camera. Well, I found out he, you know he put the camera in his socks. <laughs> <laughs> so we get there. <laughs> We get there, and I'm in the back room of the, this church, and it was a huge church, and there was a huge crowd, but you know they weren't in the church yet. And I'm in the back room, and I turn around, and there's Spicoli in an open casket. I'm just like, oh fuck, <laughs> you know, it's I, I didn't expect to see Louis up close again, and so there he is. So I go up where everybody was hanging around, Sabu and all these guys, and I and I mentioned it. And I just said, that was a real holy fuck moment. And all of a sudden, Lano disappeared. And that's when I first had my suspicions that he was taking pictures. Because he disappeared for about 10 minutes. And I'm sure he took pictures of Louie in the casket. Mm. If he took them, I'm sure they were blurry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well... I don't think he could work on his thematic at the time. He used to have that other cheap 35 millimeter camera he ran around with. But yeah, that was, that was an amazing day. It's one of those days I'll never forget when I called Meltzer right after that. I said, you're not going to believe what happened. Meltzer was, he was just in hysterics. He called me back later. He says, I don't believe this. (laughs) (laughs) He just, I I don't believe this. Wow. That got a call back from Meltzer. Yeah. Sorry about Mike Lane or the funeral. Uh, I mean, he was laughing like he was, he was laughing like a retard when they talked to him, and then later called me back and said, "I still don't believe it." Then he started talking to some other people out there, and it's, <laughs> it got pretty it got pretty nasty. You see yourself ever talking to Leno again? Sure, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ca- I'm going to cauliflower now. Uh, I don't know how, many, how many more times you know can wait for this? Oh yeah, no, I'll be there. <laughs> oh man, this is gonna be good. Do you need a table to sit yeah. at? Oh, I'll be at the 605 table. All right. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. That's what I Huzzah. Want to hear. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I can't wait for next year. I couldn't do it this year, but next year I'm, I'm there. Good deal. Awesome. Okay. All right. Well, next move, Mike Lano. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah. 
All right, guys. Well, I guess we're getting close to the end of the show. So does anyone want to volunteer to jump off? Yeah, I'll jump off, but let me get a quick uh, plug in, not for my business or anything, but just hit me up on the Twitter, Howard M. Baum on the Twitter, Hardway Art on the Facebook. That's it. That's all I got to say for now. It's uh, been a pleasure. Of course, remember to check me and Scott. I'm banned for life from Twitter. I'll never see it. (laughs) Are you really? Yeah. (laughs) What did you do? Wait, what happened? Banned for life. Trump's web guy got me banned from Twitter for life. No way. Trump's web guy. Yeah, you know, Trump posts that stuff, but he doesn't, you know, take care of all the responses and everything. And they complain to Twitter, and Twitter sent me a long online letter saying I'm banned for life. This (laughs) is after I had some temporary banning. But, you know, I, I didn't really care. I'm not real good with Twitter anyway, but yeah, I thought that yeah, was Twitter. Funny. I can't, yeah. I, I, you know, I think uh, over a certain age, people can't do Twitter. I don't understand the, what the hell goes on with Twitter. It's like you got to, there's a sentence, then you click on it, and then there's three things above it, four things below it. You can't ha ha. Everything is just a like or a love. It's like, I was, I was a lot Twitter, man. With the Usenet 20 years ago and the AOL. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, ain't, I ain't into, I ain't feeling that. I'm going to check out the Instagram, but uh, Twitter, I'm really not feeling. I find it very difficult to navigate. Uh, uh, Twitter, by and large, is hot garbage. <laughs> was that, was, was, was that so, Lou or uh, Kathleen Turner? Who was that? that uh, <laughs> <laughs> so sultry. Mm. Part- <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> 99 cents a minute. Kids get your parents' permission. Uh and kids. Might I also implore you check out the new and improved KFR Kentucky Fried Wrestling, KFRpod.com with me and uh Scott Bowden. We are on a very hot streak right now. We're doing a deep dive on 1981 Memphis. A lot of big things planned mm-hmm. there. And uh, that's about it for me. All right, Howard. Well, we'll be hearing from you on soup. I can't even speak on 605 Super Podcast episode 100, which will be coming at everyone very, very soon. Whoa. But uh, tremendous. Let me give one more plug for Howard. He's going to be the special guest on Stick to Wrestling. That'll be coming out this Friday. That's right. That was a really fun one. I did all my Chick Donovan material, and now I got nothing left for the KFR, but I'll come up with something. And by the way, another thing, it's my two-year anniversary here, so thank you, everybody. Thank you, Brian, for opening the door and let me come through as a shining light. Um, Whoever thought 223 pounds of sweet soul would turn on a nation like I have. But in all seriousness, it's been two years. As everyone knows, a good 12% of my wrestling career going forward is always dedicated to my good friend and brother, Jackie Johnson himself, the little stinker. So every time I do a 605, Hardway Art, whatever I do, it's all kind of little bit goes to Jackie. So I just want to keep him alive like that. And I will be seeing you all soon. Whoop, hey, whoop. Goodbye. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot my own catchphrase. Whoop, whoop. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> Love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bob Barnett, have you seen Superhuman? No. You haven't seen this guy, Superhuman, this guy who, like, he has, like, all these 15, 20-second videos where he just, like, I saw him, he, he dropped an elbow on a microwave. 
<laughs> no, that, <laughs> he jumped elbow on a toaster. He jumps into the bushes. Yeah, centons on Legos and light yeah. tubes. He drinks Is like he on hot... YouTube. Yeah, his parents are the ones filming him. Apparently, he drinks a bunch no. of hot sauce and then he does like a flip on the like light bulbs and stuff. Oh man! Yeah. The best is how it's the same spiel for every video. He's standing yes. on the little porch and he's like, and he's waving his arms back and forth, and he's like, like some demented, retarded carnival barker, and he's like. Please don't try this at home. And then he takes his shirt off. He takes his shirt off. Invariably, the stuff is in front of him on two chairs, like to be as little give as possible. It may as well be on pure concrete. He'll jump on a, on a, on a microwave or an anvil. It's like it doesn't matter with no give at all. And he's like, and then he psychs himself up after the little spiel, like, don't try this at home. And then he huffs himself up. He takes his black shirt off and he goes, and then he does like Sabu style spine buster. And he comes down on the fire or the tax or whatever it is. Then invariably the selling. Fuck this shit. Right, right. And he goes, fuck this shit. Does the spot. Then invariably the selling, which is the greatest, and I wish he would leave more of it on there. Then he's invariably writhing in agony on the floor, and he always says the same thing. Oh, my fucking God! <laughs> he's like dying on the grass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's like dying on the grass. I'm like, oh, I hope they leave the selling, but they always cut it. No, he is like wow. the Wesley Willis of uh, backyard uh, <laughs> wrestling videos. <laughs> Well, you know he's gonna. I hope he holds out for 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 his own sake. I don't know what he's doing. He's probably selling a lot of T-shirts, but um, I hope that he holds out for for a good offer. You know he's gonna end up on like a Joey Janela show, actually. In oh the, yeah, doing <laughs> which I think nobody wants that because they're showing that the what a bunch of nothing that is when an actual rest when an actual trained wrestler jumps through a like two. <laughs> Lego yeah. blocks. Yeah, that's well, very different. Yeah. Please, please don't book him against Nick Gage. Ah. Go right ahead. <laughs> so, Bob, All right, guys. You may Bob, as well get rid of me. I'm going to go out on a Costanza high note. All right. Adios, Howard. We'll talk to you soon. Love you guys. I will see you all soon. So, Bob. Bye bye. Bye bye, Bob, Lou, Scott, and Brian. And I, yeah. So Bob, you've never seen this guy or heard this guy before? No, human? no, I will. I will be in the next few hours. Hold on, let me let me let you hear what he sounds like. Let me see if I can play this. Let's see if this works. And by the way, he also doesn't know how to spell human. So when you search for him, it's superhuman. H U M M A N. This is superhuman teacher today. I'll be jumping onto this microwave. This is for jugglers and jugglets. So try this at home. I hope you like it. Woo woo. <laughs> Fuck this shit! Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, e it's even funny without the visual. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's the best one. He just totally wipes out on this micro. I mean, it's a giant microwave, and he hits it with a hard ass elbow. <laughs> Where's he from? I, I, the Midwest, I think. <laughs> yeah, get this guy on. I I uh I've seen he did a couple of interviews. Hold on, that's him on the microwave. What's this one? 
riding a scooter into the bushes. This is Super Mutant Show today. I'm going to be riding my scooter into that bush. This is for Jigglers and Jigglettes. Shout out to Slim and Rig. Let's do this. Whoop, whoop. And now he's just riding around on his scooter. And he's just he's getting some speed from a distance. <laughs> he just went flying into a bunch of bushes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, Bob, this guy is going to be your new favorite guy ever. He sounds like something Howard Stern needed about 15 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it, I don't know. His spiel, like the like the part of the spiel that goes up to uh, this is for all the juggalos and juggalettes. I've never been able to decipher that. Oh, I, I saw him lay it out. He says, welcome to superhuman TV show. Uh, so TV shows, the first thing that's like, what's he saying there? Uh, the superhuman mm-hmm. TV show. What does he say next? Uh, see, now you got me wondering what he says next. I, I know it when I hear it, but now I can't remember what it was. Okay. Well, he I'll lays out, he lays yeah. out, so this is light tubes and Lego blocks. <laughs> waving the arms. When I'm recently watching it, it's the waving the arms that got me. <laughs> well, you like contact him through YouTube. Get him on the show. Oh, yeah. This guy sounds like gold. <laughs> I, you know I, what? I think he's already uh, been, been seduced by the star maker machinery. <laughs> oh, no. I think people have beaten us to him. I'm sure he's already got T-shirts and all that kind of stuff going. But uh, no, like I'll buy one. Because yeah. Get him on. I, I wonder if we have to book him through Cameo or something. <laughs> hey, I don't. It doesn't matter. This guy's a star. You got. He's got to get on. You haven't even seen him yet. When do you see him? Then you'll realize what a big star he really is. Yeah, uh, that's fabulous. Yeah, he's like hornswoggle after about 15 chair shots to the head. Good. I need I need new entertainment. <laughs> Is he going to get the gathering this year? Anybody know? Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Bob, I'm going to say goodbye to you. Okay, I'll see you guys. We'll have to do this again very soon. Yes. And uh, Brian, you've got to go to the CAC next year now. I'm going to consider it, but we'll see. Yeah. No, you, you kid will be old enough. Don't worry. I'll think about it. I'll think, especially if you're going there, that that definitely makes me uh, consider it a little more than I normally would. Yeah. Cause I haven't seen you since we were at uh, Manitoba. Uh, Hanson Dicks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. And now that place just got shut down. Yeah. I, it's just, yeah. Oh. Okay. All right. I'll see you guys. All right, Bob. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. And there he is celebrating America. With us here today on Independence Day Star Wars, Bob Barnett. It is now down to me, Scott Cornish, and Lou. One of these men will die. (laughs) No. I'm I'm apparently making a terrible amount of background noise. I don't know if it's the traffic or what it is. I'm just glad they didn't set off fireworks down the street here tonight. But um, I, I really don't have anything to to add to the proceedings, so I think I'm going to cut out. Well, then I think the proceedings are just about over. A rather short Holiday ah. Star Wars ah. here, and rather <laughs> a, a bit of a train wreck of a Star Wars here, but uh, we hope yeah. that someone yeah. got something out of it. What are we going to say? Come on, come on, somebody vamped for two more hours. How yeah. about that? 
No, I, I think uh, we're going to call it a day and send this over to Travis Heckle so he can start working on some artwork here. But uh, on behalf of the 605 Super Podcast, of course, thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to the show, for going through the archives for all the positive reviews on iTunes, for buying the merch, and everything else. We really do appreciate it. Episode 100 has been taking a while, and uh, we're hard at work on some things there, some ambitious projects for episode 100. We'll see how they all work out, but stay tuned. And uh, who knows? There may be a 605 in between now and episode 100. I don't know what the hell I'll number it or call it, but you never know what will happen. We'll see what happens. Stay tuned. But for everyone that joined the call and for the last two remaining here, the two remaining survivors, Scott Cornish, the popular humorist, and superstar producer Luke Hippelman, I'm the great Brian Last. Happy birthday, America. Tally-ho! Whoop, whoop.